Oh, hey, this is Comic Shenanigans, episode 600, the sixth anniversary spectacular. Anniversaries are a time for reflection, looking back on the memories, wondering, how did I get here? Well, that's what this is for me. How did we get here? Remember that time Adam said he might want to try podcasting, and I was like, cool, that'll be fun, and I helped him record a pilot, which he said he wasn't going to post, and then he did post it, and I said the C word, and anyway, you all remember. You were there. What was I talking about? Oh, yeah, anniversaries. We've had some good times. We've had some bad times. Who thought this would go on for 600 episodes? I mean, six years, guys. You know how much has happened in six years? We live in a different house. We have a whole nother person that lives with us. He's five almost. In a couple weeks, he'll be five. Like, things are very different. And yet, things are very the same. Adam is still entertaining you all with his witty repertoire. Eh, some might call it witty. Anyway, why am I here? You're used to hearing Adam's voice at this point. I am here, as promised, to introduce the new Comic Shenanigans theme song. We've been talking about having a theme song for a long time. We've had our very own Todd uh, sing a little jingle for you in the past, which, let me tell you, was fantastic. Um, In the span of a couple weeks, we ended up with two theme songs for the show. Uh, One that was written specially for the show. You'll hear that a little bit later. Um, And anyone who's listened to episode 598 knows that we love the Teen Titans episode uh, movie that just came out. Teen Titans Go to the Movies. If you haven't seen it yet, AJ, go see it. Uh, It's really good. Um, They obviously knew that we needed a theme song. So one of the songs from Teen Titans Go to the Movies seems tailor-made for the podcast. So... We're going to use it. Here it is. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. This is episode 600, the 6th Anniversary Spectacular. I'm Adam Chapman, your host, and we have a lot of different segments on the show for you today. I want to thank my wife for uh, doing the intro there, uh, and also hope you enjoyed the, the new theme song we just played. Uh, it was pretty fun. Uh, and again, it was from an awesome movie, so you should definitely go out and see Teen Titans go to the movies. Uh, upcoming, we have a lot of different returning guests coming back to the show. We'll get into them uh, as the series, as the show progresses. Um, we do have one new guest coming to the show for the first time. Uh, that's Eric Anthony. That'll be a, a few segments from now, but uh, I'll leave that. Uh, you'll, you'll, you'll hear someone talk about uh, who's coming up when that comes by. But uh, hope you enjoy this episode. It was a lot of fun putting together. You can email the show at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. Like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Our uh, first post-600 episode will be episode 602 coming out next week with uh, the acclaimed writer Kelly Thompson coming by to talk about uh, how she got into comics, how she originally was a writer for CBR, uh, how eventually she got uh, she was trying to launch her own comic, ended up having uh, conversations with people uh, in the industry, ended up uh, launching the Gem and the Holograms comic book for two years. She eventually worked on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Pink, and uh, now she's writing a bunch of different amazing 
amazing titles for uh, Marvel Comics, including the upcoming West Coast Avengers. So you can look forward to that in the next week. Thanks for joining, and let's jump into our first segment with Paul Scorez. Welcome to another segment of Comic Shenanigans, episode 600. I am your host, Adam Chapman, and I'm joined by... Paul Scorez. Now, I was, we've done for many years now, at least uh, two or three, four times. Um, I think this might be the fourth. Uh, four times that we know we've now recorded at a cottage. Uh, now, this is last year. We missed the cutoff. We were going to the cottage after episode 500, so uh, that conversation ended up being episode 504. But this year, because we went to the cottage a little bit earlier, and the episode 600 is going up on August the 12th, we were able to sneak it in under the wire. Uh, although, actually, this is the first segment I've actually recorded for episode 600. I'm, last year, I think I started recording segments for the anniversary episode back in like May of that year, uh, way in advance. And this year, I'm like, nope, just kind of leaving it to the last minute, more classic Chapman. Yeah. Um, so uh, today, what we've done for most of the years... How do you feel about your this milestone of 600, 600 uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's okay. It's, you know what? It felt different at five. Uh, 500 felt bigger than 600. 600 just kind of feels like just 100 over 500, you know? Like, it doesn't feel like a big number. It's kind of like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's not 1,000. It's not 500. Like, those felt like milestones. Um, 600 doesn't. Okay. And a big part of that, to be fair, is because I do 104 episodes a year, roughly, or like 100 or so episodes a year. So, like, it doesn't feel as like as big an accomplishment. Whereas, if you were doing it over, you know, multiple years, and you're doing like, you know, maybe an episode a month, that'd be two years, or sorry, not episode a month, but episode a week. Um, You know, that still would take you two years to get to 100 episodes. So, that would feel like a bigger deal. But it just feels like it's another year past. Okay, fair enough. Because of the insane amount of content that I put out. It's true. It's, It's a big deal. So, do you have? Uh, the top three that you pull off this year uh, you're proud of? Oof. Uh, I'd have to, and honestly, I'd have to look. It's always the interviews. The interviews are always my favorite. No mm-hmm. offense to everyone who's been on movie reviews episodes, um, but uh, the episodes that give me the most joy are the ones where I sit down and have an interview with someone. Uh, Ralph Macchio is probably my top one this past year. Steve Englehart I've interviewed twice but in the past year, but one of those would be <laughs> my top three. Uh, I'd really have to think about the third. But uh, No Cal Dodd in that? That was a fantastic Cal Dodd, yeah, yeah really that was fun. pretty good too. Although I did get a criticism on that. What do you mean? That it wasn't an interview. It was a monologue. And that we basically asked like a question and he just kind of went. And uh, but I would, which I guess is kind of true. Like, there's a few questions that we definitely asked, which were much more pointed and much more interview questions. But for the most part, he did kind of, kind of go with the flow and kind of figure out his own flow and kind of took it. It's kind of like I did an interview two years ago now uh, with Alex Saviak. He was an artist on Web of Spider-Man in the '90s. Uh, he did a lot of other stuff, but that's what people kind of remember him for most. And then he's been on the Spider-Man newspaper strip forever. Um, and so I sat down with him and I was like, "Well, how did you first get into comics?" And about an hour and a half later, he took a breath. And said that he had to go, and we would have to, you know, pick it up some other time. And it actually never ended up happening. So I ended up airing that episode as was, as as part one. And I'm hoping someday I'll get him back for part two because we have him basically from the moment he was a child up until 1987 when he walked into Jim Shooter's office, and that was the cliffhanger. And we never got him back after that. <laughs> uh, but like, but that interview was great. That like, he was so much information and was so giving with his time in that in that interview. But I didn't have to ask him any questions. He just kind of went and gave me a, like it was it was an amazing account of a man's life that it was almost like he was rehearsed and ready to go. But I've never read any interviews with this guy. I've I've never even heard him do any interviews. And yet for me, it was just like, boom, let's do this. Good. And it was, it was long. It was good. But yeah, so Kyle Dodd, I loved it. It was great. Yeah, I guess that would have to be in the top three. Um, because just the, 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 the child within was super happy well, that's exactly to experience that. Yeah. 
Uh, and I think I did like that the whole at the end where we got him to do the, the beer commercial. I really enjoyed that as well because we had just listened to it right before. So it was yeah. very fresh in our minds. And the fact that he was able to pull it out out of nowhere was right. nothing short of incredible. The fact that he has done so many of those jingles over the years and yet somehow was able to just pull things out was incredible. But I, I guess if you sing it enough, it's just kind of locked in and it's in there. But that was pretty cool. But yeah, not in more, more of a monologue. Yeah. Well, he'll, he'll be at... Uh the Comic-Con in Windsor. Okay. Uh, upcoming, and I believe... Uh, Does that mean they never got their, their thing together? Th- that's still... Well, not through the people I associate with, okay. at the very least. Okay. Um, that uh, my friend Colin wanted to help them, mm. um, but uh, it's still in a bit of limbo on that front as far as I know. But I know him, I can't remember if it was Sabretooth or Cyclops. There's also coming to that. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. There'll be one more X-Men original. I love Cyclops' voice. Yeah. Like, his, his voice in that is so yeah. good. And it sounds like they had some really good banter with each other, so I think having sure. them together would be, That'd be awesome. would be a lot of fun, too. So, so well, one thing we've done in the last few years mm-hmm. is that usually when we sit down, as we'll do, uh, a couple times we would look at new solicits that just came out. Like, I remember, what was that? I guess the first time we did this in mm-hmm. 2015. Um, I think it was 2015. Mm-hmm. could be wrong. Um, when, I guess it was... Marvel it, Now just launched. Was it Marvel Now? Marvel or Now. Or one of those? Because... It was original Marvel now. It wasn't Mar- original. Original was 2012. Uh, that happened right after AVX. And I wasn't even doing it. Well, I just started doing a podcast. So it was definitely wasn't that. Okay. So it must have been all new Marvel now. Yes. Yeah, yeah. One of those. Yeah. It, bottom line is, I remember it was like July 1st or something. <coughs> Brand new catalog, fresh in her hand. Yeah. Well, Iron Man was about to be the flagship character that one, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Bendis and Caselli. Or, yeah. No, yeah. Uh, not Caselli. Marquez. Marquez. Yeah. That was a... That feels so long ago. I mean, obviously, in publishing terms, it is a long time ago, but it just feels so ancient. Anyways, we're going to talk about looking back at what's recently happened, which is Marvel Legacy, which, because uh, last year hadn't been announced yet, had it? I think, I don't know if it had been announced or We had the Marvel Legacy one-shot. When did that come out last year? I guess uh, it came out at some point. Let me look here, huh? Um, but then it, it took a while for them to actually give us, you know, I don't Marvel know. Two one is there. Well, when we got it, so we got Marvel Legacy. So Marvel Legacy, now, now that we can look back on it, now that that kind of period is over, it's a very strange period because it's kind of this weird in-between period that happens between, you know, between Axel Alonso leaving the position or being fired or whatever they want to call it and C.B. Sobolski coming in. So you have this kind of interesting period where they go back to legacy numbering, which is not something we haven't seen before. I mean, do you remember when um, back in the Shrizinski's... It began in September 2017. September, okay. So September 2017 it started. It ended this May. Mm-hmm. So it's not a long period. So it's one of the shortest kind of eras. Mm-hmm. Um, it brings all the legacy numbering back, which is, again, something we had seen before. Uh, I remember when uh, JMS was on Amazing Spider-Man. They had issue, I think, 58 or 68 or something. And then the next issue was issue 500. And then they kind of had the dual numbering going on. But they took the legacy numbering as the big one and the, the kind of volume two numbering as like the small number. And now it's kind of reversed. Um, whereas, so it's kind of interesting how they kind of try to go back to legacy numbering, try to go back to this feeling of, you know, these characters and these worlds are the ones you've always loved. And we moved away from that a little bit and we've gone in different directions, but everyone you love is still here. I guess that was the basic idea of Marvel Legacy. And it was basically trying to recapture people's feelings and say, you know, we're still here. We're, we're still doing the comics you like. Um, well, it's kind of their weird answer to Rebirth in a way, right? Yeah, because Rebirth was definitely about that. But I think Rebirth needed to happen in a way that Legacy didn't. Right, yeah. They were more of a harder reset, which the whole line followed suit, where this was really about the numbering of the books. Like, if, if we go through these books one at a time, Not a how many of them... The, how did the, the story change because of this new thing, right? I think we're seeing it 
more now sure. with the Fresh Start stuff than we are with so, the So tell me some of the books that were part of the renumbering. Let's go through. I mean, most books were. But let's just say which books were actually part of this this process. Uh, and I'll tell you which one. Because I read most of them, right? Yeah, so yeah. I'll tell you which, which ones were actually which like, ones a legacy. Okay, well, there was Only Wolverine, which... Didn't have much of a legacy. No. So the numbering didn't even change because there was nothing to change there. Exactly. Uh, they dealt with, what, the Orphans of X storyline and Old Woman Laura. I loved... I, well, I love the entire book that by Tom Taylor, I have to say. Like, I don't think there was one misstep. I'm sad that it's over. I'm sad that she's going back to being X-43, which almost in itself feels more like a legacy than a fresh start. Actually, everything the Old and Wolverine screams more a fresh start, right? Because mm-hmm. it's moving forward with new ideas. Absolutely. Using a character who's been around a while, so it's not like it's a brand new character taking on someone else's title, but instead has been around and active for a long time, stepping into boots. Um, the best part of the Old and Wolverine is, is Gabby. Um, you know the the other younger clone and Jonathan the uh, the pet Wolverine. Um, yeah, but that book didn't really feel like a legacy. Like there was nothing changed. No, didn't feel like it to me anyway. Next, uh, then your boy Spider Man. So Spider Man, that's an interesting one, right? Um, I think it is more legacy because it definitely felt like it went back to what the character was. Like it really stripped away because you had the whole. Tim Parker fell down to earth, right? Yeah, so you stripped away everything about kind of this, not big time or whatever you wanted to call it era, but the, the Parker Industries era was basically stripped down. Yep. You have him kind of bed Parker luck again. You have him starting to go back to work at the Bugle. Um, that, that, that definitely felt more legacy wise right. in terms of restoring the character to a familiar status quo, not quite going all the way there. We, we would see that actually with Fresh Start, which is ironic because it doesn't feel that fresh it feels like the same um and just in terms of that nomenclature right and even venom inc was more of a old-fashioned venom team up <sighs> that was anyway, such a waste it, of time i know it was bad but it was, it was kind of a way to get him back with we got him back with harry got him back here's with flash here's how i feel about eddie about that venom inc though i feel like it's bad i didn't enjoy it but i know I as the lens of a guy who's there to read spider-man I think if you're a Venom fan and you're reading a Venom book and now you have more exposure to Venom and other Venom-like characters, I think it probably would have succeeded more. I just think if you're a Spider-Man fan first, I think it fell flat because it, the character wasn't really that necessary. He didn't feel like he was really playing a prominent role. It was more about Venom as opposed to Spider-Man. It wasn't an yeah. equally shared storyline. It was a Venom storyline. It was also written kind of funny in that. He was a little, he, Spidey was a bit off in that book. Yes, he was. In that storyline, I should say. Yeah, he was. Yeah, it didn't seem right to me. And then we, then I read into threat level red, which was a carnage, you know, Norman yeah. combo hybrid thing. Yeah, and I guess again the idea of legacy there is that you're bringing back you know kind of familiar villains and retooling them in different ways and doing something different with them, and then you had to go down mm-hmm. swinging. So yeah, I mean that's where you had basically had that going. What's, what was the book after that? Uh, also, same with Spider-Man: Renew Your Vows. So Renew Your Vows, I don't understand it. So have you read any Renew Your Vows post Secret Wars? Uh, no. Okay. So basically it's as if the Secret Wars world happened for the most part. Right. That's just the idea. So they have Annie, and Annie's their daughter, and it's interesting. One thing that has bugged me about that book is that why not just have the kid named May? We had a Mayday. Is it just because they want to be different, or what, what's the plan there, right? So I liked at least that you had the idea of this family, the superpower. Or wouldn't that take away from Spider-Girl? Maybe Parker? Maybe, maybe, did it twice? maybe, maybe not. So I'll, I'll get there because okay. it does kind of get answered. So you had a young girl with spider powers and you had a version of Mary Jane that has a built-off regent tech. She has a costume that allows her to simulate Spider-Man's powers too and draw mm-hmm. upon his. So you have her kind of borrowing Peter's powers. You have Annie having her own powers. And so as a family, they're able to kind of fight crime. That's a cool concept. We don't actually see that that often. Even with Superman and his kid, Lois isn't the one actually with superpowers. Whereas here you have MJ having a way of having superpowers. That's cool. 
and she's a little girl. Then you had the legacy came by and it pushed it eight years later. So now she's a teenager. And I'm like, well, now I've gotten this before. I've had Spider-Girl before. Like, mm-hmm. Obviously, she didn't have the relationship with her parents that they do here because they're all heroes together. But it's very familiar. Now, in a, more, in a recent issue, um, it basically, they allude to the idea that um, there was May, that there was a first child, that the child who died, that that died as a, at the end of Revelations did happen. Hmm. And so Annie's actually their second child. Um which I don't know if it was ever referenced anywhere else in that entire book, but I was like, whoa, that's kind of an, an extra layer to really give those characters. That's heavy, yeah. That, it's heavy, but it's, it's it's very interesting, and it kind of frames things in a different way. Um, yeah, it goes back to legacy. Yeah. yeah. So, but by the time that issue came out, it was fresh start. So. <laughs> From a timing perspective. So maybe it doesn't quite work. But yeah, that, so, but, so, but, so I don't, in terms of legacy, I don't think it really did anything to live up to the kind of legacy moniker. In terms of um, a new beginning and come a good jumping on point, definitely. Um, because it kind of said the, all the stories that happened before, that they're all fun, but now we're eight years in the future and she's older now and more people can hopefully enjoy this and she's not a kid anymore. So as much as I did not like the time jump because I didn't think it was necessary um, and I liked what the book was doing on its own, I do uh, think it worked in terms of giving people a new jumping on point for the book. So it did that. What's up? America. America. I didn't feel like that was literally legacy-oriented, necessarily. You never read the book. Chick with a jean jacket has star powers. But I it was actually a pretty fun book, but yeah, I wasn't a big fan of that. Uh, well, I didn't, I didn't, not that I wasn't a big fan of it, I didn't feel like it really, you know, nothing about legacy. It was part of an initiative, but it didn't necessarily feel like it. Right. Next up? Astonishing X-Men. So I didn't really feel like... Okay, my problem here is that, yes, it's definitely legacy in terms of uh, building off of things from the past, but it also felt like... They had Proteus and... Did they actually bring Xavier back? Is Xavier in Phantom X's body he's, now? Is yeah, that he's, he's X, but X is different. He's not truly Xavier, but he's not... You know, he's, he's something different now. But now he's thought to be dead, or not thought to not to exist, and only Psylocke knows he exists now by the end of that. So... Oh, that's not... My, my issue... X-Men. My issue with this is that... From a legacy perspective, I don't think that the story by Sewell would have been any different if they hadn't have slapped legacy on it. No, right. Exactly. So it's just I think you go through a ton of these and realize it. But I do think it does technically kind of work because you're bringing back a very legacy character. Like Proteus is, back, is a Claremont creation way back by Claremont right. and Byrne and issues, what, 128, 129 of them? Uncanny X-Men? But we're talking mm-hmm. 70s or early late 70s, I guess. Um, so from a pure, like, is this a legacy character? Yes. Is the storyline really anything like that? No, it wasn't even a good jumping on point because, you know, it was just the second act of a big story he was telling. So it wasn't, or third act, depending on how they broke it down. Next up, the Avengers. So that's not really legacy either. <laughs> well, you like, have Worlds Collide and No Surrender. Well, what's Worlds Collide was the Champions versus Avengers. Correct. And then Avengers No Surrender was... A mishmash of all the Avenger books, which is like U.S. Avengers, yeah, uh, Uncanny, Uncanny Avengers. Avengers, and what was the last one? Well, on all different or whatever it is, the, or the, the regular Avengers book. Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah. But you look at the roster of characters that weren't left frozen through that; it's real hodgepodge of nobodies. It was in, in, in the grander scheme of things. True. Right? I don't think it satisfies legacy. I think mm-hmm. it was a great storyline, but they also had that planned out like a year in advance because they had to because there's what three writers working on it. Yep. It was so much going on. Uh, you know, it was what, Zub, Wade, and I think Duggan? Was it Duggan? Um, or maybe, yeah, I think it was Duggan. But that, that's a lot of a lot of people working on a project. And I gotta say, it never felt like it was three people working on it. It was pretty consistent. Yeah. Yeah. 
Like, it felt like it was, it was a good ride all the way through. It didn't feel like, oh, man, now I can tell it's this person's book. Yeah, because I read it all at once. Well, I just... It got like a little character heavy with some of the characters that start in that particular book yeah. at some certain points, but overall the story did flow yeah very I think, well. I think if you're reading it on a weekly basis, it really felt like there was you know time to to slow down. Like I don't know how it reads all collected because that's not how I read it, but you know being able to have like an issue just with Quicksilver running around the world, you're like, all right, that's cool because like we've just had all this other going on. Slowing it down for a character centric piece is not a bad idea, mm-hmm. and then kind of reaccelerating. And because you had what sixteen issues or something, like how there was, was a lot it? there. It was a long story. That it was sixteen mm-hmm. issues, six seventy five to six ninety, and then obviously the minute legacy is over, let's go back to one. So if issue ten, are they going to go back to issue seven hundred? Like. <laughs> Do, do numbers matter? Like, do they matter to you at all anymore? No, because it's been such a convoluted mess all this time. Yeah, just, just give me my, my books. I'll read them. Like, I don't, you know, I, I guess that in, in their mind, in the comic world, they need number ones to sell the most daunting big numbers to scare away new readers. But yeah. is that even a thing anymore? I don't know. Like, I think because you, you can also look on covers too. You see like parts of storylines they've listed. You know, here's yeah. uh, you know Rise and Fall of Share Empire Part One. And you know, as part one of a, a story, regardless of what issue the comic is on, you can still True. read a, a story. Or maybe people don't care about singles as much. They're re- waiting for trades anyways, and they just put sure. trades. And I don't care what number's in there, as long as the story is in there. That's yeah. all I need to know. Yeah. So there's many different ways people are consuming these books. True. You know, I, I think having this siege of number ones and then also having this people some people have this old school way of thinking right like people think you know all these old issues of comics right back in the 80s and the 70s whenever i was old number ones oh if i buy this number one it's gonna be worth big money one day. Oh, yeah. well i don't think anyone has felt that way since 1993 I, I certainly hope not but people have this old way of doing that the same thing with with toy collecting right like people mm-hmm. think okay all those 80s transformers if they're all completely good condition yeah they're worth good money but if i buy Optimus prime today mm-hmm. and i keep it for 20 years it's still not gonna be worth anything because with way more mass produced way less parts it's not it's not the same thing anymore so like, but there's still that mentality out there that this is a thing and it's, mm-hmm. it's really not that's a totally off topic thing but i was just curious um if you had to pick one title to make it your life's mission to own every issue of what would it be like you're i'm gonna own every issue of this book in every iteration every volume I'm oh gonna- my god not necessarily worrying about the money of it, but like, which which one would you be most like? I want to own every issue and have this in my in my house and be able to say, "Look at this, look what I've got." And for the most part, I'm going to ask that you keep it to '60s or '70s characters because it seems a little bit or or, or earlier. I don't want you to say like Sam Alexander Nova. Well, that could be done tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Miss right, Marvel. Right. That can be done tomorrow. Like, I want it to be something that would be somewhat of a journey. Um, who would it be? Dead air. This is great. Sorry. Great. I, I, this is great for a show. It's a heavy question. It is a heavy question. Um, I would probably have to say, only because I, I did go back and I bought those uh, essential issues, or all black and white, big, yeah. big trades. Uh, Wolverine. Really? Yeah, Wolverine. Because he was kind of one of, like, he's one of the, like, his trading card is one of the reasons I got into comics in the first place, was sure. back in 92. Um, so I know it's not the, 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 the year He was created in the 70s. That's <laughs> yes. allowed. Now, so, when you have a character like that, how much would you factor in other appearances in Uncanny that predated his own series? If you were to ever go, like, I'm going to collect Wolverine. Are you collecting Wolverine or are you collecting just the Wolverine title? 
Well, you have his his main book, right? Yeah. Which will be obviously that's that's the key to your question. So that's that's a whole run yeah. in itself, and it was one of the main books, one of the first books I collected a lot of, and I went back and read a lot of the older stuff. Would it just be Wolverine? What about when you have Wolverine and you also have like Wolverine Weapon X, and they're both being published at the same time? Would you say no? I'm just mm-hmm. keeping to the pure Wolverine book. Well, no, I was guilty of buying little tie-ins and trade-offs and, yeah. and weird. Japanese so in this in this fictional and, version of this quest I've given you. Yes, are you including all the one shots and crazy little stuff? As if, well? if Wolverine is the main title, if it has a little subtitle of the nonsense, I'll yeah. I'll so all the uh, Return of Wolverine miniseries that are happening, you'd have to get all those. I have to buy Death Wolverine. of Wolverine. I have to separate through Wolverine. An old new Wolverine you'd have to get because it's yeah. right in the title. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, that would be that would be the one. That would be yeah, off the top yeah, without causing more dead area. Uh, that's good. That's it's good. Gonna be, it's gonna be. I mean, it's experiment for you. Isn't for it? me, um, I don't know. Um, it depends on when you ask me. Um, like, <laughs> like, when you're... Well, if you if you'd asked me in like 2000, I probably would have said Iron Man. Uh, I loved Iron Man at that time, but then there was a lot of Iron Man I didn't like after that, and it kind of diluted some of my love. Um, that's Fractions Iron Man. Oh, I love Fraction. That's later. Oh, okay. Uh, I love the Busick and Shen, and we're talking like late, like 998. Okay. Uh, that was really what I was a big fan of. And then I got driven from that book after issue 50 because Mike Grell came on, and I just didn't like the art and didn't like the story. It just wasn't for me. And then uh, so it was a rough go with, with Iron Man for a while. Um, probably be Amazing Spider-Man uh, or Daredevil. I've shown a lot Daredevil. of Daredevil issues. I know I've obviously I at some at one point converted basically to trade, so I didn't really buy singles as much of over of Daredevil. Um, but I own Daredevil and trade in trade format alone. I, I own I guess from Bendis coming on in the Marvel Knights era to, to now. I might be missing only the Shadowland era because I don't have that in the trade paperback format because it's terrible. <laughs> um, I own a lot of singles. Um, I remember um, I can't remember what the circumstances were exactly, but I was going to a fan expo. And this was probably 14, 15 years ago. And uh, I think I'd saved up a lot of money to go to visit my girlfriend at the time. And then we broke up that summer. And, and my buddy T. War was like, hey, you got to spend this money on something. Let's go buy some comics. So I bought like, I don't know, like 100 issues of Daredevil or something. Like I was just raiding bins and trying to get good deals on Daredevil issues. And I have most of them still. Um, so that would probably be one of them too. I'm probably farther ahead on Daredevil than I am on Amazing Well, I don't know. Yeah, no, I'm farther than Daredevil. I wouldn't have to buy as much. Wow. But uh, be Daredevil or, Sp- or Spider-Man. I've always loved those two. Iron Man, in third place. Poor Iron Man. Poor Iron Man. So, what do we got next on our list? Speaking of uh, Spidey people, uh, our Ben, our boy, Ben Riley, The Scarlet Spider. Oh, yeah, the book I don't know why I buy. Yeah, that's both of us. Um, um, yeah, so... Well, that, the Slingers came back, so that has some, that has some legacy connotations. We, we love weird. the Slingers. It's weird to me, because... I feel like whenever I think about what year it is, I feel like I always feel like it's early 2000s in my head. So I'm always like, well, that can't be Legacy. That's only from like characters that were introduced in like 98, 99. Oh, wait, that's like 19 years ago. Like yeah. They are Legacy characters now. And that makes me feel old because <laughs> they feel like something I bought yesterday. Right? Um, yeah, I guess I guess that's what it was. That book is such a train wreck. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> like, like At least when, when Will Slaney's in it, the art was so much better. And at least it's more enjoyable to look at. Because there was another artist who did a few issues there, and it was it was bad. It was rough. It was really rough, and it was just. But I don't even know what the book is trying to be anymore. Like, I, I know that Peter David is telling a story. I'm not sure what story that is. Like, what is it about? And this isn't really Ben Riley in any way. 
Like it's so bizarre. Like what is? Because it was already, already bizarre when they brought him back in Cloak Conspiracy. And then you throw in the whole Daredevil uh, and the Festo Soul angle of it all and death. death. Yeah, and it's like what is? And even happening? Kane feels like he doesn't really know why he's there. He sees something to do. Yeah, which, to do. which I appreciate that someone's doing something with Kane, but like, what is happening? Yeah, it's yeah, it's a train wreck. And so I think I mentioned to you. Did, have you read Amazing Spider-Man as part of Fresh Start yet? The first issue, not yet. No. Okay. Damn it. Okay. Sorry. Editorial completely dropped the ball oh. on something that happens, and which is fine in and of the issue. But when you realize that that character has been used elsewhere, Ben O'Reilly, Scott Spider, that same month, and both books exist in the same office, and yet that character is not even uh, in any way feels anything like that same character that is in the other issue in Amazing Spider-Man those two things don't compute at all and there's no editor's notes nothing to support any explanation they are (laughs) like you would feel like they had to be completely different people but they're not because they're identified by name in both of them without their mask on and you know exactly who it is and it just doesn't fit and I'm just like like I'm not mad at Nick Spencer I'm not mad at Peter David it's not their fault it's someone else's fault to say um you can't use that character. It doesn't fit with what the other guy's doing. Or to say, you know what, that's better than what the other guy's doing. Can you change this to something else? But they don't do that, and instead it's just dumb. Because if you read both, it's just like, come on, guys. Like, it's just, in the same month, like, within a week, you get appearances of the same character, and yet it doesn't make any sense. Like, you don't even try to hand-wave it away. Like, there's no editor's notes to try and... Or, or like some sort of dialogue box to say, this is why this happens, or to say anything that would at least... Add foreshadowing to the other appearance. Like, there's nothing. Okay. And I'm speaking as vaguely as I can. Because so I, really I don't want to give away up. what it is. <laughs> so when you read Amazing Spider-Man, you can come to me and be like, okay, can you tell me what happened with X? Because you're probably not going to read those bananas issues of Ben Riley, But you are going to read Spider-Man because it's a fresh start. Okay. Okay, let's get to that. Uh, do you want us to like, start blazing like let's Black Bolt and Black Panther? Yeah, see, a lot of these... Now, so Black Bolt, at least, again, signified a new arc. So it was, you know, the Midnight King returns to Earth. Okay. Um, I gotta say, I was shocked by Black Bolt because it made me feel bad about Absorbing Man. Because <laughs> him and uh, and Black Bolt uh, become friends in a, in a prison. Uh, Black Bolt and Absorbing Man become chums in a prison. Yeah, it's actually pretty good. What, what prison did they put Black Bolt into? We have each Oh, it's like an intergalactic prison. Who has Absorbing Man in, in space? Oh, I can't remember where I was there. <laughs> Not important. <laughs> okay. Uh, next up, uh, Black Panther. Oh, Panther. Okay, so again, legacy number that bring back Claw, and it was a big Claw storyline. It was actually pretty cool. They used Claw in inventive new ways. Okay. Uh, what else? So got? Cable. All right, so Cable, I read this. Um, this works because he's going through his legacy right now in the current story arc when he's like, yes, this organic, techno organic thing is chasing him through different time periods, right? So we see. But before we got that, we had the newer mutant storyline. Well, that past fears I'm talking about, right? Yeah. So newer mutants was what then? I can't even remember. Oh, wasn't he back in time with the... That was the rougher art we were talking about, I think, with John Mallon. Oh, with the Eternals? Yeah. Mm. No, that, that, again, that is pure legacy. It's a new storyline pushing the character into a new direction, but also using characters that we haven't seen in, like, 20 years in some cases. And every 90s sealed to us, I guess. Yeah, and then the storyline you mentioned after that, that felt very legacy. Because that was kind of like a cable, this is your life. Right? And some of the stuff there was so specific. And as you... Like, you were showing me, like... This happened before Cable 59 from 1993, mm-hmm. or the volume that's yeah. 93, so it's like 98 comic, or what? But like, I love that they actually did that. 
Like, how often do you see editor's notes like that anymore? Saying That's pretty crazy. Especially right? to that point. Yeah. You know, because how many people really care about that? Like, how many people are going to be like, oh, shit, this happens before that appearance that I have from my long box from 1998. Oh, my God. Most people not. Right. I was. I was totally like, I love that comic. This is amazing. Yeah. Because when I saw the costumes he was wearing throughout them and all the different, like, they adapted the art style to kind of look like that period, and I, I was over the moon. So that worked yeah. for me. No, they did, I, I did enjoy that run. All and right. It was cable for sure. What else? Uh, Captain America, I've read since uh, Hydra Caps. So, so Captain know. America was interesting because, like, it didn't, like, I don't know if I would have called it a legacy, <laughs> but it was definitely, see, again, I almost felt like that was the fresh start. Because, in fact, I think it's funny that when I read the actual fresh start, Captain America number one, I felt like it was less of a fresh start than the legacy stuff. Because the legacy stuff felt like this is a man who needs to rediscover himself in America after what happened as as well as a result of Secret Empire. Right. Then when you read the Tanahisi, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Coates run of, of Captain America that just started, it feels like it's much more like in the aftermath of him in Secret Empire in a way that Legacy didn't feel like. But it was really good. It was by Sonny. Uh, it was really good. And then you had a weird banana storyline in the future, which was, I thought, a little less enjoyable, but it was, it was a good run. Uh, we, got, we got Captain Marvel. I don't even remember this. <laughs> She's your girl. No, Captain Marvel? Carol? Oh, Ms. Marvel, I'm sorry. I was going to say, Ms. whoa, Marvel, whoa, whoa. Wrong, wrong Marvel. Like, um, you know what? Geez. I know I read it. Couldn't tell you anything about it. I don't know if that bodes very well. I feel like... They've been putting out a lot of Captain Marvel stuff, yeah. and she and shows up a lot of places. Like, that's one thing, and then she'll have a, a six twelve issue run of something that she'll be back at number one. She's probably the most confusing number one of all of them because they can't keep her running for any period of time. It does feel like it, yeah. Right. I would agree with that. What else we got? Champions. Champions. Again, Worlds Collide goes back to Yeah, so Avengers. I guess that felt like less of a... Like, well, I guess it is legacy because you had them kind of fighting the Avengers and that kind of idea of... You know, a lot of the older legacy characters like showing up. Kind of yeah, but it didn't really feel like it needed to be. Um, but yeah, I guess they, they they count Northern Lights as part of the storyline. So the Northern Lights was the part by where Jim Zub comes in the book, and uh, they go up against the Master. They actually see a lot of the actual Alpha Flight characters, like actually in Canada, uh, which is cool. And th- and that's where they introduced the character Snowguard, who's um, I guess an Inuit character. Uh, which is cool. So, and we're, that book has gotten a lot of press as a result. But uh, you know, I've enjoyed Champions. Uh, I actually think that Jim Zub maybe has a better handle on it than Mark Wade did. Because um, Mark Wade, I liked the beginning of it, but then they went too hard on certain things. Yeah, I I had started on the book and I, I stopped at Worlds Collide. And like, I don't know if I'm liking where this is going. Yeah, well, especially with those other characters who were like the what the were they the mercenaries who were. Remember they were up freelancers. The freelancers, yeah. yeah. I couldn't stand them. Yeah, they were a weird bunch. And it's so like the book, and I don't know if Ramos went a little over the top, but it just it started to get away from itself. Whereas the first two issues were so solid, um, you really felt you had a feeling for the characters, what they were going to do, how what they were going to be like together, uh, and then it kind of went away. It's very true. I really enjoyed like the all in all different squad, like when when mm-hmm. Sam and Kamala and Miles were with Tony, and they were a great uh, trio. Um, Jane and Vision there and uh, I'm very sad that book didn't get a longer run like it got basically 23 or 24 issues or something like that did it even get that long? yeah because it stopped at Secret Empire just before or something like that oh yeah but it really got tanked in the middle with Civil, Civil War 2 though killed that book I know Know, like Civil War Two killed it or, or hobbled it yeah. and then it finally ended yeah. Which, <laughs> by the time it ended I don't think I missed it anymore no I know I guess it's kind of how I feel like with um 
uh, was it Remender and his Uncanny Avengers. Like, he had that first volume, that 25 issues, which is pretty tight. Then he had Axis, which was kind of crazy. And then he came back and did another volume, which was totally forgotten. Like, it's like it never happened. That's like a weird, like, wasn't this a trade that came in? Yeah, it was like, yeah. yeah. It, they went to the High Evolutionary and they had some stuff with, with uh, you know, uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch kind of grappling with the fact that they're not Magneto's kids. Which I still don't like because it changed. That's really stupid. And then also, wasn't someone with Pym and Ultron becoming Ultron that, in that story? That no, that, that, ha- different book? that happened in an actual oh, Rage of Ultron. Yeah, that was an yeah. actual graphic okay. novel. And that was a while back, which is in and of itself a strange thing. <laughs> right. uh, we had Daredevil. Okay, so that felt like it kind of was a new, it was a new storyline, a, a new jumping on point. You had um, uh, Wilson Fisk had become mayor of New York. Where do you go from here? And then the second part of that storyline was that he's kind of uh, incapacitated. So then suddenly Matt Murdock is the mayor of New York, uh, which is kind of cool. So that, that is, was is this pre or post Jameson Jameson being mayor? But Jameson hasn't been mayor for so long, so long, man. Uh, then we had Defenders, which was kind of brief uh, by Bendis and Marquez. It was okay. I wasn't my well, favorite. That's just rocking off the, the TV show, right? The that, it was, stuff, yeah. Right? You know, I, I think it would have been more mm-hmm. enjoyable if it hadn't felt like it, it was kind of one of the last things Bendis was doing and kind of ready to leave. Like, if it felt like it was had more of a long-term investment than what it was could be, then maybe it would have been better. Uh, Despicable Deadpool, oh my God. So I don't think it's necessarily a legacy. I do think it's an amazing end to a run by Jerry Duggan. Um, have you read it? No, it's when he turns... Kind of bad. Well, yeah. Basically, yeah. He has to kill Cable because it's a job he's given by Strife. And if, if he doesn't do it, Strife's going to murder his family. Um, and basically, has to, he also has to atone then like, for the fact that he killed Phil Coulson in Secret Empire, or just before it happened, because mm-hmm. uh, Captain America asked him to. And Which is really interesting to see that character grapple with the fact that he was asked to do something by the man who trusted him. Uh, by the man everyone trusts. Why wouldn't you do so? If Captain America asked you to do something, you do it, yeah. right? And so he did it, and then he's kind of, you know, blamed for it afterwards, and he's like, we shouldn't have done it. And, uh, you know, he's, he has to defend himself, and it, it's honestly breathtaking how good it is. There's a lot of really strong emotional beats, and it's sad. And by the end, it's, it's, it's an emotional ending. And he really felt that Duggan was really, you know, sad to leave, but also, you know, it was probably also the time for him to he leave. He did his thing, yeah. He did his thing for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And it was actually the last issue, not only for him, but also for the editor of the book, um, Jordan White, who's moved over to the uh, X-Men office. Uh, and Jordan had been on Deadpool f- since the, um, what's it called, uh, Daniel Way run. So he'd been, wow. he'd been the editor of Daredevil, uh, sorry, Deadpool for a long time. That's so, crazy. you know, you have not only the person writing all the words and coming up with the ideas, but the person shepherding it all along is also leaving. So that's the end of an era. It's so good. That's crazy. I, even the fact that is still dead, I, I thought that would yeah, LMD or, or something. Yeah, like, it's one of, he's one of the few deaths that's stuck, yeah. which is weird. And, and it was like it happened in a Deadpool book, which you wouldn't expect. No. Right? And I mean, then if you didn't read it, you, you don't know. It was a, Did you read the death? Yeah. That was emotional. I know. Like that... Again, that book shocked me all the time because it, it played fast and loose with Deadpool sometimes, but it wasn't it wasn't afraid to stick with some emotion. Oh. Uh, the Doctor Doctor Strange had the Loki Sorcerer Supreme. So again, I, this is where I feel like it shouldn't have been called Legacy. It just, no, it, this should have been just called Fresh Start because yeah. this is all just new jumping on points. That's all this really was. Why do they call it Legacy? I, I don't know. It's purely the number. It, exactly. Yeah. So books. dumb. I know. It was a really um, weird initiative. I liked it. I thought it was it, it took the character in a weird jaunty uh, direction. I do think it didn't really allow 
I don't think it ended. I think it ended too briefly. The whole idea of Loki being the Sorcerer Supreme, but maybe that's all it was meant to be. And then I hated Damnation. I think you liked it, but I did not like. it. I did like it. Yeah, I, I was okay with it. Did not enjoy it. What else we got? Falcon. That was fun. It was a fun little book. Again, didn't, I, that one actually does feel like legacy because you have a character going from being Captain America back to being Falcon. Yep. Obviously, he was Falcon. I started with number one, whereas the Hobbit was an actual. Yeah, so that made sense. Yep. Uh, we had Generation X, which is kind of a fun little thing to have happen. I'm trying to think, what book did that even come from? Or was it just bringing Generation X back? I'm trying to think. You just remembered it. Remembered what, though? There was a Gen X book on the go. Was there? Yeah. I don't even remember that. Yeah, Quentin Quire and all those. Oh, yeah. And Jubilee and stuff like that. Couldn't even tell you what happened. Yeah, don't care. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. So, end of that run, right? So, that one, I guess, is legacy wise, but it was continuing an ongoing story. So, it didn't feel like that different, but it was the Infinity Quest, which led into everything that's going on right now because Duggan was the one writing it. So, okay. it is actually very important to everything Marvel's doing right now. Oh, good to know. Uh, Hawkeye by Kelly Thompson, who's actually going to be on the show. Um, actually, by the time this episode comes out, no, she has, she will not have been on the on the show yet. Um, it was fun. Um, I don't know if it was necessarily legacy, but uh, that book was fun all the way through. Iceman again, that was fun. Um, uh, yeah, I don't think you would have enjoyed it, but it was a fun. <laughs> book. And I think they're bringing it back. It got canceled, but it's coming back. And that's Ice. That's that's six one six Iceman. It is. Isn't he shopping around with past Ice Men too? That's not involved. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you have Incredible Hulk. So that again, this felt is the Iron show, right? Yes. So okay. That felt more legacy wise because you have him going back to Planet, Planet Hulk, Hulk and World War Hulk. Yeah. So that was a clear like there, you can draw a line there, um, and it, it makes sense because it's Greg Pak doing it too. So it feels less like you're ripping someone else off when you're ripping yourself off. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, it did feel like um, every, the events of Planet Hulk felt like they took place like 20 years ago in terms of how it felt when you read the book into what it was happening on Sakaar, whereas it should have felt like it was a couple of years. So I felt that was the only thing that bugged me, but otherwise it was fine. It definitely pushed that character in a different direction, which I'm not a fan of, because I like the idea that Amadeus is just a fun-loving Hulk. Instead, we got you know him turning more and more into Bruce Banner, which I didn't like. Uh, Invincible Iron Man, I guess legacy because it was the search for Tony, but what a dumpster fire. The whole Iron Man thing, right? From but have you, to start to so finish. first of all, this whole the many of these issues felt like there were four issues in one or three issues in one because you had three separate stories happening and none of them were really that good. And then the last issue was just absolute gobbledygook garbage. Uh, you know that the, do, do you care? Brody's back. Yeah. Brody being back makes no sense. They don't even try to explain it. Like they, not at all. Like none of it makes sense. There was something I read somewhere. It's supposed to have some weird relation that Tony came back from a coma so Rory could do the same thing. But, com- but he was dead. Yeah, he had a hole blown through his chest yeah. by Thanos. He was by recall, dead. Yeah, right? dumb. Yeah, was, yeah. The only good thing about Rory being back is there's a storyline in the Punisher where Punisher's running around in War Machine armor, and everyone's trying to take him down and trying to get their armor back. And that finally, the one man who can get him to give it back to him is Rhodes. He's like, just give me my armor back. He's like, all right, it's your shoulder. <laughs> That, that's all it takes? I, well, yeah, because he respects him. He respects another man in uniform. He doesn't respect anyone else. Like, if you think about it, everything we've ever seen about, about Punisher, he respects Cap. He respects right, the uniform. Right, seen, yes. He respects military, especially if you're not corrupt. Like, he, if you're corrupt, he won't respect you at all. There's nothing to not like about Rhodes. He's an honorable man who's been an Avenger as well. And, I mean, again, this is all kind of because of the movies, because the original version was less of a military man and more of a helicopter pilot. 
But um, you know, the way he is now, like he's in, he's a colonel. So why wouldn't I give him his armor back? It's not the same as Shield trying to get it back. It's not the same as Iron Man trying to get it back. It's the man who it belongs to, who's back alive now, who's in uniform, asking for the armor back. He's gonna he's gonna secede that request. Okay. Oh, that's Thank you, Mr. Castle. You are welcome. But otherwise, yeah, dumpster fire. Stay away from this <laughs> Iron Man. It was so bad. I just felt like he didn't have any idea what he was doing. Which is a shame because at the beginning it looked like, oh my god, it's gonna be great. And oh yeah, that first arc was amazing. And then it was garbage. Uh, dumpster fire. Uh, Iron Fist, that definitely felt legacy because Sabretooth's first appearance was in Iron Fist comic. So you have this whole storyline with Sabretooth being back in it. And then you have a weird three part arc that's taking place as part of Damnation. Um, but the Sabretooth stuff was really interesting and cool team up and, you know, just to see those characters interacting, you've, like, you would never see that. So that felt like a true legacy. Like bringing back these characters that originally appeared in this book so long ago right. that had moved on to other characters and become other people's arch villains, but bringing them back to where they started, that feels like actual. Nicholas yeah, Series 2 is round two, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jean Grey, so if, I forgot this even this book even existed. Uh, it's because it's. What's well, done now? It's because it's long since done. Yeah. It was a weird book because you had, like, the last issue took place after Phoenix comes back, or but it just felt very disconnected it was fine I don't think it was anything necessarily legacy about it Jessica Jones what do you do you gotta bring back Purple Man again like I just feel like there's a lot of diminishing returns you cannot keep bringing Purple Man back to Jessica Jones and have it mean the same um, so it was good and I like that it was Michael Gatos on art so it does feel like legacy because you have the creators of Jessica Jones coming back to do like, one last story together that's cool but other than that yeah and you're also just mooching off the Netflix success right I feel less that it was mooching off the Netflix success, though. Honestly, yeah. no. I just I think it was just it's Bendis' mm-hmm. baby. Like it's doesn't matter what it does in other mediums. It's still his baby. Uh, we Luke Cage. Cage. So that felt like a very that was legacy and again. So some of these it's interesting. The smaller books are actually eschewing to the what the legacy is supposed to be. It's the bigger books that don't seem to give a fuck. Right, right. It's just true. kind of doing what they want. Marvel two and one, very legacy. First of all, the title itself is, yes. a, is a legacy title. You're bringing back the bringing some of the Fantastic Four together to find the other members Four. of Fantastic Four who haven't been around since Secret Wars. This is a true legacy book. Yeah, and it started it, with Jim Chung and Art. Yeah, it's, it started. Yeah, it's pretty much the what the line should have been. It's the only book that actually really does it right. It's funny though. Why wasn't it Marvel two and one issue one hundred and one? Because I believe it ended with 100 back in the day. So of all the books to get legacy numbers, this one gets a number one? <laughs> really? Come on. It's a very good point. I really enjoyed this book. I really liked it. It's still uh, good. It's still, go- it's still going, too. Yeah. Yeah. It hasn't ended yet. It's sad because it feels like it has an expiration date now. Well, the Fan 4 is going to... Which is what, in like next week or two? <laughs> it's coming up. But I think it's interesting. Like, I, I remember reading like this and Spectacular Spider-Man kind of back and forth for a bit. And it's yep. both like ship. And um, really, you just... You know, the books have serious uh, tone to them when they need to be, but they're also fun books at the same time. So yeah. They really straddle the line nicely about being a, something very key to continuity of the, the, the grand Marvel universe, mm-hmm. but doesn't take itself too seriously either. No, not at all. Yeah. Uh, then we had uh, what, Mighty Thor, so that was really well done. Not nothing legacy, because this was what he was going to do no matter what. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how do you feel about Jane? We should do another mm-hmm. episode where we just do Jane. Just talk about, now that her run is over, we her, should go yes. through the entirety of her run as Thor. We absolutely can do Or we could wait till Aaron eventually leaves Thor and just do an entire... Never, you can't do it. No. Can't do it? Never. Till never do it. Till, till it never stop. 
He can never stop. It's just so good. Because <laughs> he, he keeps going to where you think he's going to end, and then he just, he previews more shit still coming. That's true. So that is true. He's I'm, got plans. I'm kind of surprised it's still going. Like, if you look at everyone who was writing a book when Marvel Now happened, yeah. he's, the is, he's the only one still standing. Yeah. Slot did make it through. Yes, until now. And to Pretty be fair, fun. he did start years earlier. Yes, so he did. that's allowed. Yeah, so the two longest running. I think so, right? Yeah. There's no one else? There's no other books? I can't think of any. Uh, Duggan had been on... Deadpool for quite a while. He actually started in Marvel Now. Yeah, you're right. Because he was doing that with the same. They were co-writing and eventually took it over on his own. Yes. So that was another one that went most of the time. Yeah. So, yeah. That's pretty impressive. I think think Aaron loves Thor too much to even stop. I think they're going to have to make him stop at some point. um, Because he'll just keep on going and going. It's a shame that he he stopped after Strange because he had a lot more mileage on that that he could have... G. Willow Wilson's been doing with Marvel since it started because she originated the character. I can't remember if she's leaving or not because I know she's writing Wonder Woman in the, in the in like the winter. She jumped over DC. I yeah, but I don't know if it means she can't do Miss Marvel anymore. Like that's her baby. Mm. I, I actually can't remember. I feel like I missed that. Anyways, after Mighty Thor, you had Monsters Unleashed. Um, still happening. I think it's over now. Wasn't it just a little short story thing? Well, it was, it was a crossover, and then it yeah. launched a character oh. who had their own book. Why? It was fun. No. Yeah, no, it's something for someone else. It's not for you. Clearly. You know what Ben probably would have liked? It? It's about a kid who like draws uh, monsters and they come to life. Oh, that's, that's nice. Okay, well, no one can hear you because you're, <laughs> you're like, slowly looking at me sinisterly. Uh, that, that, that's nice. I don't care. Okay. No. Moving on, no, then. For me. Uh, a book that's near and dear to my heart, Moon Girl and Double <laughs> Dinosaur. Now, this did feel like a legacy because she was teaming up with uh, Ben and, uh, and uh, Human Torch, and then they were trying to. They had the Fantastic Three kind of going on, um, but at the time she didn't have her dinosaur for a while. Um, I love that book. I know you don't like it or don't really care to ever try it, but um, I read her in Secret Warriors during Secret oh, yeah, Empire. That's right. She was kind of cute there. Yeah, she's adorable in her own book. And the fact that her one power is that you know she switches minds with the uh, Devil Dinosaur, so then she's you know the Devil Dinosaur's in her body but acting like a dinosaur, and then she's stuck in the giant dinosaur body. Uh, she's so much fun to read, um, but again, so that was the legacy part. You had a few issues where she was teaming up as part of the Fantastic Three. Then you had Moon Knight, which uh, didn't necessarily feel legacy, but was batshit crazy all, all the same. Uh, but that's just where they go with Moon Knight these days, trying to go as crazy as possible. Uh, so they definitely went crazy in terms of the lineage of Khonshu and the family that Khonshu has. Um, you had Miss Marvel, Teenage Wasteland. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'll have to admit, I still love Miss Marvel. I do think I'm not as big a fan anymore, but I just think that there's, as more of her happens, it's still enjoyable, but it's not the same as that first kind of year, which was so solid, um, but it's still enjoyable. Uh, it's kind of she what she does. Old Man Logan. Um, oh, yeah, Ed Burson was still writing it. Yeah, a lot of storylines. Uh, yeah, The Scarlet Samurai, which was bringing back a legacy character. Moon Over Magikor, again, more legacy characters, and then Moving Target with Bullseye. It's been a really good book. I'm still sad that it existed after issue 25. Because issue 20, or issue 24, whenever Lemire ended, felt absolutely perfect. It was done. There was no need for any more Old Man Logan stories. He, or at least not, because the next storyline was all about, more about the Wasteland stuff. But the whole point of that last part that Lemire did was that Old Man Logan was going to forget the past, which for us is the future, right. and just move on. because And he had the chance to go back home, and it was, it was a very emotional ending. And then the next issue is all about, you know, the the, the, the the Hulk baby he strapped to his chest at the end of Old Man Logan, eventually growing up and coming back in time and doing crazy shit. And it just didn't feel good. Do we... 
Do we need Old Man Logan? We're, yeah. we're, we're going to need a point between Wolverines, right? Yes. So, uh, it exists already. There, there was a book selling Mexico. Which Wolverine are you talking about? The girl, the old one, then now the young yeah. one in X-Men Blue. Like, when I saw Jimmy Hudson in X-Men Blue, I'm like, why? I know. Why? You, you don't need this character in here. Like, No, but they wanted yeah. to use his him as a character because he's interesting. You don't need him. Well, if you're only going to tell Logan stories, you don't need them. But if you do other stories about the legacy of being the son of Wolverine, then you could do more. And they were doing more. And I feel like they've been trying to do more with the character. I agree. If you're only going to have them to fulfill a Wolverine quota, it's not going to work. Yeah. Because uh, now you have... But that's part of why X, uh, X-23 has only Wolverine has worked, because she hasn't just been trying to be Wolverine. She's doing her own thing as a Wolverine character. So that still works. It's, it's still significantly different. I think the same is true with Jimmy. Personally, Old right. Man Logan, no, because I don't. Well, at least outside of his own book, when he's in his own book, he is different. When he's anywhere else, he's just cranky older Wolverine. Yeah, that's exactly what he is. Exactly. In fact, I'm pretty sure they name checked that a bunch of times. That he's just the crankier, older version of their dead teammate. That's right. It. So now that Wolverine's coming back after all this nonsense, yeah, about Wolverine. Maybe they'll send him back. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll send him home. Mm, maybe. You never know. What else we got? Peter Parker, the Spectacular Peter Spider-Man. So that didn't really feel legacy-wise, uh, but uh, issues two ninety-seven to three hundred did not. But everything after that did, because then you had them going back in time. Because then you had them going back in time. Yeah, okay. and that felt like very different. Yes, and you had very different ideas there. You had to kind of see what would you, current Peter interacting with young Peter be like. How what would that look like? They take out all the villains super easy. Um, I think at one point older Peter kind of spoils that. Like, yeah, that's Norman Osborn. What? He's like, that's Harry's dad, and I think he doesn't even meet, didn't even know who Harry is yet. Like, it's just... Yeah, there was a lot of messing around the time stream in that, like... Well, it's a different reality. I, I guess so, but... Very clearly a different reality. Fine. Because we see them go <laughs> to the future of that reality and seeing what happens. Exactly. Uh, it was interesting. Um, but I, what I, I, the only thing that's still part of the story I don't like, this whole Vidomi thing... Oh, I know. I was talking about that. I don't... Garbage. Not a big fan of that either. Yeah. Uh, Punisher, this is what I was talking about before, the Frank Castle War Machine... Uh, the only thing that didn't work for that was the art for me. The art was not really on point. Didn't really like how it made the armor look. It looked kind of weird and ugly. Uh, but the main story was that uh, Nick Fury Jr. gives uh, uh, Frank Castle uh, War Machine armor. And it, yeah, I know. That he can kind of atone for his sins that he did in... Um, that's working as part of Secret Empire because obviously he worked for, uh, for Steve. And that kind of comes to a hand after that storyline that's the Frank Castle War Machine storyline uh, where all the heroes go after War Machine. Uh, there's some crazy cool stuff that happens there, so that's been enjoyable. Uh, we have Royals, which I was not a huge fan of, uh, which is the Inhumans. Inhumans in space. I know. Moving on. They're killing us, aren't they? Uh, they are. It's happening right now. Uh, Secret Warriors. Uh, I just liked seeing that group together. Matthew Rosenberg was writing it. He had them going up against Mr. Sinister. That was fun. Nothing particularly legacy about it. Uh, She-Hulk, so he had to come back to the legacy numbering. Jen Walters must die, so obviously Jen has been dealing with issues ever since she was uh, beaten by Thanos, and so now she's a little bit more like a cousin, less polite than She-Hulk we know. Yeah, she's really... You're, you're reading her in Avengers, right? Yeah. yeah. How far did you get in Avengers? Three. Three. Is that, did she already make, make out with... Nope. Sorry? <laughs> did she bring someone to life, back to life? Using no. mouth to mouth? No. Okay. That was issue four? I, was I issue so. three. I Sorry. I haven't looked at the section thing yet. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, because there's even a weird thing where she interacts with uh, Thor in issue... One of the 700. Like, yeah. I mean, it was 700. One of the side stories. 700. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, like, 
I was not clear on... Yeah, I know she got almost died prior yes. to Secret Empire, right? No. Civil War II. Civil War II, thank you. Um, so it's, it's the artifacts of that that have made her yes. kind of... Oh, yeah, because she shit a book for a while. Well, I guess this that. It was Hulk. Uh, just called Hulk. Just called Hulk. And then it was renamed Shulk. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we had Spider-Gwen, which again felt less like Legacy and just more parts of the story, and now it's over. Um, but she's getting a new book as Gwen Stacy, or was it Spider-Gwen? Ghost Spider. I can't remember the actual name. It just got released in solicits this week as we speak. Um, but that just felt like more of the story. It didn't really feel like anything different. Uh, Spider-Man by uh, Brian Michael Bendis. The only thing that was legacy about it was bringing back mm-hmm. the same, same a version of the Sinister Six, although it had the worst portrayal and interpretation of the Hobgoblin I've ever seen. I really like to pretend it didn't exist. Okay. Uh, and then when the story ended, like it was just it was not good. I'll be honest, I didn't enjoy it. Um, it didn't feel like it had a proper ending. And then is this book done? Yeah, because Bendis yeah. left, right? Right. No. And that last issue, and the last issue Bendis wrote was was good, but it didn't feel like it was anything to do with what we'd seen previous, and it was more. Uh, a personal story for him recounting what it was kind of feeling like to be in the hospital when he was in the hospital last year because he had that illness. Um, so it was speaking more from personal experience, but it felt like less like a proper ending to that book. Less like the ending, it feels like he probably would have written any other time. I just did not love it. Uh, Spider-Man Deadpool, uh, I guess it became Spider-Man versus Deadpool. I still don't know what that book is. I just read like five issues and I'm still not sure. It is something. It's a weird, weird book. It's just a fun book to have on the side. Yeah, that's it's a side piece. Yeah. <laughs> it's not you're not supposed to you know love it forever and you know raise a family with it. You're supposed to go you know have some fun and go back to your family. Like that, yeah. That's what that, that's what that issue is. It's like a forced bromance that I just can't. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, Thanos uh, again felt less like and you know. That was one clear run, start to finish. It right? was. Yeah. Uh, no, 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 no. Because the first five issues I think was Lemire, wasn't it? It was someone else. And then Donny Cates came on. So it was someone else originally. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but I really like the Thanos win story. He did, they'd introduce a character. It's in the end or something like that, right? Yeah. It's and that's where Cosmic comes from? Yeah. Cosmic Ghost Rider comes from there, and that has taken on a life of its own because people love that idea. Yeah. Um, well, it's just the spider Gwen. It's such a great... Like, do you, like it's Frank Castle. It's Frank Castle, yeah. But then he died, and he made a deal with the Mephisto, and he came back as the Ghost Rider. And then he became Silver Surfer. And basically, and then, yeah, I ended up becoming the Cosmic Ghost Rider. It's so crazy. Over the top, but it's fun. Um, Why not? Right? The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. Uh, I've never read this. I cannot get You haven't read this? I can't. I know I'm going to be in the minority because a lot of people love it. And I'm sure I would love the writing. I cannot. I just don't like the Erica Henderson art. It's just not for me. Huh. Like all this shit usually, okay. I, I know. Uh, the next one, especially. The Gwen Unbelievable Gwenpool. Uh, that book ended. Um... It was so good. I am praying for the hardcover omnibus format. If it doesn't happen, I'm just going to have to pick up all the trades so I can have it on my bookshelf and easily give it to people who aren't you. Um, <laughs> um, who aren't me. Because I just don't think you could, you could get into it. I know. I read her in Champions once and I could not... Uh, I, I do... Well, I don't think that was a fair I mean, representation. It was, it was, it was, a, a part of it was. It wasn't a... The first couple... I mean, Champions was at least in the middle of her run, but the first few appearances, they hadn't quite nailed who she was going to be yet. So they're not they're a little rougher to read, but when she has her own book and that that art team is on there, which I believe is by Girhu or um, like I, don't, I don't think that's actually who it is. I think usually it's like a team. Uh, it's been so good. Um, anyways, I love it. Uh, you got U.S. Avengers. Uh, only had about a cut two issues as part of Legacy, uh, but it was all about Cannonball and kind of getting Cannonball back from wherever he was. That was fun. Like, he was like lost in space. He was Secret Empire, right? Yeah. 
Uh, you had Uncanny Avengers. That was when you had more of Jim Zub and uh, Sean Isox. Uh, that was fun. You got Beast in there and Wonder Man. It was fun. It wasn't long, but it was fun. It was kind of a... Well, end of that run before No Surrender. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why Jim Zub was kind of part of the No Surrender crew, because he'd been just writing Uncanny Avengers. Uh, then you had Venom, um, which you had very much trying to be a legacy book because you had Mark Bailey Lethal Protector. It. The first storyline was called Lethal Protector, then you had Venom Inc., and then you had some other stuff that wasn't as good like Poison X. Uh, the, the nativity was fine. When the book ended and where the next Venom book starts are worlds apart in terms of, like, I, I want to know, they're never going to show me, but I want to know why his life went to hell because at the end of the Mike Costa run, it was fine. Eddie Brock was happy. He had a, he had a semblance of a life. And the next time you see him, he look, it's gorgeous art because it's... it's um, Stegman? It's Stegman, uh, and very stylized, obviously, especially after coming after Bagley, which is much more polished. Uh, but it was just over the top, and you know, it's just insane now. Uh, I got Weapon X, one issue, or it started with issue 12. Um, that is a book that I don't know what the point is, um, but it's kind of fun sometimes, depending on the artist. Um, the most recent arc has um, Old Man Logan thinks he's dying, so he gives... Um, chart, you know the, the it's now Sabretooth's uh, team to run it's a fun book it looks good has good art it's just telling kind of big crazy stories with what is Sabretooth supposed to be now he's inverted still is he still he's the only one left because even in fucking uh, Wolverine yeah. nonsense with Dakin and Deathstrike yeah he's still saying I want to kill your papa and stuff like that he still so, does <laughs> he's always going to want to kill him uh, well, we'll, we're, well, this is going to end our segment pretty fast. Uh, what issues do we have left before we run out of power? X-Men Blue and Gold. Nothing changed there. <laughs> okay, well, I did enjoy the Mojoverse thing. It was I, okay. I think that was a great little story. That I was I, enjoyable. I, I would read that Oh, I didn't say in a bad way. I love Blue. Gold is a train wreck. But no, but, I, but even Gold... As part of the crossover, that, was that crossover was good. Yes. Uh, yeah. After that, you get into like, that War garbage, Brotherhood garbage, uh, Death Toast Park garbage. Like the, the, the supposed wedding of garbage is a little strong, but it's, it hasn't been strong. Rough. I don't know why I keep going because young know, Guggenheim fooled me because he wrote that Extinction Agenda book in part of the Secret yes, Wars, and I like that. That was actually good. I don't know why. Why I can't speak to why, but I remember reading it and, and digging it because it felt maybe very nineties and it mm. worked. Um, so I gave him another shot at it, and like, no, you're about to see trash you did before. Damn you, Guggenheim. I like Guggenheim. And so, I just don't so like the book. Gold, because the characters I wanted to read were there. I was, yes. I'm done with the original five that came back for no reason now. I want... It's only been six years. Right. That's right. a long time. Right. And Especially. we ended off with X-Men Red. I love so, it. Tom Taylor, who, you know, I like through Injustice. Yeah. Um, He's taking his time with it. Too. Yeah. Like it feels like it's a like now I I know that the you, the only problem you have with that book is Cassandra Nova. Yeah. Been, otherwise it's been pretty good. An enjoyable book, no? Yeah, no, I have no issue. It's it's been a good book. I don't mind the team she has with her. Um no, the team's been I, good I, too. I like the, the kind of red costumes. I think they're pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so I know a lot of people initially didn't like her armored up kind of weird looking costume but I'm cool with I think it's very uh, I think it's just nice good mix of it feels like the first the first time we've ever really gotten a good sense of who Jean is because, yeah that's true you know it's the, her first time really I, maybe not actually but it feels like it's the first time of her actually leading a team I guess she led a team during that weird uh, end of the dream storyline right before Claremont came on sorry right before uh, Morrison went on the X-Books 
you remember? Yeah, where she had that weird kind of phoenixy looking outfit. Yeah, she led a team there. For Cyclops. Yeah, kind of a yeah. uh, Shades of the Giants as X-Men number one, where she had kind of escaped, had to put together a ragtag team and go in to save Professor X. And then besides that, I can't really think of a real time she's been a team leader. Uh, not like this. And uh, I like the idea that, you know, they really recognize the fact that she's been gone a long time. Uh, like, they make no bones about it. Like, this is not a world she recognizes anymore. Like, I don't know how many years it's actually been, but it's been a while. Absolutely. Like, think about how much shit has happened while she's been gone, while she's been dead. Um, I The one thing I wish I understood more, and I don't think they're ever going to be able to explain it because so many different writers have fucked it up, is anything, like, what is the Phoenix Force? Like, it's just gone now? Because she talks about it, like, that it's gone now, and she doesn't have to worry about it anymore. She doesn't have to worry about it if she uses her power. She doesn't, like, even in the most recent issue, she was, like, using, um, what was it, C. Rebro? You haven't even gotten there? She uses C. Rebro? Maybe. Does the name mean anything to you? They issue with so. Namor on the cover? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the underwater, and they call it C. Rebro? Because it's oh, a version of C. Underwater. Rebro Underwater? <laughs> Did that somehow escape yeah, the notice? Okay. I, maybe I missed that. Yeah, okay. Um, and she's you know hooked up to it, and she's you know, and she's she has a line of dialogue where she says that she's never really been able to kind of outstretch and use her powers to their fullest without worrying about the phoenix kind of lurking and being around there and being scared of it kind of tapping into her, right. uh, which is interesting. So I don't really know what the phoenix even is after all that. Well, she expelled it when she came back. I still don't know how it even exists after EVX, to be honest. That's what I mean. Right? Like, well, we've seen it since Quentin then. has had it a couple times. Yeah, it was a big part of the Shi'ar uh, right. war thing. Uh, Shi'ar war over Zaggard. And, like, and that's more egregious to me because Aaron wrote that. And Aaron yeah. was also part of EVX. Yeah. Because he wrote... He did, right? Yeah, he, he was writing over in the next minute of the time. Yeah, yeah. He was part of it. Again, it feels like 800 years ago, but it was only six No, exactly. Ago. But they made it very clear that the Phoenix Force was gone after that. Yeah, but they've used it multiple times since then. Yeah. And uh, again, with so did something with Secret Wars cause it to still be a thing? Then I mean, it's easy to say everything. That, that, that is, has to be it. Everything is because that's, of Secret that's Wars. That's from the guff in there. It's funny. Reed Richards makes everything back to life, and then you know makes everything worse. <laughs> I do have to say. Uh, so I, I think as homework for you, you, you need to read all the current Infinity stuff. It's really good. Like, yeah, I'll get on that. Like read it all together. Read, you have to start with Guardians because that's where they first kind of explore it. The idea that you know the power the power stone is now a huge thing um i like that they build it into the idea that because this is a new iteration of reality and people know it that that's why the gems are different they're not the same anymore and that's why they're different colors because they match the movies now that's why they're not the same size anymore and i like that again that they're not just pretending like this isn't that they've always been this way it's a very you know they're just kind of jumping in and saying no the world is different everything is different now and everyone has to kind of figure out how to how to operate in this new version of reality i like that because i feel like a lot of it would have been too easy to just hand wave it away but instead they're actually making it part of the story and that's why people are so scared of them now because even even the effects of the stones aren't quite what people remember them being because once we saw them it was Hickman's yeah. run yes right yeah because he destroyed them called? except for the time gem and then they had the time gem which helped Cap America go back and into the Jump future around a bunch for of a bit. yeah and I don't think we saw it after that well yeah but then in Secret Wars didn't Panther grab a set from secret yes <laughs> storage room and they, they weren't of 616 reality they were no. one reality's yeah set of gems that's right it, that right? is right yeah there was some something there so I'm gonna ask you another question before we sign off so if you could pick of the last I'm gonna call it 20 years but in the last no I'm gonna go back further in the last 28 years if uh, which which storylines do which like kind of crossover events were your favorite, and which one would you be most interested in seeing them redo? 
Like, what do you mean redo? Well, not necessarily like, like throw it on the big screen or no, 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 definitely not. Oh. Not necessarily a sequel, but like kind of see what the current Marvel universe would do with that kind of threat. Oh, heavy question. I know. Heavy thoughts. And I went twenty-eight years, so that you have until nineteen ninety. So you have a lot to choose from. Well, because I feel like if I narrowed it down to just like the last ten or fifteen, I think it's pretty easy. I think when you go farther back, it's harder to include more time. That's true. Like there's like there's things that I think that could could given the right scale maybe do better now, Uh, especially with you know I would say arguably some of the writing is better than it's been in comics. Not always, but I think you know they they've got it down. Maybe some of the best storylines of the '90s could have been better. Or could have been worse. Um, like there's some I would never want them to try and recapture because I don't think they could. Like Age of Apocalypse, I don't think they ever could because I think it was just just crazy enough to work. You know, like and it was the first time anyone had ever done that, so there was a sense of newness to it. But the fact that you were able to have that many books all running and doing their own thing, but then all coming together and having each one play a piece of the final puzzle, that worth that to a certain degree. Yeah, not quite as big. No. Because, like, and all the times the Secret Wars didn't matter. A lot of them were relevant. Very few had yeah, Did any of them really matter? Very few. Why, what's the few? I can't even think of anything that mattered. Uh, right? Like, some of them mattered later, or a little, like, Thor's, Thor's mattered had later. Bigger, but, yeah. but didn't really matter at the time. No. It, I, it's such yeah. a fun book. Oh, it's a very fun book. And obviously, it, it did matter for Aaron's run. Now, in an eventual omnibus, do you think it'll be, like, they'll have Thor's in there, but do you think Original Sin will be in there? I think it has to be, only because one of the biggest moments, the unworthiness, yeah. happens in that. But, and it's only that bugs but, but, they, but they've done the oversized hardcovers, and that's not in there, when they collect all the Thor's. They, haven't they done Thor by uh, Jason Aaron, the kind of deluxe With hardcovers? Thor, yeah, yeah. And well, because it happens between God of Thunder and Thor, yeah. right, when Jane first gets the hammer. So, like, you, I, pretty much, you, you read... The God of Thunder stuff, you read original Sin, and then you yeah. go to Thor. It's not like it's a big... It would be two omnibuses, right? It'd have to be, because you have, what, at least two. Because you have 25 issues of God of Thunder. Um, or, sorry, what was the first one called? God, Thor, of, Thunder. Thor, God of Thunder. Thor, God of Thunder. Yeah. That went to 25 issues, I think, right? Uh, I have four hardcovers. So. That's about right. Yeah. So, okay, so 25 issues of that. Then you have, what, eight of Thor? It's nine with an annual. Yeah, nine. eight issues, nine with an annual. Okay. And then you and add in the mighty Thor. Okay, and that one, how long? Uh, well, I guess everything just fine. I don't know where. Oh, well, hold on. Thor's Thor's Thor. When does Thor happen? Thor happens after. Sorry, when does Thor's happen? After Thor's happens. In Thor one to eight, there. and then you have Thor's. Yeah. So you have that that eight issues. Yeah. And then you've had, and then however many issues of of uh, Jane Foster's Thor, which I think was thirty something. So it might even be two omnibuses, at least two, maybe even the third, depending on how long he keeps going. And if you throw in Original Sin, which Original Sin would feel weird in there because really it doesn't, he's barely there. I know. He basically goes, because Aaron writes the whole him with Angela and Loki thing on the oh, side, yeah. right? Oh, would you, you'd have to include that too. Yeah. Yeah. Which That'd doesn't be, really matter either. It, like, it pumps Angela's tires more Where there. is Angela now, anyway? Is she just, she's gonna, well, she's going to be, uh, Asgardian, Guardian, Asgardian of the Galaxy. Asgardians right? of the Galaxy, Asgardian, that's, that's right. That's her next that's thing. The last we left her was Hell, I guess. It was, yeah. It was ruling Hell. All right. Um, well, I, I mean, you never know, though, because for a while, you know, Strong Guy was the master of Hell, and then no one cared about how long that story, so that's threw that away. And I blame um, him. Um, um, we're back to the, original, so, okay, yeah, so Asia Pop, so, so, hold on, sorry. 
But with Jason Aaron's Thor, probably three omnibuses. Like, at minimum two. But what, what's a typical omnibus? Typical, typical omnibus, issue-wise, could be anywhere from 25 to 40. Okay. So it's at least it's going to be at least two. Yeah, so you could do the God of Thunder is one massive thing. Like, I feel like you'd have God of Thunder is only 25 issues. That's not even that long. I think you'd, you'd have to throw in something else. You could throw in... Uh, I guess Rachel Sinkin can piggyback at the end. Because that's and, kind of the end of that. And the original Sin Thor and Angela. Yeah, so that you really want to shoot in there. You could, and then you would have all of the, all the James, James stuff, stuff in one, big which thing. is forty something issues. Yeah, uh, so that'd be pretty big. And then you'd have whatever happens now. So it better be long, otherwise, like the it's just like if his own lens have been like six issues. You're like, what is this? <laughs> no, I, I, he has a lot still to tell. I think he's got all these these artifacts just to find from Asgard that got scattered around the Earth. Sure. He has the War of the Realms still coming. Mm-hmm. Lots of problems still to solve from that. Sure. Rebuild Asgard. Um, so back to my original question. Right. So um, top three storylines of the last eighteen years that you've enjoyed the most. And I'm also thinking, like, which one would you go back and want to read? Like, you know, rereadability is important. That's very true. Well, I, you know, always have the soft spot for Onslaught, um, which, as much as it was an X-Men story, I really felt it resonated really well with other parts of the Marvel Universe. It did. Um, well, yeah, yes and no. Like, people were really just involved in, the, in, in trying to contain the chaos, as opposed to really being involved in the story. Now, the main story is basically Onslaught saying, I'm going to destroy the world that's it and then the hero's like we gotta stop right but like there is more subtext there but it's only for X-Men the subtext is only for them sure so everything else I guess the FF is, has a little bit more skin in the game because their kids been abducted but everyone else really has nothing it's just we gotta defend the world that's it yeah that's true I guess you see all these different times and crossovers over the years and depending which Office is more centric into it, you know. Mm-hmm. The Avengers story, the Avengers will lead the charge more X Men are more the X Men. Who knows? Like in oh, Civil yeah. War, for example, right? Like I love Civil War. You had Civil War two, which was garbage in comparison. Yes. Um, so it's really unfair to your question, but like the original Civil War was yeah. it was massive and groundbreaking at the time. Yeah. And then like well, the even Secret Invasion, there wasn't a lot of X Men at all. They had like a time, but they weren't like a center part of. Oh, it was bad! Version. It was a total waste opportunity. To crazy yeah. stuff with the X Men. They were infiltrated more hardcore. Yeah, they weren't really a thing. Yeah, even Civil War, the X Men were just kind of pushed off to the side. I mean, both of them. I know. It just well, because Bendis wasn't writing the X Men then. It's interesting, actually. He wrote the X Men, but he never wrote an X Men crossover. Uh, there was um, Charlie Jean Grey, with him, then the Guardians. Okay, and the Black Vortex. And I guess technically Battle of the Atom, but that was eccentric only. Yeah. They didn't leave the books. No. So besides going into another book that he was writing, which was Green, Green uh, Guardians, there was nothing. Like, it's kind of weird. Like, all those years on the Avengers, and you had House of M, which was a big event. You had, you know, um, well, he didn't do Civil War, obviously, but it was still in that tenure. Uh, you had him do Secret Invasion. You had all this stuff. You had Siege. All these big storylines. Not one for the X-Men. Yeah. It's like he used all up his he used up all his cachet and they're just like, you know what? You're not allowed any more of these. You gotta give them to someone else. True, right? Well, I mean, he was involved in AVX, but again he was an Avengers writer at the time, so yeah. it doesn't doesn't feel the same. Alright, so you have a soft spot for onslaught. Does it make your top three? Dead air. 
Sorry, are you, are you asking? The original question was, what old stories could you, would you write? Well, that was, that was, like, that was an addendum to the, the, the question. Oh, okay. The big one was, what was your kind of your top three storylines for the top 18 next? Sorry, 28 years. Okay. Well, yes, I always rank Onslaught very high because it was. I guess I'm a sucker for it, right? Like, but you're coming up to the cottage, you can only bring these three events. What three <laughs> events are you going to bring and read? Now, um, that doesn't necessarily have to be a big one because you're going to be able to read more of it. Like, that's not. Right. That's not important here. <laughs> what storyline are you like? You know what? I really want to read this again because this is evergreen for me. This is my top three. Yeah. So, Onslaught, um, not everything, but a good chunk of the first Civil War. And Wait, for Onslaught, you're going to cut out the Incredible Hulk issues, though, right? With the awful Angel Bidding Network? <laughs> Whatever. It's, yeah. Well, I, we have the four collected volumes. It's pretty easy. It's pretty contained. This is true. Okay. But Civil War is just fucking everything. Yeah. So, Civil War, you need the main book, you need the Amazing Spider-Man issues, and a handful of other stuff. And you need Fantastic Four. You're pretty good in it. Yeah. I think that's kind of it. Yeah. The new Avengers stuff is really good. Yeah. Because Cage and stuff. Like, yeah, it, it's kind of, it, It's hard. It's, well, although, yeah, you do get a, a, a main story in Civil War, though. Like, you can just kind of read you it. Do. Yeah, there's only a few key times that you need to really worry about, but otherwise, it's pretty good. All right, so um, Onslaught, Civil War, what else has come with you? And I'm trying to think what else is in the bookshops that I have. Let's see if I can that. Uh, well, I'm chewing on it. You can give me your top two. Give me two or three. Uh, event-wise, I mean... It's only X wise, but can I use Age of Apocalypse? Or is oh, yeah. it? Okay. Well, it's a big crossover yeah, event. It's huge, yeah. Now, does Clone Saga count? It's huge, yes. but it only really matters still... to one character. <laughs> yeah, but it's still um, an event. Uh, then I'd probably use those two, because I love the Clone Saga. It has a lot of flaws, but it has a lot of good stuff that I think people overlook, uh, and some brilliant artwork. Uh, Age of Apocalypse, I think it always works. Uh, it's very out of the time. Um, the colors, the color work, especially, um, obviously the artwork is, you know, somewhat dated at times. Um, it tries to be very extreme, but not as extreme as a lot of things would later try to become. And it actually had a good story at the heart of it. So I would say that's pretty high for me. Um, the third one is where I struggle, just like you. Uh, part of me wants, like, I really liked House of M, even though it ended up not really mattering and not being the greatest story, but, like, I liked it a lot for a while. Um, so that's pretty solid. Civil War for me, I never really liked it as much as anyone else. Like, I liked it, but I never was, like, blown away by it. Uh, part of me wants to say AVX because, you know, it was so big, but at the time felt important. Like, I don't think it ended up really mattering as much as it could have and should have. And I don't feel like it ended up having the shadow it needed to have, um, in terms of what happened there and really pushing. Like, it should have made the X-Men on the run, really on the run, but it didn't really do that. Um, it should have changed things for someone. It should have it should have been felt earth shattering. It should have felt world changing. And I feel like it never really delivered on the promise. But the storyline itself, when you're reading it, is exciting as hell. Yeah, and there's crazy stuff that happened in that book that never get resolved and talked about again. Like when Danger has a bunch of the Avengers trapped and, and tortured in yeah. a way, and this, this, oh, kind of this mind loop, a, a Groundhog Day kind of scenario. Oh, yeah. They actually kind of break out of it, and they realize, oh crap, we're stuck in this thing, and then they get, she sucks yeah. them back in, like. Yeah, well, there's you know, a lot of shit. They escape there. that and they to recover from that and how that fucked them up. And yeah, there's a lot of stuff yeah. that happens there, but they don't. Yeah, they don't talk about it. I'm gonna say AVX. Yeah, I think I'll join you with that. 
Because it was finally crossed over that you you had to involve both those sides finally, right? You couldn't just ignore yeah. one of the factions or just use a handful of characters and, and you got some kind of dream team kind of versus battles that you wanted to see and who could uh, could take on what, who was the better strategy. Yeah. Was a it's definitely America. It's definitely bloated. Oh, at, for sure. As, we, as Nate and I realized, as you show up to my house with an entire short box. box. Hey, hey guys, I got the entire event. Let's talk about this. And holy shit. Especially because I told Nate, oh, just read AVX. That's fine. So you grab like the main story and you show up with like six issues. So much ephemera. And he's just like, I, I, what, what is happening? Am I ever going home? Look, he just looked at you with naked fear and terror. Like, why are you doing this to me? I haven't even read all this. That was pretty priceless. Well, yeah. uh, so we can toss this out pretty quick. But. Yeah, there's some stuff that's not as yeah. good, but yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's stuff I'm forgetting that I enjoy a lot as well. Um, but there's something about those that well, we we, we both were kind of like, what can we read? Secret Empire was a missed opportunity. Uh, Secret it's Invasion. Good. Sorry, Secret oh, Secret Invasion. Secret Invasion was a missed opportunity on a lot of fronts with how they could handle the school invasions. It was. It was weird. It, you know, it, it, it definitely brought out. I mean, what it ended, there definitely had a lot of good books that came from it. But you can't judge an event based on, oh, this is what they were able to do because of how it ended. I mean, a lot of Bendis-written ones were designed to do that. Like House of M launched the X-Men into a weird new direction, but it had nothing to do with the event. Like, it was one moment right at the very end, which, I know, you know it's kind of packed on. Well, it was one big what-if story until the very end where something mattered. And the what-if story felt like it mattered. I think it needed to have some sort of different ending. In order to really matter. Um, years ago, there was a, in Uncanny X-Men or X-Men, one of the two. This is in the 90s. Um, I remember one time they were like giving you a sneak peek at what, what was going to come ahead. And you had this one splash page. And it was all this ice and snow. And you had the X-Men in like this cool kind of new gear. And, and it was like, this was an upcoming storyline. It was because originally at the end of the Magneto War storyline, Magneto was supposed to change the pole, the polarity of the poles. And everything was, there was going to be like a new ice age almost. And it just obviously would find a way to reverse it at some point. But that's why the X-Men was supposed to be like that. And then they decided they couldn't do that. And they weren't going to do that anymore. Even then you had promo work making people excited. And uh-huh. instead you gave Genosha to Magneto, which was still a big deal at the time. And definitely pushed that character in a different direction. And it was interesting. And it was the first time they'd ever really done that. They'd actually let Magneto win. Um, but it was just not the way it was supposed to be. I don't know why I thought of that, but drop some knowledge right now. Thank you. Old school knowledge. Uh, let me ask one last question before we uh, go off. So you give me your top three events for the last 28 years. Um, this one's a little harder because okay. I don't know how quickly you can think of them, and even I would be somewhat challenged. Um, can you think of, or what is your favorite issue 600 of anything? Can you think of any? It's a, sh- it's a small list. A specific issue 600. Yeah, like there's Amazing Spider-Man 600. So that's the, uh, the marriage of um, uh, Aunt May and J. Jonah Jameson Sr. Uh, and he also fights Doc Ock. And it kind of sets the stage and sows the seeds for future Doc Ock stories um, that we'll eventually see way down the line with Superior, etc. Like 100 issues later. So you have Amazing Spider-Man 600. You have Daredevil 600, which... I- believe just happened um so you can't you haven't read that so i'm not gonna ask you about that I'm trying to remember which other 600s have happened uh i feel like we've gotten a bunch captain america 600 i think just happened well thor would have hit six but they didn't do anything for no they didn't 700 they did but not that's six. right so what would that have even been yeah i guess it's impossible to say because they change the number each time hmm. so maybe just amazing spider-man by default so only when you've read 
That's true. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny when we, when I when I had episode five hundred, uh, I called the episode "Happy Birthday" because that was the name of uh, issue five hundred of Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I don't know if that means I'm gonna. I don't know if that's a naming convention I'm gonna follow now, but um, it could be. <laughs> Just start doing that with episode six hundred. Well, can he be way up there? Or no. Yeah, that had six hundred. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Four hundred was terrible. Five hundred wasn't. Was it six hundred that Bendis did? Maybe. When they changed the numbering back, and then it was over. And it was yeah, like, at the very end. And they canceled his like 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 speech, and then it didn't matter. It was ne- never seen again. I think that sounds right. And then was he dead after that? Or he did something terrible? Oh, and then eventually they showed us what Death of X was and all that stuff. And then we found out that so bad. But but do people know now that it wasn't really Cyclops? Because it feels like people don't know that it's not him anymore. That it wasn't actually him who did this terrible thing. There was some other book where, like, they've gone so afield, right? Like, I know. One thing I thought was interesting recently, as much as I did not, I haven't been enjoying X Men Gold all that much. So issue thirty was the marriage of of uh, Peter and uh, and Kitty, right? Close me. So I was in spoilers. So it's interesting <laughs> that they, I guess they, they must have done it deliberately for the legacy idea in mind, so that the Gotham married in issue 30 of X-Men, because X-Men number 30, X-Men volume 2 number 30, was the marriage of Scott and Jean, which is a much better way, in every way. Like, it was a better issue, it had no fighting at all. Like, there was literally, the most fighting that happened in the marriage of uh, Scott and Jean episode, sorry, issue, was uh, Sabretooth watching the wedding, and being and snarling about it, and he's like way afield, like he's up like on the on the grounds, and it's all snowy or whatever, right? And then he gets like pushed, and it's Wolverine, but Wolverine's not there, and you just have in the snow him saying, "Don't even think about it." That's the most action that happens in that issue is a push from behind, and it also makes you wonder how did Wolverine spell in the snow so perfectly? Well, Creed was there, and momentarily pushed down. Like, how did he do that? Did he use his claws? Did he pee in it? I'm like, how did he do this? How did, like, it, it's one of those things that looks cool. Like, when you read the issue, you're like, well, oh, that's pretty cool. And you like, sit down and think of it. Like, that makes no sense whatsoever. Run with the many things we do in comics. But I do appreciate that issue, because as I said, like, it was, it was a character issue. There's no fighting. The most fighting was one push. Oh, no, I take it back. There's one other uh, potential fighting or use of powers when everyone goes for the garter and, and uh, Gambit like, sets off an explosion so he can get it. <laughs> yeah, that's the most action in that issue. So, do we think... And also as Charles Xavier being told by Scott Summers that he loves him. Oh. And I'm sure Scott, as he was looking at him, said, you know, was thinking, I love you, I will murder you. Someday. That was the plan. That's what the Phoenix Force. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Cyclops plans in advance, okay? Like, if I get possessed by the Phoenix Force, I will murder you. So, do you, will Cyclops come back? Yes. What happens upcoming storyline when we send the kids away? Yes. I think so. I, is it time? I think it's a good opportunity. I, I, think, I think the big reason is that no one really felt... I don't feel, feel like creatively or even in reality that anyone really felt like it meant enough. Like the death of Cyclops never felt like it meant anything because it was never, they made, never made an event of it in the, in the book because it, it, they wanted there to be mystery. Well, as a result, he made it so that no one, he didn't get to go out in something that fans of the character couldn't appreciate it or enjoy no, the death of his character. You, instead, you're just told that this character you love and have loved forever, 
I love the character, um, has done something terrible, but you don't know why. And then you have the idea that it looks like he's dead, but you're not really sure. And then you have an event where you think it's going to lead up to him doing something deplorable, but at least in defense of his people. And then it turns out he didn't even get to do that because he died of a disease, and he just died a few pages ago. And alongside multiple men, who also should not have died, it makes no reason why he was even there. Because he should be married somewhere with Layla Miller, but that's a whole other thing. But, like, <laughs> it's just, it's just, you know, what the, what the hell? This doesn't, like... It just feels like it, it leaves so much to be desired because you have a fan, maybe not a favorite, not everyone loves Cyclops, but he's a core X-Man. He's a Stanley Jack Kirby creation. He's been through a lot. He's a character that people do enjoy. And you just unceremoniously yeah, murder him in the worst way. The worst death. It was kind of the worst. And I, you know what? But from a storytelling perspective, I get it. It's, it's a cool reveal. But after the reveal... All your like once the surprise wears off, you're just like, well, that's stupid. Yeah, did he kill Cyclops? Like, like it was a surprise. I will give him that. Like, I did not see that coming. Did you see it coming that he was actually dead the entire time? That he died to the to the virus. That like no again storytelling one one. Did you shock me? Yes. Did you make me angry afterwards? Yeah, because it was just it didn't feel earned. It was it was like it was just. I mean, it's not the like at least Han Solo got to go out in a way where at least it was a cathartic moment. It was him trying to you know forgive his son and have this moment, and his his son turns away. That at least is a character defining moment for both. Right. Okay. It's not a throwaway. Now Luke just slumping over eh, a little bit more of a throwaway. Didn't feel the same, right? Right. So that's I feel that way about Cyclops that he deserved better. Yeah, he deserved to go down. And will he come back when the kids go away? I don't know. Maybe. I, I want to think that he will. But I also wonder, what's the point of bringing him back? Like, what will bringing him back do? Like, it's a, like for example, Havoc was a big deal for a couple of years. He was on the, you know, the Unity Squad. Absolutely. He was leading the team. He had some amazing stories, I remember, with him and, and Wasp. Yes. Which I really bought into. Yeah. And they had a family and how it kind of pushed him and he got scarred up. Like, big shit happens. And then you have everything that happens with Axis and him going bad. And then they just forget about Axis and they just kind of let him, he's just roaming the world. And then he decides to join up with Cyclops again. But Cyclops wasn't actually a bad guy, but he definitely had a bad havoc. And how does that work? And then you just kind of wrote out Cyclops but didn't really explain where he was. And it's just like, what? And then, and then Havoc shows up in X-Men Blue and he's all still demented. But I'm like, all right, well, that's continuity, so we got to go with that. And by the end of that, they're able to fix him. And now he feels regret for it. But like, that character was through the ringer for what? And so what is Cyclops coming back to? He's not coming back to people loving him. The last thing people remember is him kind of being a dick, you know, and everyone in the world thinking he's a mutant terrorist, um, you know, and, and, he, and mutants not really trusting him anymore, and Wolverine broke away from him because, you know, they thought he was pushing kids into battle and he wasn't, which is what Xavier had always done, so really he was just becoming his teacher. But, I mean, like, it's just like, what world are you bringing him back to? Whereas Jean, she comes back to a world that's totally different, but not a world that hated her, she went out on top. She went out as a hero. You know, like, ever since Jean died, like, she, she was beloved. So she feels like something was missing. Now you get this character back, people loved her. No one wants, in the universe, no one wants Cyclops back. So what is it going to mean for him to come back? And how do you make him a leader of the team again? How do you fix that? I don't know. It's just like, you can't, I mean, like, you've tried to figure out ways to bring Peter Parker back down to Earth and not have him be you know, a former billionaire and I was working as a science editor. Like, that, that, that's a rough go. But I'm obviously fans want to just get back to business because they understand that, that one of them was an aberration and one of them was more the status quo. So people are willing to just kind of go along with it because they just want to get back to good stories with Peter that are Peter stories, not Tony Stark light stories. Right. 
Absolutely. But what does Cyclops come back to? I know you, you have Uncanny coming back around the corner. Yeah. Right? What better way to launch it than have one of your faction characters back to, to go with it? Yeah. No one says he has to lead it. No, maybe, maybe you start, the, the book starts with his road to redemption or something. Can you see it, a book, though, without him as a leader, though? Like, I don't know if I can see Cyclops come back and not be a leader of a team. I just, it feels weird. Yeah, but even with the original five being back, you've seen Gene kind of do it. Other people lead the team over. True, but I'm okay with that because it's not the Cyclops who's had an entire lifetime of leading. You have a guy who's still very new to it. He's still figuring it out. Right, but what what condition will Cyclops be in when he returns? Will he be exactly how he was? Will he forget some of the shit that he did? Will he need time to recover? But the world was mine. forget. How, how much does it always forget shit that fucking people do? It gets glossed over pretty quick. Yeah, Cyclops like doesn't seem to get glossed over as well. <laughs> he doesn't. I don't know. I, don't know. I, he, I he, hear Captain America was Hydra Cap. But they're dealing with that in the books. Which is good. Well, only his own book. Right. He's fine everywhere else. Yeah, right. Um, do you... Do you think they'll ever fully really fix the X-Men? Like, do you think you... Or have they just... They're just something different now. They've just gone too far, and there's no going back. Well, I mean, but... Someone could say that about comparing, you know, 80s X-Men to 90s X-Men. Like, there was such a huge difference, right? Like, you had... Well, first of all, in the 80s, you had various different teams. But if you had, like, the Outback team, and you're looking at, well, this is the X-Men I grew up with. I like the Outback team. I like, you know, Psylocke and Rogue and Dazzler and Longshot. I'm less worried about the roster. I'm more worried about... What are the X-Men all about? Are they still wanting to be the school and the teachers and and yeah. raise these mutants to be the next generation of X-Men? Like, how old are, are Rockslide and Noel and all these young X-Men at this point? I don't know. It's interesting. There's a, I forget which writer it was, but one writer tweeted out recently saying that, you know, why do people assume that, X, that you know, Cyclops is in his 30s? He's really in his, like, mid to late 20s. And I'm like, I can't see that. I Get what he's saying that he shouldn't be that different, that different in age from, from Peter Parker. But I feel like he, he they've never written him like that. Like he feels that he's always been in his thirties. Like he just even even going back to 1978 when they launched all new, uh, all different in the Giants as X Men. Even then he felt like late twenties. Like he never felt young. Right. You know. I mean, in the sixties he did, but then ever since he's he's felt like an adult. And then especially when he got like married and had like a kid and stuff, like he just felt older. Um, so, like, how old are these characters? I don't know. Like, how old is Jubilee? I don't know. She started out as, as like, a kid. Yeah. She was, like, 15, 16 years old. Like, we've, we've seen Kitty now mature into a woman and a leader. Yes. Kind of be the, the Nightwing of, of she, the X-Men. She's definitely in her, like, late 20s. Like, she has to be. Like, she had her early 20s phase with Pete Wisdom. Back when they made Kitty sexy in the 90s, and she was just <laughs> sleeping with, with Pete Wisdom. And all the Kitty purists were like, oh, no! Because they were like, because they ever saw her as like a 14, 15 year old kid. She was 14 years old in the originals. So even if you allow for 10 years, she should only be like 24 years old. But the character is not written that way. She's not written like a 24 year old. She's gone to university, but she was also super smart and could have gone faster through. I feel like she's at least mid to late 20s. But if, that, but if that's how late she is, how old is Cyclops? You know, same. Because the minute she got on the team, that starts a clock. So if she's 28, it's been 14 years. So how which already is farther than the sliding time scale usually likes to be. They usually like to say that, you know, the Marvel Universe has been around 10, 11 years or so. But, like, how old is Franklin? 
I mean, he's been aging to gauge, so it could go either way with that. But, but I, okay, so Jean's back now. Where do you put her? And, and Normie, like Normie Osborne. And Normie Osborne has a sibling, Stanley. So, like, okay, well, how old are all these people? Like, everyone, everyone changes in age except for the main heroes. Usually. Right. Uh, yeah, it's, it, I don't know. There's no answer to that. Because they, they, want, they want to keep the characters perpetually young, which okay. is too bad. Which is true. They got to age to a point, and I, I, I am jealous of the people who got to watch the characters age with them for a long time. And obviously then, then it stopped. But at least they got to have that. Whereas I don't feel like we never really got that. Like kind of, we kind of came to him in like a late 20s period when he's you know, married and about to have a kid. And then all they've tried to do is make sure he doesn't get any older than that. So he just hasn't aged at all. He hasn't really grown since we've known him. So. But again, the roster is the roster. I think, again, we want to focus on what, their, what, the, what the purpose of the X-Men is. Right? So actually, Red has a very clear mission statement. It does. But is it, is it a clear mission statement for this particular story or them to exist? Mm. Right? Like what's the X-Men's niche in the Marvel Universe? Right? And, and, and let's I, think it's, I think it's the school for gold. The gold has been focused on the school. Okay, and Blue's the kids. So if Uncanny can keep the, going with the school, then you can do another X-Men book to replace Blue instead of having five yeah. young versions of, original char- of the old characters. Let's get five of the younger characters. Right, your new yeah. young X Men group, whoever that may be. Maybe well, like for a while in Utopia, you kind of had that sense where you had different squads, and like Cyclops was like leading the, like the X Men as a whole as a people. Mm-hmm. But then he had governed different squads. So like New Mutants was an actual squad. Yes, uh, and you know, Sam had you know put all these different people in a squad. Um, you had yeah, and you had the X Force kind of squad. Like you ever. If you have defined squads, I think it makes it better. And then you also have the school. Like, you had Wolverine and the X-Men at the same time. Mm-hmm. So you had, like, kind of Cyclops running his crew and his squads. And then you also had the school where Wolverine was teaching. So at least then it was very segmented. And each book had its own identity. I think that's the biggest thing. And at least right now, each book does have its own identity, which has not always been the case for X-Men. In fact, historically, it's not usually the case at all. It's just kind of like blobs of characters being moved around. But here it's like, okay... This book is to do this. This is the you know, the original five and some, some other characters that escape from other realities that are joining them on their adventures. Okay. And they're working with Magneto sometimes. Okay. Then you have Gold, which is, this is the school, and then you have Kitty's faculty. Okay. And then you got X-Men Red. Well, Jean Grey's back. She's going to put together her own squad, and she's trying to do this. More outreach, more protection. Okay. So each book has its own identity. I just hope, yeah, like with you, hoping Uncanny is able to continue to do that. Yeah, that's, that's it does feel like they have less adventures. Like they have a lot of squabbles and fights and stuff, and you know, fighting people. But it feels like back in the day, the X Men went on more adventures. Like if you look at the uncanny days, like the original kind of issue ninety four to like one forty one, for example, there was a lot of adventures. Like oh, we're going to the Savage Land, we're going to Japan, mm-hmm. we're, you know, we're we're going to all these different places. And it felt like more that they were kind of reaching out and, and trying different things, as opposed to kind of you know the schools here and. People don't want us to be in the school in Central Park, so people are going to fight us and come to us. And it's just like, can't we just go back to having adventures? Can't that be a thing? Oh, can't... Like, when was the last time... Maybe it's happened recently, I just can't remember. But when was the last time someone was on Sabri Road just going, oh no, there's a new there's a new mutant signature I'm detecting. Let's go defend that mutant, yeah. you know? Like, yeah. someone might bad by me having We're getting a bit of that in X-Men Red. Yes. Um, so X-Men Red's kind of picking up that baton. But, I, you know, that's just one book. Well, why are they hiding Atlantis? Or in this, this weird under... Well, first they're in, in Wakanda, right? 
They're on Conda first, and now they're hiding under with Namor. I can't remember. Well, didn't Jean... Jean looked like she did something. Right. So they're on the run because they don't want to be caught. But only her squad's on the run? It doesn't well, Jean in particular, because okay. it's Jean. They're after Jean. Jean happens to be the leader of a team, so... She's kind of bringing them with her, like, luggage. <laughs> Jean and her luggage. Sounds like a good issue. Any Your final thoughts? is not This is true. Any final thoughts? Well, hopefully, I mean, obviously you'll be doing more episodes before episode 700, but... I, I certainly hope so. Well, I haven't not many. We don't have as much time to get together anymore. We do movie episodes. We haven't done, like, comic episodes in a while. I know, this is pretty much because it gets for the most part. Yeah. Okay, we, we should do, like... We did a Jeff Johns on Green Lantern, right? Slot just finished Spidey, so we could probably do something like that. Yeah, that'd be fun. Um, that could work. Right? Uh, we were supposed to talk more Fresh Start on this, and we, we didn't quite get there, but we could do some of that. Um, what well, else? Fresh Start's just beginning, so like we could, but it'd really just be saying, well, this is what's going to happen. This right. is what or, we're, we're, so. we're excited for, maybe, I guess, is a better Are you thing. excited for anything? Uh, I'm excited for Thor to continue. I'm excited to see what Aaron's going to do on Avengers, absolutely. Okay. Um... What else? Uh, I don't know if I care so much about Doctor Strange in space, but I'll give it a look. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited about Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, it'll be good to see what Spencer can do there. Just to get a new, a new, a new, a new voice. voice, you know? I wasn't mad at Slot. I wasn't like, oh my god, Slot's killing this book, but I was ready for someone new. Right. And I'm sure that happens when anyone's been on a book. Like, ten years? Yeah. And, and not just ten years. We're talking, like, many of those years had two issues a month. and Or he was working yeah. on as part he of the brain trust doing you know, so it's not just 10 years. Because, I mean, yes, I think Peter David did the Hulk, I think, for 13 or 17 years. Or it was, I'm trying to remember who did what, 17 years. Someone did something for 17 years. It was either him or Claremont. And the other one did 13 years on like, the Hulk. So that, that's, those are long 10 years. And even, like, Bendis on Spider-Man are, you know, just that much time. You just kind of start to feel like you need someone else. You still like that person. You just want them to, you know, go on. I, I think the problem with me with Slot is it felt like he wasn't... He wasn't as engaged. I felt like he was more engaged in Silver Surfer. Silver Surfer was like his one of his dream projects, being able to right. do that book and tell the story he did. And he loves Doctor Who, so he basically made Doctor uh, Silver Surfer into Doctor Who. And uh, like I don't like Doctor Who. I don't know anything about Doctor Who. I've watched it a little bit, but not enough to not enough to like not like it, but not enough to love it either. Right. Uh, but I definitely got that vibe that he was going for there. And now he's getting to re, you know write his dream book besides Spider Man, which is Fantastic Four. So I'm excited to see what that's going to look like. Because that one's the one he wants to write. He gets the chance to write Iron Man, so I'm excited to see what that looks like. But that doesn't feel like that's not his passion project. So Fantastic I'm excited. Four to see, yeah. yeah, so I'm excited to see what his Fantastic Four will look like because that's the passion project. That's the one where you know he's going to take all the love he has for comics and just spill it out into that direction, which is what he did with Silver Surfer. Which, if you ever get over your hatred of the Alreds, you might actually enjoy. Well, because she said he kept it nice and tight in an ultimate bubble. So I'm sure we'll see Surfer at some point in Fan 4. So we're to see uh, what that might look like. We've seen him, I mean, yeah, probably. We've seen him, I think, in Infinity Gauntlet or something else. Infinity right? something. Like that. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to reading that too. And that's probably going to snowball into the next big like event yes. for Marvel, right? Yes, it will. Getting into that. And that again, Which will probably launch, is it going to launch in and around the next movie? Is that the goal? No. Because there's in, like Infinity Wars is the event. And that's like in a month. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure how soon it was. Like, like I, and I, I think so that... So will end by the movies then? I think so. Okay. What I like about that is, that, again, it's an, it's an event that, you know, had lead up in Guardians of the Galaxy. And then had a bunch of tie-ins, sort of, then had like a countdown to in 
forget what it's even called now. I think it was in Countdown to Infinity Wars or Countdown to Infinity. Maybe. Yeah. And then you had. Which would be like Countdown to Infinity Crisis, right? Promise me that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Wait, wait. Countdown to, Countdown to Infinite Crisis was amazing. Which Countdown was better than that Countdown? Not, count, not Countdown to. Not Countdown. Just Countdown. Countdown. Sorry. Because you had the other books. Were they called Countdown? Leading up to Infinite Crisis, which were amazing. So don't don't count those. Okay. Anyways, we will we will leave off. <laughs> we have a lot to talk about in future episodes. I guess is the point. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess with, with a bunch of those creators talking about ending their their full runs, those would be good things to spotlight on and be something different to to look yeah. into for sure. For sure. Good stuff. All right. Well, thank you for joining us for episode six hundred. Um, hopefully, this isn't the only segment. <laughs> I'm hoping there's many. We'll get on. I really, I really got to do. Maybe this will be the first one that happens, or maybe this will be at the end of the episode. And everyone will be like, well, we already listened to like four other segments. What are you talking about? Well, thank you, Paul. Anytime. And uh, next time for episode 700, if, if nothing else, we'll see you for that. Oh, thanks for that. <laughs>Absolutely. Well, and as I, I, I just realized, I didn't realize that we're almost exactly a year away from the last time we actually spoke. Uh, when we obviously we chat on uh, Facebook and stuff, but this is the the last time we actually spoke was August 9th last year. Recording this August the seventh, so it, it really is our annual tradition. I feel like maybe you're actually the the angel of death, and and we're just counting away the years <laughs> of my life every time you call me. Oh my God, that sounds horrible. <laughs> Okay, I could probably put it in a less macabre way. <laughs> well, then you're it wouldn't the birthday be birthday bunny. Then it, there you go. Well, I was going to say it wouldn't be you if it wasn't macabre, though. Is that true? Am I especially macabre? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay, <laughs> I don't think that's the persona that you've uh, cultivated for yourself. My my somewhat like goth cast is, <laughs> is that what I'm known for? Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think so. Well, thanks for coming back. This is another anniversary episode. It, it's nice to be able to touch base with you and have you on all these anniversary episodes. You've been making appearances on these since episode three hundred. So this is your your fourth anniversary show in a row. I mean, if I could go back in time and be on the first two anniversary shows, I would. But that's not something I've conquered yet. Not yet. So I mean, I don't know if that really works timeline wise. If I I feel like I will never conquer it because if I did. You would already have heard me on those first two episodes. That's true. Well, at least I... This is confusing. (laughs) Yeah, let's not go too philosophical. Um, So you have an anniversary coming up soon with your own show. Yeah, I mean, it's not quite 600. Uh, I mean, I don't think many people can claim 600, but we're, we're... we're 
just a few away from uh, 200. We're going to be recording it, I think, like next week or so. Wow. So that's that's a big achievement. Like, that's a lot of episodes. That's a lot of commitment and time and, you know, and uh, of your life that you've taken out to record, edit, create podcasts. Like, that's, I don't think some people realize just how much work goes in, goes into it to creating, especially you, because you actually have a whole website, you have everything. Like, the amount of work that you guys have put into your show is really a phenomenal. Well, that's 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 really nice of you to say. I mean, I would like boast if I was on anybody else's show, but you're 600 episodes deep, and I just feel like, you know, it's a ki- I'm like in kindergarten compared to you. <laughs> it's uh, it definitely takes a lot of time, right? I mean, like I find I, I remember when I first started, my reviews episodes were a lot longer, and then when I had my son, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't do you know, two episodes a week that are almost an hour each, if not one of them being longer than that. I'm like, I, I will go crazy I, I, or my wife will leave me. I don't know which would happen first. Um, so I just had to kind of clamp down and then my reviews episodes became more like 10 to 15 minutes. And at first I remember if I go back and I listen to the first ones where that change first happened, it's just a lot of me being very Canadian and apologizing that it's so short because I was used to it being so long. <laughs> and now I'm like, I could never go back to that. It's, I actually like having a, you know, a very quick kind of, you know, a, a 15 to 20 minute episode talking about you know current comics and then the non-reviews episodes are the ones where i kind of stretch my legs and you know i do the creator interviews those often go longer than an hour and that's where i I spend more of the time yeah i love your creator interviews they're really uh exhaustive i I can't believe you get so many people on this show i mean but i agree with you yeah i mean it's a lot of work put into these shows and i think people don't quite realize it i mean i i think i if i i i would love to bring my wife in here to get a, a more accurate number on this but i i would dare say that i probably spend like at least five to ten hours editing and putting together every episode wow. of the show and then like you multiply that out that's like two thousand hours like i don't even want to think about how much time i put into it like <laughs> not to mention the website and you know which is kind of taking a pause for now but like uh you know there's so many other things that go into it like mailing out rewards through patreon and like it's become more than a part-time job i'd say mm-hmm. well and now you also have, you have your own little podcast network i mean i guess you've you've lost one member of the family now that's come to its natural conclusion but you also have the untold talk so like you have a, your own little network going on yeah it worked out pretty nicely uh <laughs> i mean I, I didn't plan that at all but uh i'll happily take credit for it yeah it's great to have a network it's it's pretty minimal work for me. I kind of advise people on the shows before they get started and give them some advice and, and help them come up with a structure and a format. And uh, through our Patreon, we I'm able to kind of give them equipment and host their files. And I still manage all the kind of like back-end stuff, you know, all the like raw, you know, like data that keeps the website floating. But um, they're mostly kind of, yeah, they're they're my kids, and I want them to live their own lives. <laughs> a question I had about—I um, mean, not that long ago—you went through a major format change. Um, so you went from kind of talking about current episodes. Not that you don't still talk about current issues, but you do it on the Patreon and then the kind of the roundup episodes. But the main focus of your show has shifted, and now you're you know kind of doing these seasons where you kind of break down Spider-Man history. Um, I would imagine that takes a lot more from you guys in terms of actual preparation than before, because before you just kind of read a comic, digested the comic, be able to talk about it together, and now you've created something where you know a lot more is is required of you as an investment. How has that impacted your time, and has it been worth it for you? 
Yeah, and I, I'm going to ask you questions as well because you're not getting away from this. <laughs> I mean, it's very rare that someone gets to ask you questions. This is true. Yeah. Um, well, so yeah, I mean, it was a big change for us, but I think it actually has made our lives somewhat easier um, because we used to be so beholden to Marvel's publishing schedule, mm. which if anybody knows anything about Marvel's publishing schedule is it's less of a schedule and more of like a guy throwing darts at a dartboard. <laughs> um, and so we kind of, you know, we'd have to kind of scramble week to week about like, when are we going to do this? When are we going to record it? You know, cause I have a, a co-host who's on every episode and he lives in New York and I live in LA. So, you know, navigating that is difficult, you know, on top of our lives and he has a kid and, so um, this way we can actually kind of sit down before a season and go, what are the 12 topics we want to talk about? And then start reaching out to people. And it's still kind of, you know, hot week to week. You know, when are we going to record this kind of thing? Mm-hmm. But the, the pressure of Marvel's schedule is kind of gone. Like before it'd be like, you know, there, an issue of Spider-Man would come out and they're supposed to be every other week. But then one It'd be like four weeks for the new one, and one week, two weeks, and one week, three weeks. And then we're like, we don't want people to sit around for three weeks with no content. So then what are we going to do in between then? And there was no way to really keep on top of that because Marvel was inconsistent. So this way, at least we know roughly every two weeks we're going to release a main episode, you know, and I might patch in another bonus content here and there. Um but, uh, yeah, it's actually – it's made our lives somewhat easier. I mean the research is certainly a lot more um, and it will become a lot more when we move into territories that we're not as familiar with. Like mm-hmm. I could talk about Stan Lee, Steve Ditko comics off the top of my head till I the day I die. You know, um, But there was a lot of research to go into things like our toy episode. You know, like I don't mm-hmm. know anything about early Marvel toys. And if I'm bringing an expert on, I better know something about those toys so I can ask good questions. For sure. Uh, so we, you know, we buy a lot of books and read a lot of books on the character, and we try to kind of parse reality from myth. And that's the other difficult thing is so much of this is surrounded in myth. So we we really read a lot of books. Um, I mean, Mark wrote a book, so that helps. <laughs> I was going to uh, say, <laughs> yeah, I read his book, uh, which is mostly. <laughs> pulls from my podcast so it's kind of a weird um thing so yeah i mean i I, i'm actually more curious about you because like mine at least is all spider-man centric so i can at least feign a knowledge about it but like you're interviewing so many different creators from all walks of life and comics i don't know how you keep up with the comics they're reading and enough to have a knowledge to even pretend to talk to these guys. What do you, what is your research like? Um, well, I always, I mean, my best friend is always comicbookdb.com. Um, just because yeah. it's, it's great for a framer to get a sense of what these people have worked on. I find I've read a lot in general, like without doing research that for the most part with a lot of creators, I will have stuff that I've already read of theirs. Um, and hopefully I can kind of, you know, parse that in to the conversation. And a lot of it's also, you know, figuring out, you know, for some of the creators, like I remember when I first interviewed Tom DeFalco, that was like, he's written everything. So what can I find to talk about that he hasn't talked about as much? Or Ron Friends is one of those right. two where they've done so much. And it was then 
the research, I mean, I knew what they were going to be good at talking about, the stuff that they were always talking about. The first time I talked with Ron Friends, I spent a lot of time talking about A-Next, a book that no one has ever probably asked him about, because no one really cares about A-Next. But I love A-Next. That was a huge thing for me when it was coming out in the late 90s. So I spent a lot of talking time talking to him about that. I always try to zero in on some of the books that are things that they haven't talked about but probably would like to, um, because they've always talked, you know, the, the big hits... They've already talked about those. What else could I really get into? Um, so I try to find those kind of weird niche things and kind of read those or find out if they exist in my back issue collection or purchase them digitally or do something so I can kind of have a little bit more of a leg up and talk about something that might mean a little bit more to them. Well, that's actually gets to the point of like the difficulty of my show is like I, if I could have Ron Friends on every single week of the show, I would. And he probably would take me up on that offer, <laughs> except that like we've talked to Ron friends so many times. I'm like, well now I feel bad because like, I want to have him on more often, but like there's only so much Spider-Man content that he created. I mean, true. Granted, I could probably get granular and talk about spider girl for like a thousand years. But, <laughs> uh, you know, the, that's the other thing is, but that's not a big problem because most people we have on once and that's, they're hard enough to get on. Like we just true. had Mark Wade on the show that's amazing. And, yeah, I'm really excited about it. And we're not even talking to him about his work, really, other than kind of a little bit about family business. Um, so the new format of the show kind of, I think, opens us up to talking to people more often and about unique things, mm-hmm. like you said, because like now we're talking about topics instead of like runs. So like I can bring Mark Wade on to talk about Peter's parents, something he didn't really have anything to do with until – you know, introducing Teresa Parker, but it's a unique perspective. So that's actually really exciting to me about the new format of the show. And as it grows and we have more access to people, which, you know, inevitably the more listeners you have, the easier it is to convince people to come on the show because they've heard of you. True. You know, uh, so that's really exciting to me about the kind of future of the show as we slowly grow bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. It's interesting, um, one of the problems I have had in the past with interviews is that, um, like, I look at your show, obviously you have a Spider-Man focus, so when you talk to creators, it's very clear what you're going to talk about. Um, There's uh, another podcast I listen to, and actually I've been a guest on a few times, called the Epic Marvel Podcast, where he basically goes through every of the, all the Epic Marvel collections, and so they have them for every character these days. Um, So he goes through each volume, and then he has, you know, creator interviews where he talks about, you know, oh, you wrote these issues in this Iron Fist volume, I'm going to talk to you, etc. And he gets to go so deep on that very specific slice, and I find the one um, kind of um, bad part or, I guess, drawback of my format is that because I've kind of tried to make it about a career and kind of moving from the beginning to the end or the beginning to current, I kind of sometimes don't get to go deeper into those certain areas because of you know the, the format I've kind of pigeonholed myself into. However, it is nice when people are willing to come back. I've had Steve Engelhardt a couple times, and like each time we were able to go so deep in so many different places. But I could talk to that guy, you know, every day for a while because he has so many stories. But in a way, that can also be a blessing to you. Like I feel like one of the big problems with a lot of comic book shows is that they have these guests on, and it becomes like a quiz show hmm. where you're you're kind of quizzing them on what they remember of their work and some of these guys they've written so much it's hard to really get into the specifics of you know what you remember versus what they remember and so keeping it kind of broad you know often is uh, you know to a favor to your show unless someone really comes on and 
is clearly a savant for their own work. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's true. Uh, one of the hardest interviews I had, and it was just a, a, more of a timing thing, was Peter David because it felt like I, I, I kind of like we had scheduled a time, and when I hit him up, then he kind of I guess had forgotten about it. But then he was supposed to have a different discussion with like an editor who then didn't call him. So he's like, "Okay, I guess I'll talk to you now." I'm like, "Oh, okay." And it was very much like, "Oh, I don't know. That was 20 years ago." And it was the only one I've ever had that kind of resistance to. Yeah, some people are like that. So you gotta, you gotta, you know, I guess dodge and weave a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I mean that. I mean, I have learned so much about like just kind of talking to people and and asking questions from doing my show. I mean, that's really my favorite thing is like asking questions. And I, I'm like, I, I can be long winded in life and probably on your show, but um, you know, uh, anytime I get to kind of like pick someone else's brain about something and they have a good answer. It's really quite thrilling because I, I, you know, I, I tend to not find that with like a lot of people in life who aren't, not that people aren't really specific about their intentions behind things, but when you're writing something like it's almost always intentional or when you're drawing something, it's almost always intentional. And so talking to these creators and getting direct answers from those very people it's really kind of satisfying in a way that you don't often get in like your day to day interactions with people. Mm-hmm. Well, ask a question: When you've done your you know Spider Talk and Amazing Friends kind of episodes, and you do those interviews, um, they usually seem to be kind of pretty neat and tidy in terms of the length. Do you end up kind of cutting those down to kind of fit the length of what your show usually is, or uh, like how, what is the natural kind of progress or process, I should say, of how long some of those interviews go? Because I mean, I've had absurdly long interviews on the show. I'm just curious, kind of how you manage that from a podcasting perspective. I've never cut a show down because of length of the show. Okay. Um, they kind of land where they land. Uh, and it's mostly because we come up with like a, you know, a list of questions that we feel like would be appropriate for the time length. And, you know, some people run longer than others. Like we could ask Ron Friends a question and he'll give you a 30 minute answer. Uh, it'll be the most satisfying answer you've ever heard. Uh, and, and that's great. But like someone like him, we've learned, you know, appropriate like length of questions to kind of go with and um it's kind of just feeling it out and and it, i guess also because my co-host is, is on the east coast and we record on sunday nights there's like a kind of a deadline to let him get to sleep uh. um there there are times where i've largely cut down um an episode like we had rob bruce on recently and not to kind of like put him in the spotlight but rob bruce really liked the meander from topics and really get on tangents and so i kind of edited his questions you know to really focus on the part where he actually answered the question that i asked gotcha um and not didn't wander and so that was like an hour and 15 minute interview and i cut it down to like 35 minutes oh wow uh yeah that was probably that's an extreme case that's really unlikely um and I, I'd be curious to listen back through our interviews in 200 episodes to see, like, if we've gotten better at it. But, um, you know, I just got a, a, an email the other day saying, I listened to your Mark um, uh, Bagley interview, and it was one of the best interviews I've ever heard. And that was, like, our ninth episode of the show. I was going to say. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, I guess people, uh, you know, liked our stuff even back then, too. So, um yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good question, and no, I don't really edit it for time in any regard. It just kind of lands where it lands. Mm-hmm. 
What would you say is the, the longest interview you've conducted? Oh, gosh. Off the top of my head, I, I don't really know. Um, no, I, I couldn't tell you. They typically land around an hour. That's just kind of the way things are. Um, you know, some of them were... I don't know. That's a really good question. I wish I had a better answer for you. <laughs> Who do you think it was? How about, uh, let's put a, a guess. Oh, I really don't know. Um, I'm guessing it would be Ron Friends. Okay. Mostly because he just likes to hang out with us when we do interviews. Because mm-hmm. um, we're old friends by now. Like Jerry Conway, too. I think for the um, interview we did when Amazing Spider-Man 2 came out, the yeah. first time we had him on the show, like I think that was like a pretty healthy, but still like around an hour. I don't know that many of the interviews go much longer than that. I mean... Probably our longest interview-based episode is the, our Steve Dicko episode, the Dicko Shrugged episode, because mm-hmm. it's two interviews in one. Gotcha. Uh, although we also did ones where we did like 10 interviews in one episode, so uh, <laughs> I don't know. Adam, I wish I had a more declarative answer for you. That's okay. I was just trying to think. I think my my number one top in terms of the length is always going to be uh, – I can't imagine anyone beating it, and that would be um, – Oh my god, I'm forgetting his name. Chip Sadarsky. Because uh, he literally well, came... Well, he was in your living room. He right? came to my house, yeah, and uh, and just kind of sat down and we were chatting. And I, I figured that was the sign of a good interview if it just keeps going and he doesn't try to leave my house. <laughs> Maybe you just had him tied up in your basement. I mean, I didn't tell anyone that part, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I've been trying to get him on the show and they're like, well, Chip is so busy. And every time they, they shoot me that email back, I'm like... Uh, Adam, he just drained Chip of all of his interviewing. <laughs> well, I guess it was convenient. He just kind of stopped by, had a coffee in his hand. It's just like, all right, let's do this. That's hysterical. When you told me that was going to happen, I thought that was the funniest thing ever. It totally took me by surprise because I, I knew he was in Toronto, and I'm like, well, we can do it over Skype, we can do it over phone, we can do it in person, thinking there's no way. And he's like, yeah, I'll come to your house. I'm like, okay. Well, I'll be very curious because Mark and I are headed to uh, Terrificon next weekend and it's the, the biggest lineup of spider-man creators i've ever seen in my life it's, it's crazy like, it is crazy it's like made for us so we're going to try to nab as many interviews as we possibly can my eyes are on like roger stern i was gonna say um, that should be the one yeah and christopher priest i'm i would like to get just because of how controversial his like role in spider-man history is especially in regard to our podcast how we kind of Yep. Always bring up the Hobgoblin. <laughs> uh, so I think Mark wants to get punched by Christopher Priest. I think that's his goal. Oh, God. Is to just like keep asking him about the Hobgoblin until he like orders us away. Um, so that'll be interesting. But Nick Spencer is going to be there. And he and I have been talking a lot. And he lives in Los Angeles. So we're going to be meeting up sooner or later to record a show. And that could be quite long. Who knows? Um Nick Spencer in my bedroom or whatever talking to me about <laughs> his run. Um, that's just exciting in general because we were never able to get Dan Slott on the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, and now we'll actually have an amazing Spider-Man writer to be joining us. That's pretty crazy. Like that's, that's, that's the dream, right? Like you're talking about Amazing Spider-Man and finally you're hopefully going to have that writer on the show. Like that's pretty cool. 
I mean, it shouldn't be the dream, right? I mean, we've had literally everybody else on the show. True. You know, um, we've even had Nick Spencer on the show before. Exactly. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, Dan Slott is my, like, white wolf or whatever, or my white whale or whatever the phrase is. Um, are you, I mean, I, I know from listening to your show that you're a big fan of Otley. Are there, is there a good chance of being able to get him on the show? He's my next uh, like uh, attempted get um, after I talk to Nick Spencer. I'm hoping he can maybe get me some contact information. I've reached out to him on Twitter, but he's never responded. So mm. maybe maybe an email will be more successful. Um, I mean, I do own a lot of his artwork. I own a bunch of pages from Invincible. So wow. uh, you know, like I've supported him. I guess if that means anything. <laughs> That's well. Just use that and say, "Hey, I've 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 lined your wallet." I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, I mean, like you kind of have to do that sometimes. Like, I think the reason Mark Bagley gave us the interview that he did is because I bought a expensive piece of artwork from him. Which piece? Uh, well, it's one that I that I had him commission, but it was like a five hundred dollar commission. Oh wow. Yeah, so uh, I think he felt like, well, you know, that's expensive, and this guy's badgering me, and yeah, I don't know. Because uh, I've tried to get him back on the show, and he was not, you know, quite quite as keen on it. So I think, you know, sometimes purchasing their stuff, I mean, it, ma- it makes sense. For they sure. have limited time, right? So, you know, I was, buying something from them does go a long way. I was so impressed when you guys even had him on, especially that early, because I was like, he doesn't do any press. <laughs> No, he doesn't do any press. I mean, it literally took us being at the Connecticut Comic Con where, like, nobody was. And he was sitting at an empty table, you know. And we just got interviews with, like, you know, J.M. DeMatteis and Danny Fingeroff and Tom DeFalco and, like, Jim Salakrup and Mark Bagley. It was like a murderer's row. Turns out the Connecticut Comic Cons are are murderer's row for Spider-Man creators. Apparently. Was uh, yeah. was Mark Bagley the one for you that like the the little kid Dan Dan Gavazdin was most excited about just because of his impact with on you with Amazing Spider Man three seventy five? Yeah, I think so. I was really nervous about interviewing, and I mean, I had really had not interviewed any of the Spider Man creators, um, you know. So that was really cool. Um, but he's notoriously like tight with press, like you said. So like, I tried not to let the kid me show, which I guess. You know, it showed in the commission that I was buying. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I feel like so. I, you know, I did my best, um, and I, I still like the interview. I think the one that like was most just kind of like gleeful joy was the first interview I did with Ron Friends, where he was like, "Hey, let's go hang out in my hotel room, and we'll do like an interview." And he was, you know, penciling commissions while doing the interview, and that was just so cool. And um, Another one was, like, Paul Jenkins we had on an early episode, and uh, he was like, hey, well, I'll do an interview with you over lunch. So we, like, walked around Baltimore, like, eating food and and sitting down and talking about his run, uh, writing Spider-Man comics. So, you know, that was really neat, too. I, I, I like it when I can be, like, a just a, a person with all these people. What, what about you? What was what, What's been your most, like, gleeful... Other than having Chip Zdarsky in your living room or tied up in your basement, or whatever, <laughs> uh, you don't like. Th- where did you feel like the most anxious that your your fanboy freak flag might fly? Ah, uh, that's really hard. Um, 
it might be Tom DeFalco. Um, although, interestingly enough, it was one of the first interviews I did. But um, I feel like that was a big one for me just because I realized just how much of his stuff, like when I was actually looking at it, I was like, I've read all of this stuff. Um, so that, And I realized how much of it I'd read as a kid. Um, so that definitely had an impact. I'm trying to think who else was kind of, you know, making, you know, young Adam excited. Um, that sounds wrong. Um, I think Pat Olive was a big one for me just because I, especially when oh, I go yeah. back, when I go back and look at this stuff, like it's so good. Like the, um, uh, what was it? I just got spider girl, the complete collection by one arrived in my, uh, mailbox today. And just looking at all of his art there, I was just like, he's so good. He's such a great artist. And I remember reading untold tales when he's it was coming still out. doing amazing stuff. Oh, I know he's still doing incredible stuff. I, I loved his, his work on rough riders. Um, it was so good with Adam glass. Um, yeah, so I'm a big fan of all of his stuff. So that was a pretty big one for me. Ron friends too. I mean, most of them generally are, I mean, they're, I, the, the excitement for me was when people from my childhood, started writing back and saying yes I'll do your show like I nothing just as a general sense that's what, the most exciting thing ever it's just that you know all these creators who have always read their books or I you know I've loved their artwork and suddenly they're talking to me and that's that's just incredible and every time I get a little I get the butterflies every time I'm about, about to make a Skype call I can feel myself getting nervous and I'm like I've done like you know 50 of these 100 of these but I still get nervous because it's so exciting so Adam I don't know if I'm ever going to get to 600 episodes. Like, uh, like I might be dead by then just from working on the show too much. Uh, like, that would kill me. <laughs> like, what? What is? What is the end goal of this, Adam? How long are you going to keep doing this? Like, oh. like, do we need to have an intervention, or is it just <laughs> pure fun at this point? Uh, and you just don't see an end in sight. That's a really good question because I've thought every time I get to uh, like 100 episodes are done, that's when I think about it. That's when I think about, is it time to end? Um, and I think at some point I might get a format change um, just because I don't know. Like I, I've been so beholden to the idea of doing the reviews episodes every week. And at some point I feel like I got to stop that. I just don't know if it's going to be tenable to keep doing it because it's a lot of work. Um, to do, you know, a review this episode every week, as well as doing the planning for the other episodes, which are usually conversation episodes. Um, yeah. So I feel like every 100 episodes, I get to the point where I'm like, maybe it's time to let the reviews go. And then someone will write me saying, thank you for your reviews episode. It really keeps me up to date on books. I'm like, well, now I can't stop it. Um, <laughs> you live for your audience, Adam. Right? So like, and so I, I feel like I'm not going to do a format change at this point. Um, I was thinking about it, and I think... Yeah, I don't know. I every time I think, you know, maybe just a hundred more episodes, we'll see. But as long as the interviews keep happening, like that's that's really it's for me. Like it's more than anything else. It's being able to talk to creators. And like I just did one with Kelly Thompson the other day, and it was so much fun. And I I guess my favorite part about doing an interview is when they tell me how long they can do the interview for, and then when we stop, it's gone like half an hour, forty minutes past that, and they're like, oh wow, I thought this was, you know, I didn't even realize we were still going. Like they like it, they having a good time, we're having a chat. Yes, it's an interview format, but they're able to, you know, tell stories and it becomes more than just me asking questions. And that's my favorite part. And I, so as long as that's still happening, I'll probably continue until my wife says stop. Okay, so let me ask you this uh, before I got to go. Um, strangest thing that's happened to you related to you having this podcast? All right. So... I, I can't say it on the air. I've told you about it in the past, so I'll have to think of something else. So um, 
There is one thing that happened, but it was super embarrassing, but I, it's not something that's fit for consumption. But I will tell you another story, which I think I may have mentioned before, before but maybe not my audience. So a couple years ago, I had an interview day where I was interviewing Dennis Hopeless, and then right after it, I was going to interview Christos Gage. So I did the interview with Dennis. It was going really well, and he's like, i got to go pick up my kids, but I want to continue. Is it okay if we chat in a little bit? I'm like, yeah, I still have time before I have to do the interview with Christos. He's like, okay, great. So he comes back. We start having this conversation, finishing off our conversation. It's going really, really well. And then right near the end of it, I start feeling like this crazy sense of nausea just weeping, sweeping over me. And I'm getting so sick and I can feel myself like starting to shiver and getting cold and it's just like really bad. So I mentioned this to Dennis as we're writing off, as we're signing off just after I stopped the recording that, oh, I'm going to go talk to Christos, but I'm feeling really ill now. I hope I can get through it. He's like, oh, I think, I think you'll be fine. I think you'll be fine. I'm like, okay, great. So I go to talk to Christos. He's like, I only have 25 minutes. I'm like, sounds great. So at this point, I know that I'm not feeling well, so I have like a, a coat on top of me because I'm like so I'm shivering in my house. Something's definitely wrong, but I got to keep this interview going. So we get about 20 minutes in. Uh, then I ask him a question about Civil War II Amazing Spider-Man. He starts answering, and then I realize, nope, I can't do this anymore. I am so ill. Uh, I have to mute myself. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I actually because I, I I have this weird setup so I had no other options at this point I'm listening to him talk but no longer am I recording or is, can he hear me and I just start throwing up on myself like it's just disgusting but I'm just I'm I'm so ill and I'm just so sick and he's talking and answering this and giving this really impassioned like you know discussion of what he's trying to do with Civil War Two Amazing Spider Man and I'm just like spluttering and it's just so gross and disgusting and so tra- and so tragic and I'm just sitting there covered in my own vomit listening to him talk and I'm like I'm like I'm like crying now because like it was painful and I'm just like okay I gotta cut him off. So I finally say, you know, Christos, I got to stop you there. Unfortunately, um, I'm going to have to cut this part of the episode. I'm actually extremely ill. I'm really sorry. Can we cut this out? He's like, oh, okay, sure. And I'm like, can we pick it up in like a week in, or like in a couple of days? We'll just do the last five minutes. He's like, yeah, okay. So five minutes, five days later, he asked me like, what happened? And I tell him, he just starts laughing because he's like, I, I didn't realize that you were ill. I'm like, I didn't either. And then suddenly it was just like came out. So that's the strangest thing that's ever happened. Boy, <laughs> I was not expecting that. It was honestly like it made me laugh when it was happening. Like it was very uh, obviously upsetting. <laughs> but I'm like, this is actually a really funny story. Like I'm so committed to the craft, so committed to getting the interview done that even though I was starting to feel extremely ill, I was going to make this happen. And I almost made it, except for that one question, the final question about Civil War Two: Amazing Spider-Man. Adam, I really want the audio from that. No, you no, you don't. It is gross. Really do. It is so disgusting. <laughs> You could just hear. Well, like, uh, I'm so glad I asked that question. <laughs> like that's pretty unique. I don't think many people would have that happen. No, I can't say I'd ever come even close to that happening. Well, you know, if you're ever feeling ill when you start recording, just don't do it. Yeah, I think that's probably a safe bet. But it was a great interview. I got to say. <laughs> yeah, I remember listening to it and not even knowing. <laughs> when I start asking about Amazing Spider-Man, sorry, Civil War Two, Amazing Spider-Man, it's a different day. I have now recovered. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Adam, uh, this is a bizarre transition, but I am about to go eat dinner. <laughs> My, my I last thing. That in mind. <laughs> I will say, Dan, that is how you get to six hundred episodes. Uh, yeah, I mean, that is devotion. <laughs> well, Dan, thank you so much for joining us for your annual visit, and we'll have you back for episode 700. Hopefully you don't take over my brain in that episode. 
Oh, well, you you wouldn't know it. <laughs> Sometimes you're just going to wake up, go in about your normal routine, and then you're going to get a phone call to come to a maximum security prison. And the person <laughs> in the bed, you're going to realize it's your former body. <laughs> Sounds like a it's good gonna time. Be, it's going to be a whole thing. Absolutely. That might be the... The new strangest thing that happens to you on your show. Uh, yeah, that would, that would probably take the cake, absolutely. Well, thanks well, again. for cool. Thank you for having me, Adam. Uh, I love doing these. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, and everyone should definitely check out uh, The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, we had uh, Mark Wade on this week and uh, for an awesome episode, and then we've got episode 200 coming up, which I'm not going to spoil what's going on in that episode, but if um, if our plans work out, it could be one of the best episodes of our show ever. That's a good so, te- that's a good tease. Whether you've ever listened before or not, yeah, I know it's really vague because I don't want to commit to it because it could not work out. But I'm hoping that it does. So um, uh, you know, stay tuned, and even then, just come check us out and listen to the first two seasons of our show. Absolutely. Well, thanks again it- for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for having me, Adam. Absolutely. Congratulations. Thank you. Hello. Are you guys still there? Anybody? We still got gotcha? you? How great was that? Uh, uh, special friends of the podcast. We love it when these guys stop by. Um, Dan especially. And also, we really like this next guy that's coming up. His name is Eric Anthony. And you guys know him from the Cave of solitude podcast i know you're thinking why did she say it like that that's super awkward that's how adam said it to me because he thinks i'm dumb and can't handle remembering the words cave of solitude unless he says it very slowly and enunciates it so without further ado here's eric anthony talking about his podcast cave of solitude Eric, welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. Thank you for having me, Adam. Congratulations on your 600th episode. I'm glad to be a part of it. 600 is a gross number. It's also the, uh, this is actually going to be coming out on the 6th anniversary of our first pilot episode, um, which my wife likes to point out that uh, was not supposed to air. In fact, apparently I promised her that it wouldn't air, and then I aired it anyway. <laughs> well, that's that's an amazing accomplishment. And to be able to do it on schedule like that, I don't know if that's just your personality, but I give you a lot of credit for keeping it so like precise and, and like that's good. I think last year I, um, I I kind of was forecasting all the episodes I wanted to do in the summer, and I realized that if I worked really hard at it and didn't take any kind of time off, that I could sync up the 500th episode to the fifth anniversary. And then when I was doing this year, I'm like, I could probably do that again because if I do you know two episodes a week, that's 104 episodes in a year. So if I just take a week off here or there, uh, then I'll be able to sync it up. So now I kind of want to have it happen all the time because it didn't used to happen. I mean, I remember when my son was born, we took a nice big gap uh between episodes because you know my kid was born i didn't really have time yeah, to be podcast good reason yeah, yeah sure <laughs> pretty sure it took like a month off or something but um but yeah not 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 in a while it's been pretty consistent uh, i think the longest break we've had is actually our recent one um between the break between episode 597 and 598 was i think the longest i've had in a long time it was almost two weeks uh, which doesn't seem like a lot but when you do you know an episode usually every three to four days it's a long time Good for you for keeping up the schedule. That's discipline, man. So how many episodes are you guys up to now? 
We at the Cave of Solitude are up to 126. We're almost close to 130. I don't know. It's somewhere between 126 and 120 something. I got. I, I took a, br- a break myself because we were away, but we we recorded while we were traveling through Europe. Nice. So I'm going to post that up sometime this week, and then uh, hopefully this year we'll I'll have recorded like the most episodes in all of the years we've been doing it. So I've got a better pace of of putting output now, mm-hmm. well, which is nice. What keeps you going? Like what what is it that kind of makes you want to podcast or keep developing episodes and putting out content? Oh man, you know what? It's that's a good question. It's sometimes it's things just happening where you get a creative spell where where a lot of content is coming out. So like I, I host a podcast with my wife uh, the majority of the time. So if she sees a movie or is watching some sort of a series or she's read a comic book, then she'll really want to talk about it and have like uh, you know subjects on on her mind. Where she's like, we got to do a, a, a countdown list of something, and then. Um, on top of that, I started to do interviews with certain artists, whether they're legacy artists or local artists in Toronto, where you kind of put that into the queue of the schedule. And so you, you and then of course I, I did an episode with you and some other people locally that are, are recurring guests. So having that sort of um, synergy after a while, it keeps me going, and it's fun to meet and discuss comics with new people that understand and appreciate the hobby the way you do. So. I guess that's that's what keeps me going. It's just the, conver- the, the conversations that you're able to have by doing it. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I would say that's probably true for me, too. I mean, the interviews are the, the big reason why I continue to do it, because it's so exciting to, to talk to people whose work I'm enjoying and you know reading, and being able to chat with those people is always going to be kind of a sense of wish, wish fulfillment. And, you know, as a kid... It would never have seemed possible that I could, you know, sit down and talk with Tom DeFalco or Ron Friends or any of those kind of people that were creating the characters that I was reading. And the idea that you could actually talk to those people is kind of crazy and still seems new to me, even though I've been doing it for a while now. Like, I remember when I first started doing interview episodes, it was really, um, I was reading Manhattan Projects by uh, from Image Comics by Jonathan Hickman and Nick Patara, and I loved the artwork. I was so blown away, and I was like, well, maybe I can get this guy to do my show. And then he said yes for some reason. Um, and then I, I got the chat with him and then, uh, a while later I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to see if I can get him again. Cause he's doing even more work on this book. So I got him back and then I was like, you know what, maybe I should continue to try and do this. And I remember, and a uh, listener of the show, AJ Reese will attest to this, that there was a time when I kept saying, this is the, uh, spring interview season. Cause I figured it would, it would just end. Like I would stop being able to get people and then I just have to stop doing interviews or they just kind of dry up. And it never really happened, but for a while, like I kept saying, like, "Oh, this is the summer interview season," and thankfully, that interview season never ended. That's great. You know what? I I, I don't think I've told you this before, but listening to your show was one of the inspirations for me to try to go out and and do interviews myself because of the people that you were getting on they seemed very gracious and kind with their time and then i found out you were local and there was a lot of things that were relatable so i'm like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna try at least try to email some of these guys and see what happens the worst thing they could say is no and then if they happen to say yes, then that's just, you know, bonus. Absolutely. So I was actually listening to Comic Shenanigans where I was inspired to give it a shot to, to interview some of the legacy uh, creators that you had on your show. That's very kind. Who was the, the first legacy creator you kind of wrote back, wrote out to, who wrote back to you? 
The first one was David Michelinie, because uh, I'm a big Spider-Man fan, and I had I think I had just listened to one of his interviews on another show, and and it seemed it seemed doable, and there was a bunch of questions that I was you know wanting to ask him in relation to Iron Man or um, when Valiant Comics was launched, as well as working on Spider-Man, and he kindly wrote back and and said no only because he no longer does any. Uh, any podcasts but the fact that he responded to me and wasn't just like yeah sorry kid i don't do that no more he was he was very gracious with his email he was you know explaining himself said that my last podcast will be at a at a hawaii comic-con and i said well you know if he responded back i'm gonna try again somebody else and i got uh my first interview was actually matt kent oh wow i thought that was a shot in the yeah, I was really, really excited for that because I was going through all of his Valiant Comics work and I was just absolutely loving it. So I said, I really like this guy's work right now. Let me give it a shot. And he said, yeah, sure, no problem. So from there, you know, I just kept – Jerry Conway was the next one, which totally shocked me because uh, if, if David Michelinie said he, he wouldn't be able to do it, I did not think Jerry Conway would respond back. So that was a huge thrill. And uh, I have had Ron friends, and I hope to have Tom DeFalco in the near future, but we'll see what happens. For sure. It's interesting. Yeah. I always wonder about Michelinian because um, I I mean, hopefully other people know that I'm sometimes on the Epic Marvel podcast with Curtis Finlay, mm-hmm. and he's tried to talk to David Michelinian. And again, the same thing. He kind of graciously said, no, I don't do podcast interviews anymore. And uh, he kind of joked with me. He's like, did you did you do something to David Michelinian? Because I got him on my show. It was one of the last few interviews I guess he did before he kind of you know put the stop to it. So I've always been curious. Like, I'm hoping it wasn't me. Uh, I don't think it was me, but um, I'm curious what what happened or what interaction he had that kind of prompted this end and this kind of embargo on doing any other interviews. Um, when I was doing an episode with Curtis a while back, I think the Cosmic Adventures uh, collection of Amazing Spider-Man, um, I reached out to Dave and he said, oh, I don't do podcasts anymore. But he did talk to me over the phone. Um, I did call him and I said, like, I'm not, you know, we're not going to use this for the show. I just want to ask some questions just for color, um, just because we're about to do this episode looking at some of your work on Amazing Spider-Man. And he was very gracious and still did it. He still had a conversation with me, uh, even though it just wasn't meant for broadcast. So if you actually really want to talk to David, maybe even ask him, say, like, I know you don't want to do podcast interviews. That's okay. Is there any chance I could still chat with you? Yeah, that would be, that would be great. I think in his email, he may have said something where, He's got some sort of contractual obligation that he would do podcasting at a certain with a certain person or at a certain place. I don't oh. remember exactly what it was, but it was it was a legitimate reason why he just doesn't go around and do a ton of podcasts. So it could have been something like that, but I don't I don't think you did. It, it would have been your uh, interview with him because I, I listened to that one. It was a good one. Well, I was going to say I'm usually yeah. not offensive. <laughs> no, no, and and. Mo- not most all of the interviews i've heard from your show the the creators you've spoken with have been very pleasant and happy and and a lot of times the interview goes longer than you you've agreed to because they're enjoying the conversation themselves because they've got to answer the questions right if they don't want to talk they they could shut it down as quickly as they want to that's true i'll make i have three uh quick comments on that um one that made me laugh was um 
uh, and I just mentioned it in another segment in this episode uh, that, that I've just recorded, um, that one of the interviews that I always felt didn't go as well and it was a little bit choppier was my interview with Peter David. So I don't know if you've read, listened to that one because uh, that one felt like it was a little bit a little terser than normal, um, a little bit more strained, but it was just, I think, more of a timing thing um, that didn't quite work out as well. Um, and then the other thing, I already forgot what I was going to mention, but, um, oh, well, I guess I'll just leave it there. Yeah, the, the one with Peter David didn't quite, uh, wasn't quite the best. Everything else, I think, generally speaking, has have gone fairly well. And, yeah, they, uh, the, the height of a compliment to me is when it goes long and they don't mind and they keep going. Yeah, no, you've had a couple where you, you, you've done really well that way. And, and I recently listened to an interview you did where it seemed like, it wasn't not anything on your end. It's just that the questions were being answered very, very uh, easily from from the guest, and it was like, oh, they didn't expand at all. Like mm. you, you, it was almost like you had to figure out ways to keep the the flow of it going. You did a really good job, and then as the interview went on, then the person opened up and really started to uh, get a little bit more detailed in there. And um, what's the word? Not casual, but just very. Just a nice fluid conversation. I'm curious who that was. Do you want me to mention it on, yeah. on the air? It was it was Norm Brayfogle. I felt oh. that first he was a little bit um, not timid, but he just wasn't as forthright. And it wasn't so much that you weren't asking good questions. It may have just been that he was shy or hold, or, or almost like. I, he wouldn't have thought people would really be interested in the questions you were asking him because he said, why would anybody care about me sort of thing? Mm. And then you really drew him out as the interview went on. And I thought like that you, you handled it well. Cause I, for me listening to it, I'm like, Oh boy, I wouldn't know what to have done from there. If he answered the question that way and you, you did a good job. Now, now that you've kind of, you've, you've done more interviews yourself and uh, again, you're a podcaster and you talk to these creators, do you find when you listen to other podcasts where they do do interviews of creators that you, uh, judge them differently? Like, cause you are listening to it differently because you've sat in that chair, you have talked to those creators, you, you know, you come, you come to it as an interviewer as opposed to just a listener. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I listen to them now with things to take away of, oh, that was really good or that works well or. Um, you know, don't don't do that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm when I'm interviewing somebody, I try to take note of that. And a lot of times, I may have things lined up that I want to talk about or ask as far as point form. Like here are things I want to get to, but based on how they're answering the questions, I'll just turn it into a conversation that. I'll try to make it flow as naturally as possible without me saying, I really want to know about this. When they're talking about, you know, their favorite childhood comic books, I'm going to keep asking about the favorite childhood comic books. For sure. I had an interview yeah. um, that when this comes out will not have aired yet, but it was with uh, Kelly Thompson, who's writing a lot of books right now, like Mr. and Mrs. X. She just wrote uh, Rogan Gamut. She's writing the upcoming West Coast Avengers book. And uh, when we were chatting, she mentioned that um, in passing that, you know, when she first started reading comics, it's because two of her brothers, or her brothers, I should say, uh, were bringing comics home. Um, so then, she, you know, she got to read some of them. And then a, a little ways into the conversation, I kind of I brought it back to there, and I was like, you know, whatever happened to your brothers in comics? And it was one of those questions where it took her a moment to be like, oh, yeah, like, cause who would ever ask that? <laughs> you know? But I was curious, yeah. like, it was interesting because her brothers got her into comics, but obviously she stayed in comics and kind of fell out and then fell back into comics. But, you know, 
the people who got her in, what happened to them, and it was kind of an interesting, like, I won't spoil the rest of that story, but it was interesting to kind of talk to her, and again, I like being able to, you know, kind of, you know, kind of ride the rhythm of conversation and, you know, come back to pieces and, you know, do things that aren't just the obvious questions or just get questions that are based on the actual conversation that you're having that, you know, no one else is going to ask that question because they wouldn't have the answer that created the question to begin with. And that's kind of the fun it, of, a, of a good interview. Exactly. And, and it, it's a sign that, and I think it makes them feel you're really listening to them as opposed to, I just want to know why you made Spider-Man do this. For sure. What were you, you know, what was your decision of making Thor become Eric Masterson? If you're talking to Tom DeFalco, like you're, you, you go where they almost are excited to talk about stuff. For sure. Um, two interviews that I've, I like, and I'm very happy with them, but I laugh when I, when I think of them because they don't feel like real interviews in a lot of ways is, uh, my interview with Cal Dodd from earlier this year, the voice of Wolverine from the animated series of X-Men. Um, <laughs> Just because it was less of a, an interview and more of a kind of like a monologue. It was just kind of like we kind of let him go where he wanted to go. We would pepper in questions where we could, but it was really his narrative drive. And uh, the same thing, much more so, with um, Alex Sabiak, who did an episode <laughs> last year. Because I'm pretty I sure to that one. That was great. I'm pretty sure I asked him one question, which is, how did you get into comics? And an hour and a half later, he's like, oh, I got to go. <laughs> I'm like, okay. That was, yeah, that, it was. I was impressed with that in the sense of like, you just ask them one question, and you just have to lay back and listen to the story. Like, how great is that? For sure. My my one regret of that is that we were never and still haven't been able to get him back because his yeah. story ends in 1987. Like, oh, I know. Yeah, it's true. You, you just got to the point where you were about to talk about Spider Man almost. Exactly. Like we were. I think yeah. we were literally the way he teed it up is that we were either in Tom DeFalco or Jim Shooter's office, and then he had to go. And now it's been like a, a year and a half. What happens next? Yeah, you got to get that one. You got to get that one back. Part two, the continuation. Who? Who? Uh, we'll wrap this up, this segment up in a moment. But I want to ask for your own show. Who are? Who's kind of? Are there any white whales or any kind of interview uh, creators that, or creators you really want to interview that you haven't gotten to yet and are really kind of top of the bucket list? Uh, like a like a, a dream interview or just someone who uh, I, I could. A potentially interview because I, I think those are two different would be two different answers. Uh, let's do a, like kind of a combination thereof. Like yeah, okay. Because I, I think we're all we would all we would all say people like Stanley or you know John, oh, uh, or John Romita Senior or people like that. So obviously that's not, but like you know reasonable no. people who would actually do interviews who would be kind of your your bucket list people. Okay, well I would love to be able to talk right now specifically to uh, Kurt Busick. Mm. I'd love to do an interview with him just because I really enjoy his work and his insights of him him and Mark Wade I would love to be able to talk comics to just because they're the biggest fans themselves it, it seems like mm-hmm. in the way that they write so I'd love to be able to just talk comics with them um, who else would there be man I gotta look at my shelf now and try to think of some people I'd, I'd love to be able to talk to Roger Stern I don't know if anyone can you know find him He's in Connecticut next week. <laughs> oh, you see, there you go. You'd have to go to a show. I'd love to be able to talk to George Perez because mm-hmm. he seems, you know, everything about him seems super friendly and gregarious and just generally a happy person. So I'd love to be able to talk to him. And I love, I love George Perez's work. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. I don't know. It's probably somebody who who 
worked on Spider-Man, I'd love to pick their brain on Spider-Man. Yeah. How about yourself? Who haven't you gotten um, yet that you'd love to get? I, there was a moment, a brief moment, where I thought I was close to getting Warren Ellis, and then it kind of fell away, mm. and that was that would have been cool. That would be good. It was funny because we were exchanging on Twitter, and then I thought, like, I would kind of look at his, his you know biography and look for something that I like that's kind of not on the top of what most people would ever think of to talk to him about. You know, try to go deep cut to try and, you know, kind of ingratiate myself a little. And then I picked a book called Jack Cross, which I liked that he did for DC Comics. It was only a four-issue miniseries back in, I think, the mid-2000s. And then he was like, oh, I'd like to talk about anything but Jack Cross. And I'm like, no! Nah. You know, like, no, I didn't want to do that. And then he just he never really responded after that, unfortunately. And I was actually really close once to having James Robinson on the show. This might have been be too. two or three yeah. years ago. And we actually had, like, a time and a date, and then it just didn't quite end up coalescing. And uh, that kind of sucked because those are the kind of the, the ones that I kind of got away. Um, I The big one for me personally is always going to be Mark Bagley. I know he doesn't really do interviews. Um, actually, in this episode, I've just had a conversation with Dan Gavazdan talking about how he got Mark Bagley on his show uh, way back in, I think, their ninth episode. And uh, he does tells a little story about how he thinks he was able to get him on the show. But um, I wish I could get him. I don't even think he would necessarily want to talk a lot or have a lot of answers because he just isn't doesn't seem to be that guy in terms of you know having a big media presence or any real mm. social presence. But um, just for what he meant to me as a creator when I was a kid, that would probably be right. a pretty important one. Um, same as you, I would say Kurt Busiek, and uh, definitely um, I got to talk to Fabian Nicieza, which was a big deal for me because that's cool, very cool. I mean, I think I got to chat with him twice actually, which is an embarrassment of riches because he's such an amazing author, and I was a big fan of his Thunderbolts work, which obviously piggybacked on Kurt Busiek's run on Thunderbolts. Um, trying to think who else. I think those I've talked to so many people who were those bucket list people for me, and some of them really early on. Like Tom DeFalco, I think he was maybe the third person to interview. Like it's kind of crazy that that was so early on. In fact, I'm uh, I talked to him recently about um, doing another episode soon, and uh, it would be great to be able to kind of pick his brain and go a little bit deeper. And now that I'm a little bit better at this, hopefully I can have an even better conversation because he's such an amazing person to talk to, and I I can't wait to to you eventually getting to talk to him because he's a lot of fun. Like he's got such a great personality and uh, he really commands an interview. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That then, and, and from what I, all the interviews I've heard with him, it's again, somebody who has, it, it, it's their pleasure to be able to talk to you about stuff that they've worked on. And, you know, people forget he was writing, um, these characters, Spider-Man, Thor, uh, Fantastic Four while being the editor in chief at Marvel which is like people forget like you're, t- you're talking to someone who was really running the entire ship at one point so it's a great guy to be able to talk to for sure oh one I, one interview I should say I really loved and I would love to talk to him again because I think he could probably talk for days and I would never get bored is Ralph Macchio um it was such a that was a good one yeah that was, was very good it was so much fun and uh it was like a late night interview uh because he's a he's a night owl and we just kind of chatted for a couple hours and it was great and when it ended it definitely felt like i could do this again like this we're not done at some point i'm going to try and get him back and uh you know again he has so many stories um that it, I, I don't think they would ever end because he's been he was at marvel forever and he knows everyone he you know knows where everybody is buried and he has stories about everything right like he's the yeah. the, the yeah. ideal interview subject. Yeah, no, it's a, that's a great one because you can go anywhere. There's not a place in the Marvel universe or or comic publishing where you can't 
go with that person like that. You, you almost you can be as prepared as you like, but once they start telling the story, it's going to trigger another thing in your mind. Oh, I got to ask this now. Yeah, that's a good one. That was a good interview, by the way. Oh, thank you. Uh, so, uh, why don't you plug your own show for a moment? Okay, well, the show is Cave of Solitude. You can find it on uh, at caveofsolitude.com, on iTunes, and other places that uh, podcasts are available. It's a comic book pop culture show. I host it uh, mainly with my wife. I have my friend uh, and artist Shane Heron on it uh, quite frequently. Martin Slam Duncan from the Fastball Special guests frequently on it. And we you know, do movie reviews. We do comic book reviews. A lot of top 10, top 5 lists for you know, our favorite movies. And it you know has that nostalgia feel. So if you like pop culture, if you like comic books, come listen to it. we got some great personalities on there. And uh, yeah, follow us on Facebook too. Excellent. And you're going to be back on it soon too, right? Oh man, that is uh, the, the saddest thing. The, the lost episode that we did together, it was, oh, it was, so, much was so much fun. Yeah. I know. I know. We're, we'll, we'll do it again. We can't recreate the magic, but we're, we'll... we'll we got a. I want to get a, a chatting with Chapman uh, episode. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like a reoccurring episode. You know, I will tell you I don't something. Know if you listen. I'll tell you something yeah. that I would I would almost never cop to it, but I will allow you to do it if you want. Is that you? It could be chatting with Chappie, which I would never usually allow because I hate the, the nickname Chappie. But if it was going to be a segment on your show or a, you know a frequently occurring thing, I would do it. Yeah, I like that. It's it, it was it's fun to be able to talk to somebody who has spoken to as many people as you have, but also loves both the the legacy comic books that are republished and is keeping up to date with stuff now. Like you, we can relate on a lot of little. Um, what are those things? Those those nuances of collecting and those idiosyncratic things that a lot of people don't get, but we we, we understand each other. <laughs> this is true. All even today, we were talking about the sickness involved and the fact that I have you know Superior Spider Man and trade paperback, but I really want the complete collections now that they're being offered, and I I, I, I kind of want to sell my old ones. And although I do have a, a more than just being a kind of a, a having that collecting bug, the reason why I, what is really fueling it is that. Um, I only started buying trades of all the Amazing Spider-Man stuff after Superior started. Uh, up until that point, I only ever bought the singles. I was like, oh, I don't need the trades. That's a waste. And now I'm like, no, I want it all on my shelf as well. So I started buying Superior Spider-Man. And then they started recollecting the Brand New Day era in these big fat collections, as well as the uh, so Brand New Day and Big Big Time eras. But the problem with the Big Time era is that those big fat trades only go up until Amazing Spider-Man I guess 697 and so right. it leaves off Dying Wish and they put it in the Superior Spider-Man Complete Collection which I didn't want to buy because I already yeah. have these other ones so I have this gap in my collection not actually because I own it digitally and I own it in physical but in the floppies but in terms <laughs> of the collected editions I'm missing Dying Wish and that just cannot stand and I don't really want to buy Dying Wish on its own because it doesn't really fit well with the you know the big fat collections and then the superior collections which have their own spine that kind of matches up nicely so because I have the collecting sickness I have thought about well maybe I should sell these trades and just com- replace them with the complete collections because I have a problem yeah, see, everything you said right now makes you sound like a maniac, and I totally understand you and feel for you, <laughs> <laughs> which makes me a maniac, too. Absolutely. Well, and my last parting shot, again, 
I, uh, a book I loved was Manhattan Projects, as I mentioned. Um, so that I think I, when it was coming out, I was buying it digitally and in print at the same time because I was trying to support the book. And I bought the trades of it. So I just had, had it in so many different formats. I ended up deciding not to get the hardcovers because I was like, I already own this three times over. They don't need my money anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my wife has tried to make a rule for me saying that if you have it one way, don't buy don't buy it again. It's just a waste of money. And I'm like, but you don't understand. <laughs> when I bought it the first time, this version of it wasn't out, or else I just would have bought it this way. <laughs> it's a it's a very interesting hobby. I guess um, yeah. it's akin to people who buy multiple collections of DVDs or Blu-rays when they fix something or they make something a little bit different or they enhance the restoration. And comics, they do that all the time. They're constantly restoring things in a different way. Yeah, it's true. Well, thank you so much for joining us for, uh, and for being part of episode 600. And uh, hopefully we'll have you on again soon for your own episode where we'll, uh, we'll do a deep dive into something. Um, I don't think I have – I don't actually think I ever did a top five Avengers story. So maybe that's something we could do at some point. That sounds – and you know what? I've been reading a lot of Avengers lately, so I'll be able to uh, have a top five ready for you for that. That sounds good. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Adam. Oh, hey. How great was that? Special thanks to Eric for coming on the show. Uh, We'll hope to maybe have him again sometime. Uh, In case you didn't hear, his podcast is called Cave of Solitude. Got it? Cool. Next up, we got another friend of the podcast. Uh, Not just a friend of the podcast, like an actual friend of our house, of our family. Um, My son calls him Uncle Tibor, so that tells you the kind of relationship he's got with us. We love Tibor. He's a great guy. I don't actually know what he's going to talk about, but I assume it's Star Trek. Um, That's kind of his thing. So that's probably what you're going to get. One time we let T-Word decide what we'd go for Halloween is. And he was like, hey, guys, it's the uh, insert anniversary 25th, maybe 50th, 40th. It was an anniversary or not (laughs) of Star Trek The Next Generation, I think. Anyway, he's like, wouldn't it be great if we all went as Star Trek people for Halloween? And my cousin and I were like, yeah, this is a great idea. We love Tibor, so let's do something that will make Tibor happy, and we'll go as people from Star Trek. So he, kind enough, orders these costumes for us online. They come. We try them on. They are skin-tight bodysuits. Like, skin-tight. Like, I don't know if you dudes listening to the pod- podcast know what camel toe is, but, like, my cousin had some serious camel toe. Sorry, Sarah. Um, they had, like, really short arms. And, like, when you sit down, the back of the bodysuit would, like, pull, so it, like, choked me a little bit. And I couldn't get out of it by myself. And we went to a bar, and we were drinking. And like, I actually had to get other women to help me in and out of this thing when I went to the bathroom. Anyway, it was super fun. Um, T-Wars outfit was basically just a shirt, and he wore his own comfortable black pants. So, you know, midway through the night when we're complaining, um, T-Wars like, oh, I guess I could have just got you guys the shirts as well. And we're like, yeah, thanks, T-Wars. To which T-Wars replied, next time. And we're like, no, 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 no. There is no next time. You get one Star Trek, and we did it. But we looked good. Um, we might have to throw that picture up because we rocked those really uncomfortable bodysuits. Anyway, here's Tibor talking about something probably Star Trek. 
Welcome to another segment of episode 600. I'm Adam Chapman again, because I have been the entire episode. I'm joined by Tibor Mate. Hi, Tibor. How's it going? How's it going? So this is another anniversary episode. So have you, usually we talk Trek, and we've had a lot of Trek stuff happening recently. Yeah. Um, so Some big news in the last like, week. Yeah, so we want to talk about the want to talk good news or bad news first? I mean, I don't know. Okay. Or the potentially ugly? Well, I mean, what's, what's good news? What's bad news? I don't know. Well, I feel like the most recent news is... is Potentially promising news. So let's maybe save that to the end. Okay, cool. All right. So we have Discovery coming back soonish. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know exactly when it starts, but it was a uh, season two. Uh, yeah. Season I'm two assuming Discovery. it's like end of September, beginning of October. Yeah. Well, it looks like I guess according to Netflix UK or Ireland, it's not coming out until 2019. Um, oh yeah, interesting. Yeah, it said in 2019. Oh well, then maybe it's the so, whole thing. Is. So maybe it's actually the little delayed. I would have expected it earlier, but I mean. With non-network television, there's no such thing as a regular release schedule anymore. Yeah, I know, I know. So it so doesn't really matter. It could kind of be whenever it wants to be. Yeah. Um, like, one thing, like, this is, is network television, but I, I follow the TV show Elementary. I really enjoy it. Yeah. It's been on CBS for years. Uh, for whatever reason this year, they ended up holding it until the summer, which I don't know why, but so but it's a full season. I think it's still having, like, 22 episodes. Uh, so like, the entire summer, I'm just getting new episodes of Elementary, which is kind of cool, but I'm not used to that anymore. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, like, the, uh, the traditional broadcast schedule isn't really a thing anymore, so if they want to release Star Trek and... You know, January or whenever, it doesn't really make a huge difference. Yeah. Um, it sounds like it was the first season was this, you know a rating success, or at least new people were buying CBC, CBS All Access, and yeah. so, and then that's unfortunately that's really all that matters to you know CBS is that is it getting people to use our streaming service? Is it our flagship? Is it doing well even though it's expensive? Um, they kind of don't care about if it's critically acclaimed or not. Yeah, I mean, obviously it was a yeah, it's a business. So, but I do wonder. Like, here's my my thought process, and I've thought a lot about Discovery uh, in the last little while. Is that you know we we have baggage. If Todd sat down and watched Discovery, would he like it? Yeah, maybe. But at the same time, I still think there's like there's even without Star Trek knowledge, there's still enough holes in the story. I think that's just modern sci-fi, unfortunately. I think Yeah, modern- but it's bullshit. Like what, what we I agree with you. But it's it's bullshit. Like uh, like unacceptable like big time like, you know, shitty writing is okay now. Like kind of. The way they wrapped up the war was a total joke. Oh, it was. And not only that, but if you're going to get into a war story, why were they committed to one season? Mm-hmm. Not only that, but they get an extension of episodes and they still can't wrap it up properly. Like I don't get it. Yeah. The they- biggest problem I find with like a lot of these things is like you have Shorter runs. You would think that with shorter runs, you could get a more co- more cohesive story, especially if it's going to be an overarching story. Yeah, and you know, like have the time to work out the damn kinks and make it an interesting story. True. You know what I mean? And and fill in those those plot holes and fill uh, you know yeah. figure the shit out. Like I don't understand. Like you know, back in the day, they were pumping out twenty six episodes of TNG a, a season. Well, not only were they pumping out twenty six episodes a season, but twenty six stories. Separate yeah, stories. They are separate stories, but at the same time, sure, you had one or two stinkers, maybe. Yeah. But you had a tremendous amount of quality and cohesive stories. I, I honestly, I've had the same arguments about comics too. Is that comics used to be? I pick up twelve different issues and I got twelve different stories. Yeah. I pick 12, 12 issues now. I get two stories. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. And yes, they're good and they look they look nice, but it's not. I'm not necessarily getting the same level of amount of content or amount of kind of story yeah. ideas being pumped in. It's for better or for worse, and I feel that way definitely about sci-fi television more than any other television. Is that they do, they have the time to spend on these things, but sometimes I just want to have a story. And 
when I look at Discovery, there's only a couple episodes of the first season where I feel like I got a full story in an episode. Yeah, that too. Yeah, like I, I like the the mud episode, the the, t- the time jumping one. Yeah, that that was a story. Like it was yeah, in self-contained the sort of. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was more or less self-contained. I mean, you need some prior knowledge of other stuff kind of going on in the background, but it's yeah. not necessarily as important as the main story. Whereas, like we just watched the trailer for season two of Discovery, and it de- definitely makes me feel like, well, this isn't. This isn't a bunch They're of different episodes. To discover things. Yeah, well, yes and no. My, <laughs> my problem there again is that, like, when they have Pike showing up and saying like I'm taking over, there's this directive, yeah. there's an emergency. I'm like, I don't want an emergency all the time. I want it to just be we have a mission to discover things and we're going to go do that. Like yeah. that's what that's what Star Trek was. Now DS9 was a little bit different. It was the only one that kind of changed that idea. Right. All the others had the basic premise of we're going to go out into the world or the universe. We're going to discover things. We're going to discover new civilizations, new planets, and yeah. we're going to you know be involved in new experiences. Um, this just doesn't. This just always feels like it's threat level red, and I don't want that. I don't need that from my from my Star Trek. It's because then it feels less of discovery, more of it's always emergencies. Like, yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, like it. Like, I don't understand why they couldn't just have Pike take over for another reason, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, but they had to have Pike there for some reason, too, right? Well, and so, I'm another thing about, you know, the trailer, so we see, you know, the kind of throwback costumes. The more, yeah, the, well, they're the new costumes just transitioned into the throwback costume. Is that, yeah. Because if you look at it, like, the collar's the same, they're, yeah. they're, a lot of the aesthetics are the same as the Discovery uniform, but they've made it so that now it's, like, the solid color. So is the Enterprise the only... You know, yeah, again, I don't, I don't get that, right? Like, traditionally, Starfleet seems to have the same uniform across the fleet, right? Yeah. So in the original series, they had different, like, yeah. uh, badges, yeah. right, to distinguish ships. But, yeah, I don't get the logic behind well, I guess, Like, I guess Deep Space Nine had different uniforms, though, from next yeah. generation, right? Was it Generations, or was it First Contact, where they kind of had a mix? Generations, yeah, which was also weird, right? Like, why do you have some people wearing this uniform? Some people wearing that uniform. Well, some, I don't know. Some people, you know, have the new. Collection. Why does Starfleet change their uniform so often? There's like a like a fan theory that you know, like what's this, for time travel? Oh yeah. If if you're going back in time, you can figure out which time period you're in based on the, the uniforms, right? It's <laughs> funny. Which is kind of true. It's um, true. Well, I mean, I guess they didn't. You, I mean, I guess like obviously, it's it, the the real reason is that you know different producers, different production, yeah. right? They want different styles. Right? I mean, like TNG had the same color scheme, at least like. The, the the actual aesthetic yeah but the only change. reason they changed the gold to red for command was because Patrick Stewart looked better in red was that he why? didn't look good in gold yeah, according to them right interesting so right so they they, they made a change just based on huh. a visual thing as I well never, right I never thought about it I guess that is true yeah because he would have been wearing gold huh. right so you know I mean it, it is one it is one of those things they I like yeah and then originally like in, in generations apparently they were going to have a, a totally new uniform style like it was Similar to the TNG GNG era, well, they made but like, action figures based on the whole. Yeah, the action figures actually ended up getting produced, and then it was a, the, they never actually used yeah. the uniforms. In the, in the I don't movie. know which podcast I was listening to, but they were talking about that—the yeah. fact that there was like these cool new designs that they brought out yeah. that that they, they brought back like the figures. stripes on the on the sleeve and stuff. Yeah. Like, so so cool. you know, there was a, like yeah, and then they dumped those, and then they went with like transitioning them to the Deep Space Nine style. Yeah, and then eventually, when First Contact came out, they had the new uniform, which then transitioned into Deep Space Nine. Okay, is but that the one with like the? the it sort color? of had the grayish, bluish top. Do you like that? And the color; those are my favorite of that of that twenty fourth really? century era. Yeah, but they, they're not as clear. What command? 
Like, no, well, it had the uh, had the undershirt that had the color, yeah. and then it had the stripe across the. Uh, the it felt like it, it felt more. Sleeve. It felt more muted to me. Like yeah, it, but I kind of like that. Like I didn't like the bright bright colors necessarily. Yeah. Like I kind of like the more muted look. Like it, it, it feels more like militaristic a little, which I kind of like. It's a, mm. uh, like outside of that, my probably the next my, my favorite uniform would be the like uh, TOS era movie yeah. uniforms. Okay. Right. So it's a so the red uniform. Right. Yeah. Like, it's a. And again, they're a little bit more militaristic. That's why Roddenberry actually, um, in uh, yesterday's Enterprise, okay. they had those uniforms, but they he removed the belts from them, oh. and he removed a lot of the like um, like adorning like um, okay. like uh, military kind of look to it, yeah, and made them look sort of more TNG ish. So it has that sort of transition okay. look. And um, yeah, because he always hated those uniforms. Apparently, I do like DS Nine because it again it, it mutes some of the splash of color, but you still have the color. But that's true. Yeah, it was a more basic. It's kind of funny because those uniforms were originally sort of like the cadet uniform. Yeah, like they took the cadet look almost and made it into a standard uniform. It does make it more like a ju- look more like a jumpsuit, though. Yeah, and I mean, I guess obviously they wanted to distinguish the series, so that's why they had the different uniforms. But yeah, it's kind of a weird thing, like. You know, how does this paramilitary organization yeah. assign uniforms, right? I mean, I guess Dis- Discovery's uh, costumes in terms of color schemes isn't that different than uh, Enterprise. Yeah, someone actually made, like, like a like a side-by-side comparison. Like, so going from Enterprise to Discovery to now these uniforms. Yeah. It does kind of look like a sort of natural progression, I guess, a little bit. The only difference being is, I guess, the Discovery uniforms dropped the color altogether, right? Yeah. They went with gold, silver, and bronze, right, for the divisions. So now and then now you're going into the colors. It just feels weird, which is weird though because Enterprise did have colors still, yeah. right? Like the you know. Gold. Like I feel like if Discovery had been set 20 years earlier, I wouldn't have been complaining at all. Yeah, I mean, it's it. Obviously, they changed it. I guess maybe they listened to the fan complaint about it. I don't know. It just feels but, like it, to me it enter it asks more questions now. That like, oh, why does the Enterprise well, it's an alternate universe? As far as I'm concerned, I so. know, I know. We've, we've talked about this at length, yeah. but like it just makes me wonder. Like, what was the point of adding this in? Because now I'm just like, well, why does this other Ship Why are they trans- yeah, no, I know. It's uh, just adding another element of like you know, we probably won't get an explanation. But I mean, no. do we? Do other people really care, or is it just us because we are more Star Trek? Fans? I feel like I feel like fans care. No, fans care, but do they care about fans? Um, I mean, well, maybe not with this show, but maybe <laughs> we'll get a show where they do care. Well, we'll see. I don't know. What's it? Um, so like the new, so the new season definitely looks again much more kind of plot based. Uh, well, there's like obviously an overall arcing, or arcing story there with like these red orbs that show up. I'm fine with that. Spock is involved with it. So, I mean, part of me is like, is that uh, have anything to do with red matter? Because... Oh, fuck off. Like, J.J. Abrams with his red shit. I know, I know. But, I mean, there is a way to make that work. Oh, like, just leave the red matter alone. I don't need red matter. But that was hopefully the first thing... this is something that... It was the first thing I thought of. I didn't, I didn't think of that, so hopefully... Because I'm just like, well, something different. the last time we saw something red, it was... It kind of created yeah. its own timeline. And then 3PO got a red arm just because... <laughs> yeah, well, it happens. Red is in. Yes, I red in there. Red is in there. Um, okay, so... My own... My, another thing about the trailer that bugged me... So, I got... So I guess this is what Anson Mount, he was, I believe, Black Bolt in the failed Inhuman show, which I never watched, but I believe that that's his playing Pike. Oh, okay, you're right. I believe okay. his name is Anson, Anson Mount. I oh, think. yeah, I don't know the actor's name. What's so it? He, he looks fine as Pike. Yeah, like, I don't he, know much he, about it, the guy. It feels like I, there's one scene where it definitely felt like he was channeling a bit, a bit of Greenwood. 
Um, yeah, I mean, like, I guess Greenwood's probably a little too old now to maybe play it. He but is. At the same time, I just feel like it's like a recasting again. Like, I don't mind it. If you're going to do it, at least this feels like he looks kind of like a younger uh, It works. I think he's got the look. He look like, what's that? And I hope he's actually a decent captain, not like fucking Lorca, right? Like, but I guess the whole point there was that, you know. Yeah, he was Mirror Universe. Except that I'm still not convinced that that was the... F- <laughs> because why was his chief of security such a piece of shit? That's a good question. And she wasn't from the Mirror Universe no. because we later saw her Mirror counterpart. True. Which, people, again, leads me to believe that they weren't that smart from the beginning. Some people are just assholes. Right, but I don't... I, I just don't... Like, I don't think that's right. Like, I think that came later. It like, was a cop-out. When we first met... Um, oh, I forget his name now, but the engineer, he was big dick in the first few episodes. Yeah, he was more tolerable, though. Like, he was a personal dick, sort of, like... I didn't like him at all in the first couple episodes. I don't know. I came to like him more. No, for sure. I agree with you there, but like, I just feel like he wasn't necessarily a dick to other people in the same way that Lorca was. Like, you know what I mean? He was sort of, he was just, that was more his personality where like Lorca is a piece of shit. Yeah. Right? Like he is a dirtbag human being. Yes. He's from the mirror universe, but so was the security officer who wasn't from the the mirror universe. Right? Anyway, we've, True. we've discussed it before. And another thing about the trailer that brings up, so I, one thing I like, and then I'll immediately follow it up with something I hated. Um, <laughs> I like the idea that, you know, Spock is gone. And then they say, oh, well, this is connected to Spock. I'm like, well, fuck off. Yeah, I Because I, like, I like the idea that maybe he took a leave and he wasn't there. Okay, that's great. You yeah. don't have to worry about Spock being around. Well, they've said that they cast Spock. They did? Yeah, they announced that they've cast And him. it's not Quinto? No, it's not Quinto. <laughs> which, again, is kind of like... I. Are you okay I, with that or not? Well, like, this is the thing, is, like, we're recasting already again, like, and also, not only that, I like Quinto as Spock. True, like, but I if think you get pr- Quinto, he's so... Well, he probably, it's probably money-wise, right? And also, it's a... True. The thing now is that you have two different entities owning these properties, right? Yeah. The movies are owned separately from are they? the series. Yeah, well, oh. CBS got all the series, and yeah. Paramount got all the movies. So that's probably partially, what, uh, you know, a thing in there, too. Not that I like. What's Quinto doing? Like he's been doing a few things. But he has his own production time. company. He's developing. Stuff. Yeah, so maybe he's doing more. And plus, the they stuff. do have eventually. They have Star Trek Four and the. Yeah, they, like Star Trek Four has been announced as well. So yeah. I guess they and want they to have keep the Tarantino separate. project afterwards, which is fucking dumb in my opinion. I don't need a rated R Star Trek, but anyway, I don't. I honestly don't think that's going to work out well. But whatever. I agree with you. I don't think we need it. I don't. Well, there's well, nothing about Star Trek that says this needs to be rated R. You, even in Discovery, when uh, Tilly dropped the f bomb. Yeah, it was just it felt out of place. It really, like, it really felt forced. Did she said it a couple times. I think she said it once. Maybe they said a shit here or there. And I have nothing wrong with like I have no problem with swearing. Like it just didn't feel right though. Like, no, it felt forced and out of place. Like just but to be fair. Like part of our again the way that we came to Star Trek was with our parents. But it just didn't feel natural. Like no. if you throw like, it in there naturally, like if someone's running or something, like and they say shit or something, like you know, because like like you're being attacked. Like there's a way to do it naturally. Hers felt really forced. Like, it was like, oh, look, we dropped the F-bomb. Yeah, and they even sort of focused in on it. And, like, made, yeah. it's like, you know, it just was awkward. It was awkward. It was a bad decision, if I, in my opinion, no, the way I, they handled it. I absolutely agree that it was a weird and awkward decision. Yeah. So my issue here is that I like the idea that they immediately say, oh, Spock's not here. But then they follow Yeah, and then they with, automatically link it right away to Yeah, Spock. That, oh, this red, this red yeah. stuff or whatever's out there. It's, He's it's, involved. And, I'm, and, and I just find, like, Why? Why does it have like why? Why? Because you need to know somebody in the show, right? Because this is not for us. I guess so everybody else has heard. It's heard. just 
it's just so frustrating because like I don't need that extra. I don't need everything. But to as a casual fan, oh, I know Spock. I don't know. Maybe I'll watch this now. It's you know again, there are a lot of similarities with what works and what doesn't work with Star Trek, and what works and doesn't work in comics. And comics do that a lot too, where everyone has to be connected, and it's just yeah. like like they had this sequence. Which the Star Wars syndrome too, right? Oh, for sure. They killed off a character in a Spider-Man comic. Like spoilers for Amazing Spider-Man 800. Yeah. Um, and they, so they killed off Flash Thompson, who's been a long-time uh, character. He's been a superhero as well. And they have this great um, funeral scene. And I was looking at it, and I was like, so many, like almost every character except for Aunt May has somehow been involved either as a superhero, helped a superhero, been a supervillain. <laughs> like, they've all had some sort of connection. Yeah. It's a little, it really starts to strain credulity, except for Aunt May. Like, she's the only one who's totally oblivious to what's going on. Yeah. And I'm just like, that's that's not good. You need to, you know, populate other characters in the world. Yeah. You can't have everything be connected. And that's how I felt about this, is that why does this have to be connected to Spock? Yeah. Can't just Spock be its own thing? Well, I mean, they already made the Mike Burnham connection to Spock and Sarah, which I don't even know if that was really necessary. I, again, didn't... I, it could have been any other Vulcan. It didn't yeah. need to be It kind of... Then we did come to the agreement that it makes kind of sense, though, that Sarah would be the one to take her on, and like, yeah, in a way. But at the same time... He's the this most... This one of these weird things that, like... Yeah. He, He's he, the most predisposed to have any connection yeah. with the Earth yeah. and humans. Everyone else would be very like, what? But they made that connection from the beginning, so we knew eventually they'd probably throw yeah. Spock in there somehow, too. Right. Just a random question. Obviously, it'll never be addressed in the show because they don't. They wouldn't care about this. <laughs> Paul's still alive, right? At this point. Uh, yeah. Well, they mentioned uh, Archer, right? And they mentioned yeah. the Enterprise. So yeah. So. But like, like, do you think she's alive? She should alive? be alive. Yeah. Because they live pretty long. Well, I mean, you never know. I guess she could have died too, right? Could've, Who knows? She was killed yeah. in an accident or whatever. True. But, but like her regular. Like potentially, life she could be alive. Yeah. Because yeah. like, if Sarah could be in. Well, uh, less and then potentially Archer could be. could be alive, right? Because the like his original or well in Enterprise. We were never supposed to see it, but I guess because of HD, we were able to read the screen okay. in the mirror universe, okay. oh, really? where, they, where they have the prime universe defiant, okay. yeah, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. And Archer's going through the records, and yeah. he finds the prime universe Archer. Oh, really? And in the in the description, it says that he lived to watch the 1701 Enterprise launch. No way. So I guess he would like maybe have just died, or yeah. you know what I mean? So he saw the launch of 1701, huh. That's and then cool. died. Yeah, That's like shortly after. Yeah, yeah. so it's a. I mean, again, that'll never happen or, or be mentioned or. But. Well, I mean, like they did it mention Archer, so it's a like. Yeah. They mentioned him, but Archer yeah, he was mentioned he, in the Calvin timeline movies too, wasn't he at the beginning? Well, his dog, yeah, Admiral Archer's dog. Yeah. So Porthos got a call out. So Admiral, I, I think they mentioned it was Admiral Archer. At what point was he mentioned in the movie? I, I think, think it's in the first one, two thousand nine. But like, so he was still alive then too. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I guess he would have been, yeah. So in the Calvin timeline and in the Prime timeline, he is alive to Potentially, watch. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Question. Well, the Calvin timeline, though, the 1701 is yeah. just launching. True. Right? Whereas here, it's been launched for a bit. So I don't the, know how long we are. Follow-up question about timelines. Um, the ship that shows up in the Mirror Universe episode of Enterprise, what's yeah, it called again? The Defiant. The, it is the Defiant, okay. Yeah, is that the Constitution from, class. Is it from the Prime Universe or the Kelvin Universe? Or could it be it's either? from the Prime Universe. So what they did was there was an episode of the original series yeah. where the Defiant, um, like all of the crew are found dead. Okay. Right? And it phases in and out of, uh, like, of the Prime Universe. And then okay. they, they showed what happened to it. Like, okay. So it, it phased remember. into the Mirror Universe. Got it me. just never addressed it in the original series, right? And it was sort of a cool link to. What do like, they do with the rest of it? Like they just found them, and then what was like what went from there? Like they, I think it ends up disappearing at the end of the episode. I can't remember now, right? Or like they were. They basically the whole crew was dead, though. 
Okay. So right? what do they do for the entire episode? Just like wonder what happened or like Yeah, it's part of the Tholian web uh, like uh, uh, thing, yeah. right? So it's a, so anyway. Yeah, it's the Tholians and they made a co- cool connection there to the original series, right? And, yeah. Season four of Enterprise was really good. Yeah, well it made those connections that it was sort of afraid to in the earlier days. Yeah. But they only made like some small connections and then, they wanted it to be its own thing. No, and I get that too, but it like you know, when you go backwards, like it's inevitable you're gonna make connections and then here we are again, right? True. So speaking so we've talked about going backwards. Let's yeah. about, finally we'll finally have something going forwards. Yeah, right. It's a uh, Which is exciting at least in premise. We know nothing. Yeah. They know nothing. But so this past weekend this past weekend? Or? Yeah, it was this past weekend because the big Star Trek convention in Vegas, right? Have you ever gone? No, I've never been to the big It's pretty one. crazy expensive, isn't it? Uh, well, it's a, yeah, like the tickets aren't the cheapest, yeah, so, but I've never been though, but I feel like that has to be on your bucket list, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely on the list, yeah. It'd be cool to do the Vegas one. There's people that go every year, right? I can imagine. Would you go with your mom? Like, has she ever been? No, she's never been to the Vegas one. Like, it's a, I mean, the last, like, major Star Trek, or the last Star Trek convention I went to was here in Toronto. When, when it still that? existed. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a, it was a fan-run convention that no longer exists that was gobbled up basically with, uh, the big, uh, Comic-Con that we yeah. now, which destroyed everything because it's all business now it is all business so okay so they have the convention in vegas and so yeah. patrick stewart was he always supposed to be there i actually don't know if he was listed as a guest or not it's a dumb but anyway they but yeah there was a surprise announcement that he's back as john luke picard i love that he shows up in a t-shirt and like isn't he he's just chill shirt? man so he's, he's, chill. Chill. he's you know, just doing his thing as a complete aside i recently um I was looking around on Netflix for T- on TNG episodes, and I didn't realize that on there they had the special that aired right before the finale. Oh, did they? Oh, yeah. that's cool. I didn't know that. And I haven't seen that. I used to have that, like, on... I recorded it when I first yeah, came yeah, out, yeah. so I had it on a VHS, like, I mean, I'm sure I don't have it anymore, but I remember... Cause, and I watched it a lot, because I oh, love that fun. special. And I didn't fun. realize. And, and it then, talks about Voyager, right? I think it started... Yeah, at the very end, I think it talks yeah. about Voyager, and it has, like, a lot of stuff behind the scenes, and they're talking about the upcoming movie, like, all sorts of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was watching, and I realized, like, I remember it so well, and certain things I remember about TNG are because of that special. Oh, that's The funny. way that they frame certain things. It's a complete aside, but yeah, it just reminded me of how much there was a shot in there about Frakes was at like a convention walking through. And yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And yeah, it was I wonder really, if that's on the on the Blu-ray set. It probably is. I just I haven't like, checked it. To be yeah. honest, like I never thought of it. But like it's again, it's something that's I funny. Remember. I didn't even realize it's on the Netflix. Thing. Yeah, so yeah, it, like I, I haven't seen that. I don't even know if I've seen that since the, I saw it at the Dome originally. I was just going to say, you were at the Sky Dome watching on the yeah. big screen, so you probably didn't even hear all of it, because people were probably going crazy. Well, no, I remember it pretty like clearly. Like, it's yeah. a, like I remember them introducing like Voyager, because like, Frakes is the host of the whole thing, yeah. right? And I remember them introducing Voyager, and then and, uh, Robert Picardo has a bit. Yeah. And they, they, and they like, put Dr. Zimmerman. Do they? Yeah, because that was, was supposed to be his original uh, name, right? And then they, had, then they never named him through the no. series. I also, they also have, like, uh, some fun stuff, like Freaks is talking about, like, how do they get those effects for, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. the camera move, and then he, like, does, like, the, you know, the, the wobble. It's funny. Yeah, it's very 90s. It's very 90s, but honestly, it's fantastic. Like, I That's watched funny. it. I think I may have seen it once after that, but yeah. I can't remember where I would have seen it. Because, yeah, unless you recorded it, like, that was kind of, it was aired and it was gone. Like, yeah. I don't even know how Netflix got it. Like, it must have been the Blu-ray. Unless, I wonder if it's on the DVD. Yeah, maybe it was on the Blu-ray or maybe it was on the DVD. I can't My remember. homework. Go back and go uh, and I'll check, check. That. Yeah. Anyway, but that's funny. That it's anyways, complete aside. So, yeah. yeah. So, uh, Jean-Luc Picard is coming back. They've said, what, set 10, 20 years after Nemesis? Yeah, 20 years after Nemesis, which, which is, is almost is 20 years. It's almost 20 years. Because it was 2002, right? Yeah, 2002. So it's a, yeah. Uh, and it's going to be Picard-centric and not necessarily with anyone else. Well, Picard's the main character. That's all we know. And it's the next yeah. phase of his life, whatever that is. Yeah. So, so, so yeah. Not, not on a vineyard? 
Yeah. So, like, <laughs> it'd be awesome if it's 12 episodes of just him sipping up from a bottle of wine. It's like the log channel. Yeah. And so there's just 12 episodes of him well, sitting there. It'd be interesting to see, too, because, like, obviously all good things didn't happen. You know, didn't, doesn't come to mind. No, it's not the real, yeah. Well, well, I'd love to see if any of it was the same. Well, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting, right? Because the whole thing was he... Didn't he tell them because he didn't want it to end up like that, right? No, that's that true. was the whole thing, right? So, because like, Jordy was just what, married to Leah Brahms, was it? Was, was he married in the future? He I don't kids. know if they addressed that, did they? He had kids, and it's like how are the kids? Oh, okay. I didn't know who, like who he was married to. I I'm not, like what's up, but anyway, yeah. Have to brush up on our old good things. Well, yeah, I just remember him approaching Picard at the yeah. uh, at the vineyard, and like Data was at the yeah. Data was a professor, yeah, at Cambridge. No, I'm, I'm I'm curious if they'll. Have Brent Spiner involved at all because that was well, a huge as, as of right now, we don't know if anybody will be involved no. other than him, right? Well, but I would hope that like the whole cast is in there in some way. Yeah, right? like was a um, but yeah, Data like did before become Data was mm. what happened there. Um, yeah, there's a lot of questions, right? What's going on with Worf? Like, because yeah. Worf was Chancellor there, right? Or not Chancellor, but he was like a governor or something. Yeah, something like that, right? Um, like the, last the only thing that bothered me too, it was a nemesis that like. I really didn't feel like Worf should be on the bridge of the Enterprise. It was so stupid, like, to bring him back. Where they should have had a reason for him to come back. But I really thought it would have been more interesting to go with that storyline from Deep Space Nine where he left yeah. with Martok. Wasn't there a long gestating Worf series that never happened? That well, yeah, there's been talk about like, a Every Worf series. Every couple of years, yeah. Michael Dorn would be like, oh, yeah, still the Adventures of Worf kind of thing, happen. or like Captain Worf or whatever. Which would be pretty cool. Which, I guess, the, here's the other announcement that was sort of like, was that like CBS wants to have like a ton of stuff? They want to do a ton of stuff, right? Which I, I'm concerned about because it's like let's not oversaturate it. No, like, but I but get it. It's very, a fucking business, but so if we'll very just different. run it into the ground. Yeah, well, here's the thing: like back in the day in the '90s, Spider-Man had four different titles. That's a lot of Spider-Man content yeah. every month. Yeah. So when a new editor took over, he was like, "Okay, the problem is we have all these books, but they don't have a unique identity." Yeah. So we're only going to publish these books if they have an actual identity on their own. Right. And so for years, that was the attempt that they right, would right, right. each try to focus on kind of a different aspect of Peter Parker's life. And then a couple of years later, they kind of scrapped the four and replaced it with two. But again, the same idea. They tried yeah. to make it, you know, that each one's going to have its own focus. Otherwise, it's why is it existing? Yeah. Well, yeah. You don't want to have the same. Especially character. when it's about the same character. And then, yeah. and that's always also been true for Batman because Batman usually has like 800 books. So each one, if it's a specific kind of thing that he does, if right. Detective Comics is him being a detective, if one of them is him being more of a superhero with yeah. the Justice League, okay, well now it's a different, you know, shades of Batman. Right. So with Star Trek, it's a whole universe, so you could do it. No, you could, but it's just, is it going to be done well, right? Like, That's and a whole then, other question. <laughs> yeah, like I just don't want it oversaturated with a bunch of shit, right? True. So, like I'm hoping this Picard series is going to be good. We don't, we have no idea. Like there's really, really nothing other than Patrick Stewart's back. Can him just be playing his instrument? <laughs> yeah, it's just him playing the flute all the time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Like I'm just hoping that it will be some good writing and that it will be an interesting story, right? And like it will have some like you know. Where, where do you want to see Picard? Like twenty years. I, I'm hoping he's happy. I hope he's not like you know in a fucking really like miserable depressed mood and all the time or something but well, like it's interesting too because like Nemesis was a weird spot to kind of leave the franchise in cause yeah well it was not a proper send off no it was kind of a deconstruction and then we didn't really get to see yeah. anything happy after that but like you know you know, in a world where you know we finally got to see you know Han, Luke and Leia you know 30 years after the originals ended right and a lot of people were you know not I, I felt like I was sad that we kind of left them on a happy note and then we come back and they're not 
Right, like exactly, yeah. Like, so, which, I mean, it moves the story forward, but it's kind of sad because we yeah. li- we lived with that happiness for 30 years. Yeah. And then... And, then and now just, they're all fucked. And, yeah, kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, and obviously... And then, like, Luke and Han never even hung no, out. In no, the, in well, we don't know, yeah, we don't know at what point they just kind of broke off from each other. Yeah. And it, it's kind of depressing. Um, yeah, yeah. Because... But part of it's because we got to live with thirty years of happiness. Yeah, that like that our heroes lived happily ever after. Well, it's sort of the the TNG ending too, right? With yeah. Picard sitting there at the poker table and they're all True. together, right? Yeah. And then the whole thing of that was like all good things was let's not let that happen, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, so yeah, I'm hoping that it's not going to be like you know, I, I like I'm hoping they're not going to go with like oh it's a dark tone, he's depressed or some shit like that, and like. Like, let's have it be an interesting show, but have him be in a good place, hopefully, right? Yeah. Like, because I just thought, like, you know, let's see what happens. Like, there, there's a lot of interesting things you could do without having to make him a depressed, shitty yeah. human being. And I don't right? have any interest in watching that. Yeah. Like, I don't want a broken down Picard. I, no. I want, uh, you know, I if want anything, a Picard that's, like, done well for himself yeah. or, like, you know, and is, you know, we'll see what happens. If anything, season one and two TNG is more like the slightly broken down Picard in some ways because it's a reaction well, to Stargazer. Like, yeah. like, and he's very rigid at the beginning, and you can see that you know, obviously, he's had tr- trauma in his life, right? And then throughout the series, he relaxes, even though he becomes literally a prisoner of war, like a couple times. Yeah, you know, and transformative things happen, but it's some, it actually ends up softening him, and, and again, he becomes the kind of, the card everyone loves. Yeah, uh, I'm hoping that we get to see that. And one thing we talked about kind of off podcast is that you know, I can't imagine Patrick Stewart would agree to do it without having. A hand in creative. Yeah, I really hope so too. Like, it's a, it's a, you know, like oh, at this point in the game, he doesn't need it. No, he doesn't he need to do this. He doesn't need. To it's do a huge this. thing in a way, right? For him to come back to the character. Yeah, like I mean, obviously, it's what launched him to stardom. Yeah, you know, people wouldn't know who he is if it wasn't for the success of TNG. Yeah, and well, not to the extent, right? You know, and then when he became Professor Xavier, it kind of pushed that. Act, yeah, that that. And then that he did a few other things here and there. But for sure, but it's hard to argue that those are the two. things. No, those are the two biggest things. You know, if, if in he, mainstream, you know, besides obviously the theaters were really made him obviously. Yeah, and that's what you know. Uh, but to the world at large, he's Captain. Card and he's Charles yeah. Xavier. So those are the two things. So that the Charles, are, Charles Xavier spoilers. Uh, what's it, that uh, that's over, right? Yeah. Oh, with uh, with, yeah. The, with Logan, right? And yeah. Wolverine have exited. That's true. So, um, but yeah. So like, I, I can't imagine he doesn't have executive producer. You know. Yeah, I hope he has some control over it for sure. I it? mean, and this is a big get for CBS because he, it's not like you know, thirty years ago he was an unknown. Now he's yeah. a very known quantity. They know that they're going to get eyeballs. That will probably put Discovery to shame because no, for sure. This, this will be the new flagship for CBS All Access. Well, people are going to want to know what happened to Picard. What, yeah, what I just hope they also don't go in and ch- start changing the aesthetics like crazy either. Like, mm. You know, it's a yes, it's twenty years from Nemesis, but like keep it looking like the TNG yeah. 24th century era, right? Like, don't go fucking around with it like no. they did with Discovery. And this will be the, it's just annoying. You know, like uh, do we know exactly what year? the beginning of Star Trek 2009 was like in terms of what where Leonard Nimoy's character where Spock came from right so yeah that uh, so oh fuck yeah that's another thing like did Romulus get blown up because it's right? not so, that, yeah because that's how the prime Spock gets into the alternate and the Romulan timeline. Empire really got fucked in the last yeah and that's the thing is Nemesis like brought it to an interesting point where the Romulans like you know were in sort of a bad spot that maybe that like that bothered me the, the fact that they just kind of gutted the entire like high, like it was a high council or the senate. I the guess. senate, yeah. Like, because I mean, 
the Romulans never really got to do anything. I feel like they, they, they were, the um, Romulans were interesting in Deep Space Nine. They were yeah, they, in they Deep Space Nine they were, but I feel like they were always kind of well, on they were the always like the dirty like you know. But they never really got to do enough with them, and then I feel like then the Senate gets destroyed, and that was part of what kind of made them cool. Well, I just didn't like that their whole planet got wiped out in two thousand nine Star Trek. Right? Yeah, but maybe fuck, maybe we can just ignore that part. And do you think that'll happen? I don't know. But like, we I do, wonder if they do. We know what year Spock is from. Like, uh, well, Spock, Spock comes from that. Like that's his, like what happens is that he true. But like, what year? Like, is it? After? It would have been post Nemesis, yeah. Post Nemesis, but is it twenty years post Nemesis? The thirty years post Nemesis? Like, oh yeah, that I don't know. This is my so, point. Yeah, like, like, I can't remember. I'm sure if you go into the yeah. uh, like, it? could the Picard series in you know occur prior overlapping to, prior to the destruction of, of Romulus? Yeah, I don't know. And could it even lead up to the destruction of like? Could you actually create part of the story? Is that I don't want to. I don't want to involve the destruction of Romulus there. Like really, like do we have to connect it in? I don't know. You could. I mean, look. What is the next phase of Picard's life? Maybe he's involved in peace talks with you know the destroyed Romulan Empire. It yeah. does have shades of the Kidmer Accords and like that's kind of what's yeah. going on in, in the Klingon kind of space. Well, I guess we'll see what's it. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's tough to say, right? But I just, I almost kind of wish that they just ignore 2009 altogether. Do you want him on a ship? Do you think he's still on a ship? Well, that's the thing. Who knows? I I actually, I kind of hope that he's not on a starship in a way, because it just feels like that would be just a carrying on of, like, you know, either he's an admiral or maybe he's retired. We'll see, I guess, right? But then again, I don't know. Like, it's tough to say, like, how they're going to play this. If you were naming the show, what would you name it? Well, I don't know. Like, I don't Star even know what it's, what it's based on, the right? The Chronicles? <laughs> yeah, but, like, we have no premise, no nothing, right? Like, I'm thinking, like, I'll, I hope in a way that maybe they'll do a little bit of flashback, like, to sort of show a little, a few things, right? Because yeah. last time we saw him, Riker and Troy were leaving the Enterprise, right? True. It was a, to go on the Titan? Yeah, to, so, like, is, you know, where are they? Are they still just out on the Titan? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll see what happens. It'll be interesting to see what, there's so much potential that they can do with it. I just hope that it's good. That's I it. would expect, I mean, obviously he works in and around, does a lot of Star Trek still, but I would imagine Jonathan Frakes would have a hand in, hopefully, in directing. Possibly. I mean, he's doing, you know, Discovery, so I can't see why they wouldn't. And like that just seems like a natural The other thing is, where is this going to film? Oh, yeah. Is it going to be Toronto? Maybe. <laughs> That'd be pretty fucking cool. Maybe, but we'll see. Maybe we could get a, uh, you know, a few Patrick Stewart sightings. Yeah. It's not like he hasn't filmed stuff here before. No, that's true. But anyway, we'll see what happens there. But yeah, Patrick, I mean, I, I could see Frakes... And I can't see why uh, Patrick Stewart wouldn't want him to direct. So I'm excited again that episode. about the pr- the promise of this, just because no, there's so much potential here, well, right? There's tons of possibilities. It'll right? be the first time in what, like, 16 years that we'll finally move forward. Like right? Yeah, we'll, we'll be go. That's the problem we've had for a long time. Is everything's that, going backwards. You know, we've yeah. had Discovery, we've had Enterprise that were both set in the past. Yeah. We had the Kelvin timeline doing its own thing. Yeah. So fi- which is still in the past. Yeah. Um, just a different timeline. So finally, we're going to get to move forward. Which is kind of the shame. It was, Star Trek was always been moving forward, yeah, and yet they have not been able to do that. I don't know why they. Well, I feel like a lot of sci-fi now too, like in a lot of movies too. Like, there's no more like ingenuity in technology anymore, right? Like, we've gotten to a point where like we have technology. We like, I mean, obviously transporters we don't have, warp speed we don't have, but like, there's no more sort of like you know the the, the you know the report pad is real, yeah. the communicator is real. Like, there's a lot of things that now are real. True. Right? So, like, I don't see, like, a lot of shows now, the technology, like, is just, like, slightly ahead of us now, right? Like, you know, the, for whatever reason, sci-fi now, everything's about, like, clear monitors. True. So that you can see the behind, because, you know, privacy, who cares? Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Like, 
it just seems like a stupid thing. Like all these yeah. monitors that you can see through from everywhere, True. right? Like with no backing to them or at least like make them black anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's that kind of shit now. It's just like, it looks cool, but it's not really innovative anymore. No. Like there's nothing really like being pushed anymore. Like come up with some, like who were the futurists to come up with ideas yeah. for like what the future holds, right? Uh, a sci-fi movie I really enjoyed was Minority Report because I felt like yeah, it had it, a lot of ideas. Yeah. It had a lot of ideas, but one of my favorite things about it that Spielberg talked about is that he didn't want to make that that movie about explaining the technology. Right. So they just lived in the technology. Exactly. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. So it wasn't about oh, this is how this works or this how this. I feel like Star Trek did that though in the day too. Like it didn't yeah. really have to explain everything. It just sort of like these are the tools we use. Yeah. Like, you know, like the watch... tricorder was just used, right? Like yeah, they didn't. And they never explained anything. They don't really explain the tricorder other than like you know it can do whatever we need it to yeah. do kind of thing and you kind of, of see them using it yeah like, oh you that's, just, that's yeah. how they use it you oh, figure it out through how they use it even the report pad is just yeah. like oh okay that's futuristic paper kind of yeah right? like, for sure you know and now the computer is like basically the newest market is the you know the home speaker the Alexa Echoes yeah. the uh, you know the Google Homes and yeah. and you know Apple shitty HomePod yeah. So, but like, there's the you know Starfleet computer right there, yeah. right? Like, been doing that a long time. The voice, yeah. So that's that's a reality now too, right? So these things are like exist now, which is kind of crazy. Like, I just got an Echo. Okay. But yeah, the first thing was I did was change. By? It's made by Amazon. Amazon. First thing I did was change it to a computer. Did you? Yeah, because it's the only one that you can actually change the. Uh, uh, yeah, I was when I was at a cottage recently. Uh, my my sister in law had the, I guess a Google whatever. Just, yeah, Google. Hey, Google. It's yeah. just weird. I, yeah, it was a, so there was. Like, I read an interesting article. I can't remember. I wish I could give the guy credit, but it's a. Uh, and it was. It was basically um, humanizing these things is not a good idea. Mm. And um, can I call and mine, also can also I, can call, I call mine Dave. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's a uh, Hal. Oh, sorry, Hal. Sorry, yeah, I said Dave. Yeah, it was a, well, it's because Dave. Yeah, I can't do that, Dave. Yeah. But anyway, but humanizing these things is is, is a bad idea, right? Mm. Because they're not humanoids. They're not in artificial intelligence yet. No. They're, they're, they're working to that, but at the same time, they should be a tool that assists you. Yeah. And Star Trek, that's one of the things about the computer. Is it, yes, it's intelligent, but it also was always a tool to yes. assist you, right? The other thing that was that from a practical standpoint, he was like, it's really stupid that you know you have Hey Google, uh, you know, it's a, the Hey Siri, yeah. or uh, it was a Alexa, yeah. which uh, right? It's a, um, the only nice thing is that with the Alexa with the Echo, you can change it to computer or Amazon. That's cool. But also, he said, like, you know, using it as a brand, like, hey, Google, it's basically like saying, hey, big brother. Like, mm. you're, like, brand worshipping. And it is kind of fucking dumb. It's a weird thing. That's why computer works well. It's, it's a, yeah. The only thing is then when you're watching Star Trek, it picks it up all the Does time. It? Yeah, oh, yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> like, I watched the episode where, um, Remember Me? Okay. So with uh, Crusher, where she gets stuck in the warp bubble. Oh, yeah. And then she's, like, at a moment there, like, through you know like the last 15-20 minutes of the episode it's yeah. just her and the computer interacting right oh, so she funny. keeps talking to the computer and the, you know my Amazon Echo is going off like, that's hilarious every time she says computer and then there's a couple of the things like it she like it actually answered which was no pretty way. funny yeah that was pretty great that's pretty good like, it was like took her question and like <laughs> answered it as part of it it was really funny oh, that's hilarious yeah but outside of that like it's much you know like I've also turned there's an option to turn it off where like it doesn't speak as much okay. and just acknowledges things with a, with a sound, oh, okay. like the computer on Earth, um, yeah. like Star Trek, which I think is makes sense. I don't need a human like I don't need it to talk back to me. It's a tool, no. yeah. right? So it's a. Um, I was hesitant to get one in the first place, yeah. But it, you know, once I read about that, you can change so it. So what made you choose to get it? Well, it's just it's a you know I'm a big Star Trek fan, right? Yeah. So it's a, well, like it's a it's a tool, it's a toy, but like yeah, like I mean it can it, it's not at the point where it can do a whole ton of stuff. No. But so what a, are you using yours for? 
Well, for like music, it's great. It was a, you can yeah. just tell it to you. I got lights set up with it. It was a, okay. uh, so you know you can turn on the lights. You know, it's, it's very much the Star Trek fantasy. Of I feel I feel like uh, you know the the predating that was just the, the clap on clap off. Exactly. Lights. Yeah, it's not the clapper anymore. <laughs> no, it, but yeah, no, it's just it's like as a Star Trek fan, it's cool to have that. I want to be able to program, and it has potential. Your echo to respond to claps. So, yeah, I don't know if you can do that, it's a, um, but yeah, you can play Jeopardy with it. Yeah, yeah, they have that. Yeah. Really? And they have some Star Trek uh, uh-huh. stuff in there, too, that you That's can add Star Trek skills. Okay. Yeah, you can be like, hey, play Jeopardy. And then every day there's like a six-question Jeopardy. Yeah? Yeah. That's kind of neat. Yeah, and it's Trebek's voice. Oh, really? Yeah, it's licensed. Oh, that's cool. So, like, you know, like apps are coming, right? Yeah. And it's still in the early stages. It's like it's like uh, the iPhone when it first came out, you know? Yeah. It's the same kind of thing. It's, it has very much that same feel. Okay. There's a lot of potential here, but there's a lot of risk here as well. Like, yeah. And, I, you know, I'm hoping... Because the other thing he was saying was, like, can you imagine once these things start getting implemented into, like, hotels and other places where, you know, mm. people are... So if they're all... It's like, so what are you going to do? You're going to go to the hotel and be like, hey, Google. Oh, no, fuck. Okay, so, uh, hey, Siri. Oh, fuck, no. Okay, uh, you know, Alexa. Yeah. Right? So it's like, just make a computer, and then it's computer. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't matter which brand you're working standardized, with. Standardized, yeah. Yeah, it's standardized. So it's a, that was another one of his arguments. But, of course, everyone would want to make sure they're reinforcing their own brand technology. And Of course, but it's a fucking dangerous slope in a way, too, right? It it's is. It's kind of a shitty thing. Well, especially because some people... That's why I do appreciate that Amazon allows you to change it, right? Yeah. Plus, Bezos is a huge Star Trek fan, and he was in is Star he? Trek Beyond. Yeah. Was he? Yeah, he was in Star Trek Beyond, and I can't Star Trek Beyond. And I haven't yeah. seen that since it came out. Yeah, there's no point in going back. No? I, I keep trying to get Kelly to watch it because she liked those movies. Yeah, oh yeah, that's true. She never watched it, huh? She never saw it. Yeah, well, whatever. It's, she's not missing much. Yeah. It was the better of the three, but still. Is it the best of, of the three? I don't know. Maybe, like, uh, it's debatable. Maybe 09 is still the best of the bunch. The thing is with 09, it's set up like, we're doing this, and then, like, you know, then they didn't really adhere to it. We're doing no, this. but you can't grade it on what doesn't get realized next time. Yeah, but I mean, so it's, it's like cool. it's a failed experiment in some ways. But we're going with four, so yeah. yeah. As long as they keep making money, it doesn't matter. But they didn't make as much on Beyond. They went, yeah. They slowly, progressively got less. But I don't know. Maybe which they'll is, appeal to the which Chinese. Is typically, audience. what happens. Well, yeah, but like as long as they can appeal to the Chinese audience and get a boost, right? It's a, because now Hollywood's like, yeah, let's appeal to China because we can make a bunch of money. Unless, uh, unless you're making a movie about Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a. Yeah, you don't. You don't. They got banned, banned, right? Yeah, it got banned. Yeah, what did it get banned for? Like, was there well, a because, specific reason? No, because the people have used Winnie the Pooh. I forget exactly how it's been used in China, but it's been sh- to so discontent. Oh, really? And, like that. It, that's why it got banned. It's being banned because, because of, of Winnie the like, Pooh. What the meanings? It's the, the way in which in, yeah. Winnie the Pooh has been utilized by other groups in China. Yeah, okay, okay. So it's not for any content in the movie at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just based on like a. It's like a cultural thing. Basically. Yeah, it's, it's completely a cultural yeah. issue, and how that's been reappropriated there. Yeah, and they don't appreciate that, so they're not going to, you know, allow a movie that celebrates that character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. It was a good movie, by the way. I haven't seen it. It was weak. the only thing I'll say about it, and this is not a spoiler because it happens in the first minute. Hmm? No. Oh, I know. Yeah, I mean, you <laughs> McGregor feels old. he looks older than forty-seven to me. Okay. And anyways, and he plays a character married to Haley Atwell, who I love. Yeah. Um, my only uh, not an issue, but um, thing about the movie is that it's rated G, right? So it's for all audiences. Yeah. So I go, you know, my son's almost five, so we, we take him to the movie, and within the first like three or four minutes, there is a World War One scene, and he's like in the middle of a battle, and it's implied that a guy like dies. This is in the first minutes, so you know, yeah. it's actually missing anything. And I was like, really, a G-rated film, and we're having like gunfire, and like it's definitely like a period. It's 2018, like 
the ratings are not the same as. I know, but like that's G to me. That's not G. I mean, well, that's history. It's a, it's a, yeah. yeah, G with frightening scenes to me is like, oh, it's a little scary. Not something <laughs> set in World War One. Like, you know, it's not like he gets shot, but someone. Well, I mean, maybe we need to teach kids more about what the fuck happened because I mean, oh, look at what the fuck is happening now. True. Like, I'm not against. We got we got a president in the in the Oval hey, Office that I practically is becoming a dictator. Oh, I know. Like, I'm not against people learning about World War One. Yeah. I'm against them learning about World War One when they watch Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, well, I don't think those those I don't know. tastes. Maybe it's go time together. to start like getting on top of it because what the fuck is going on? Like this world is like you know. those two things to me do not go together. Oh, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> I do think it's interesting that they decided to make it a period piece. Yeah, you know? I don't. But I guess it makes sense because you know a kid just playing in the countryside with his stuffed bear, I guess, doesn't feel like a very modern. Uh, yeah, that's true. I guess I don't no. know. Where's that kid's cell phone? Like, He's hanging out with Alexa right now. Hey, Alexa. <laughs> hey, Alexa. Oh, that's sad. And all those poor people that are named Alexa mm. now have to deal with that stupid robot. That's true. Is it like the most declining female name now? I, think I wonder. So. I don't know. Like, are there a lot of people named Alexa? Well, there's, there's, I'm sure there's several of them out there. I guess. It's got to be shitty to have a stupid computer name yeah. after you in that sense. Any final thoughts on, on the state of Star Trek in 2018? Well, I mean, I'm like, I'm not... I'll watch Discovery, obviously. Like, I'm hoping it's going to be better than season one. Oh, yeah, another announcement was that the the Klingons are going to be totally redesigned again. Again? Yeah, but, like, I don't know if they're saying they're going to be redesigned to look more like they used to, but, yeah. yeah, that was another big, like... I hope we just don't see them for a while. Well, no, they're coming back. Like the what's her name is the main character. We're Lorel? gonna see her, yeah, um, and like see what's going on with the Klingons. I yeah. have no interest in that. <laughs> I know it's kind of dumb, and I also thought I like I loved how it was like, ooh, we're redesigning them. Shouldn't, like, ooh, no, like what the fuck again? Like you and said, another, it's like why? Yeah, what's the purpose? I do think another. Well, now we've discovered that the main purpose in the yeah. first time was just to hide the actor's identity, right? Yeah, which is lame. But I do think that another, was the purpose. Another problem with uh, going backwards is that it makes space look smaller and it's harder to kind of do classic Star Trek of finding new phenomena and stuff yeah. when it's you know within like you can't do anything from TNG because you haven't discovered that yet because that was the first time they saw those things yeah well I there's mean, so many places and concepts that you can't use because of your time frame you got going back yeah. whereas if again if you push forward and like I'm like if they are committed to making more Star Trek shows, make them different. Make make an Academy show. Yeah. I think well, I remember cool. a few years ago there was a really good article about doing like three series. You have a classic like you know to boldly go where no one has gone before. Yeah. Then you do like the Federation, like, okay. like basically like the West Wing. That'd be cool. And then it was a and a third series which was like Air, um, Section Fifty One or Section Thirty One. Okay. Right. Which I thought was like was a great fucking idea. It'd be cool if they ran like congruent. Right, and yeah. then you have things that affect, like the the Federation Council make a decision that affects like the Enterprise. Yeah. Then Section Thirty One is you know cool. fucking around with something, you know, like yeah. that'd be really cool. But it'd have to be plotted out beforehand, and it'd have to be really well written, right? Yeah. And I don't think the feasibility—it's hard enough to make one really good show, like I, three at the same time. But it could be done that. if you plan it properly, right? I, I, th- I feel like Hollywood is so short-sighted in a lot of ways. I mean, look at even like the new Star Wars. You have three movies, you know you're doing a trilogy, and yet you have nothing planned out. Yeah. Just leave it to J.J. Abrams to fuck up the first one so that the rest of the people have to fucking mm. pick up the pieces yeah. and then bring them back anyway in the end. Yeah. Like, it's so it's so stupid. Like, it's so short-sighted. Um, and the other thing is, even with the Star Wars example, like, here they are, they're firing out the single movies. Yeah. Han Solo doesn't do well. All of a sudden, they're like, oh, fuck, maybe we should back off. We're oversaturating. So, like, I'm really hoping that with a Star Trek 2, like, just... 
go slowly sure. or like figure out something, do something properly. You know, like yeah, just don't just just for the sake of doing is not necessarily the best route. No, that's true. You know, like you got discovery now, you got Picard coming back. Yeah, like well, it, you know, if, no, the actual quality of the shows is at times arguable. But if you look at the CW, they had a pretty good model where you know they had Arrow for two years and it was doing well, and then they yeah. launched Flash out of it. And then yeah. Flash, they launched another series. Well, the DC with TV movie, like they've yeah. been doing pretty and well. They, right? And then they took over Supergirl from CBS. They also no. fucked over Enterprise. Because Enterprise was on CW in the end, right? Because um, UPN became CW, yeah, yeah. and then they didn't know what the fuck to do with Enterprise. Well, they got rid of it before CW happened. CW didn't happen until like 2007 or eight. Oh, was it? It was, a, it was so later. Well, anyway, it was the beginnings of that piece. Of yeah. Shit. But I mean, yeah. But anyways, so the CW kind of figured out that like we can slowly seed out more of these shows. Yeah, right, right. Now they have actually they have too many. They have four DC superhero shows in the same kind of universe that yeah. cross over. They have an annual crossover event, which again is cool to be able to kind of do that because that's kind of unprecedented. That yeah, you can, you can have four shows crossover in like a two night event where you have four hours telling a story with all these characters. Right, right, right. I mean, that's it's interesting. That DC TV's figured out the Marvel movie method. But in TV format, but DC movies can't seem to figure that out. Yeah, no. Well, and, but Marvel hasn't been as successful on TV. No, either, not right? at all. So, um, but in like DC, so now they have four shows that are all connected. They have another fifth show that's also superheroes, which is not yet connected, but sometime will be. Okay. And then this year's big crossover event is to uh, introduce Batwoman to the DC universe uh, in, yeah. in TV and launch her own show next the following year. So like they've done it right. Where if they had just Brought it all yeah, you don't want to be all going at the same time. That would have been, yeah, as you said, oversaturation. Everyone would have been like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But yeah. because they seeded it out and they built each one coming out of one of the other shows, it felt very natural. Yeah. So now you just have four shows that are connected. Yeah, yeah. Not too much, but they have like this you know, connective tissue. It works. I feel like if T- uh, Star Trek could do that. Yeah, well, I mean, like here too, we're, like these are two totally different yeah, like, that things, helps right? In a lot of ways. Well, in one way, it's good. In one way, it's kind of like, well, you don't need to watch both. No, you don't. What's it? But it's going to be interesting to see too. Like, I Unless really hope they don't start like jamming Discovery shit into this like no. Picard show. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need it. It'd be interesting too from a technology perspective. So again, like when you have people on the on a view screen now, it's like three D models of the like three D holograms show up. Right in Discovery, where they're going yeah. to you know. Although I can buy that being integrated into yeah. Again, Picard. I don't mind it going forward, right? Because no. it is sort of a next it's step, next step right? of the technology. And like we talked about before in Deep Space Nine, they did touch on it, but it, like I think it was just sort of a cost effective thing. Like they, yeah. it wasn't cost effective back then, right? So no. like. And the thing is, too, I feel like the older Star Treks and a lot of maybe even older sci-fi had better writing partially because, you know, you had limits with what you could do, mm-hmm. right? So what you couldn't just rely on visuals and, okay. you know, and shit like that just to be like, oh, look, it's a big splash. Ooh, look, it looks nice. You know, like, so here's a question I have about, do it like that. about the Picard series. Yeah. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say different Star Trek series. I'm going to tell, I want you to pick of any cast member of that show to show up in the Picard series, which one you'd like. So, uh, Voyager. Which, of you had to pick one of those characters well, to show up. I mean, what's up? Janeway did show up in Nemesis. She right? showed up in Nemesis, yeah. But, yeah. like, if you had a character that was going to show up just for I think Janeway spot. would make the most sense yeah. out, of, out of, like, I don't yeah. know why any other character would make sense. No. Chakotay? Maybe. Yeah, like, I mean, what's up? They just... None of those, but like I mean, unless they make a connection to them, but like I can't see. Okay. Like I can see if he's an admiral, mm-hmm. him running in a Janeway, like that's, yeah. that's a plausibility. I mean, yeah. is she still an admiral twenty years later? Well, yeah. Who knows, else? right? Um, okay, so uh, DS Nine. Again, like I don't know who, like if anything, maybe uh, it's a 
Cisco, right? Because they haven't had interactions in the past, right? Also, um, what's his name? Oh my god, uh, call Mimi. Yeah, Miles O'Brien. O'Brien, yeah, because there's a connection there. They he was the moving to Earth at the end of Deep Space Nine. Yeah. So. Well, and what happened again to uh, Cisco? He went to be with the prophets. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, so he like. Is he still chilling with the prophets? When did he come back? They left it open-ended. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I I guess that's it. Those are the other shows. I'm just curious, like, you know, it'd be interesting to see if they integrate other... Yeah, I mean, it could be funny if they, like, Chief O'Brien shows up, right? Yeah, like, and do you want that? Like, do you want... I mean, I don't know how much of it is, like, fan service then, or, you know, like, how... Like, what's the balance, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I definitely want to see what the rest of the TNG cast is doing. Yeah. Right? It would make sense, because... They were part of that series, yeah. especially. Like it's, it's. A, I haven't seen any of it, so it's a weird comparison to make. But I mean, when they brought back Full House is Fuller House, yeah. all the original cast members made appearances, not necessarily the same episode, but they kind of dropped in and kind of got. Well, in the first were, episode, they were all there. Were they all there? Yeah, and then then so they show up again, right? Like, yeah, I never saw it. All. I saw the first season, yeah. but like you know, I like I, it'd be cool to kind of have these drop-ins where yeah. it has to make sense, obviously, with the story. I don't want to drop. Yeah, yeah. For no reason, but like it would be interesting to see. Well, the interesting thing with Full House was they like they totally went with the same format. Yeah, it's a sitcom, like it's a '90s sitcom. They didn't change the format. It's no. just they updated it, like within mm-hmm. the sense of like new cast. Yeah, or like the old cast bringing in new. Well, characters. they did the same thing with Girl Meets World, which Kelly and I yeah. watched because you know it was it was not different. We have no the idea what they're going to do. Like it's not going to be the same format, right? No. So I don't know how they're going to how they're going to do it. But I definitely hope that like yeah they've sort of touch base with the other characters or at least they're mentioned right like yeah. so I feel the other like thing is like is he married to Beverly uh-huh. right so, so that's going to be another you know I, uh, one thing that will be interesting is that I feel like in the last 24 years or not 24 sorry in the last what, 16 years since Nemesis um, that Patrick Stewart has become more well known as uh, having a comedic side yeah, will they, will they loosen up a card? Yeah, like are we going to see a little bit more? Uh, he did get, like yeah, I say in the movies, he kind of did end up being a little bit more yeah. relaxed, and he wasn't as uptight. But and I would say also that it's interesting when I go back and look at shots of Nemesis, and I guess it was obviously intentional. They made Picard look so old in that. Yeah, they did. They made him look really old in that movie. Because he's not old at that point. Like you know, not a, you know, because then like later on, like he he looked so much younger. Yeah, like even like yeah. X in X Men X Two yeah. came out a year later, and he had yeah. He looked, like, I know. I think it was like intentional. I don't know if there was any like makeup done there or whatever. Yeah. But he also talks about sort of being old, like in that. Yeah, in the that. whole thing there, which is about kind of legacy. And, yeah. And so movie. like, like, but it was weird. But they also did a lot of fucking weird shit where like Worf's voice they used like digital. Did they? Yeah, to lower the tone of his voice because the the director was a fucking idiot. Bottom line. One thing I'm curious about too is like I wonder, like I hope I hope it doesn't feel too much like. When Kirk was an admiral and was itchy. Well, that too. Yeah, we'll see. Like you know, like I, like I hope. I wonder how Shatner feels about like not getting his own well, show. Yeah, <laughs> he's he, probably pissed. He posted something somewhere about it. He posted some congratulatory. Yeah. Event, but you know, like we all know, he's a bit of an asshole. So. How old is, is Shatner? Like how much he's, of an age? He's up there. Like he was. Well, there's not as much of an age difference between him because Patrick Stewart's like seventy-eight or something. Yeah, and then like Shatner's what eighty-four, I think, or something. That's yeah. really not a big difference at all. It's not a huge difference. Makes no. realize just maybe Shatner's young. older now. Hang on, I can't, like I have to double check. Maybe Shatner was like really young. In he was young when he when he started. Yeah, because he was the youngest captain in Starfleet. Was he okay? Yeah, so like he was only thirty something. I think when he did. Okay. 
right? So, so the, um, but that was also the premise was that he was the youngest captain. So I guess yeah, Shatner's, Shatner doesn't look like he's in his eighties. No, he doesn't. He actually kind of looks younger than Patrick Stewart. That's like, nice. You know, yeah, it's part of it's, it's the ball. Well, yeah, like well, he also you know he wears the famous toupee, <laughs> but though I think he's got like hair club for men now. I think it's oh, really? yeah. Like I don't think it's an actual toupee anymore. Like interesting. You know, the hair club for men caught up and. Actually, it's, it works now. Well, he's 87. He's 87. Yeah, that's pretty old. He's pretty up there. So he's nine years older than, than Patrick Stewart. Is it nine years for sure? I'm pretty sure Patrick Stewart is 78. Or maybe 74. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, oh. Let's see. Tell me how old Patrick Stewart is. No, he's 78. He is 78. Okay. Yeah. So it's not a huge age difference. Between not a huge years. age difference, no. Yeah. But their shows came out, you know, 23 years apart. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, Picard was an older, mature captain, yeah. right? Like, it was... Yeah, it was always the thing. I would like to see Frakes on. Uh, yeah, I, I have a feeling like Frakes is definitely going to show up in the sense that he'll be in a, He'll be directing an episode probably. We but can't I hope he's in one too. No, yeah, for sure. I'd like to see the whole cast, like at least in some way. You, you do bring up a good point, though. Like it is a delicate line because obviously people want to know what happens to their favorites, but at the same time, you don't want it to just be fan service. Yeah, yeah like it's got to be like, and I think it, because the show revolves around Picard. Like, uh, his friends, I can't see that being, like, fan service in the sense that, no. like, right? So, but the, to start bringing in characters from Voyager and elsewhere... That's a little different. Then maybe it's it. But, I mean, again, if it's done well, like, then it doesn't yeah. have to be fan service. Because, I mean, he was Like, on if he's the, working at, at Starfleet, like, headquarters, yeah. like, but again, we don't know anything yet, no. like, as premise. They don't know. Well, they, well, who knows? They probably have ideas. Yeah. I'm sure they've thrown ideas. So, yeah. like, I mean, the Enterprise crew is together, like... Pretty much unchanged for fifteen years, I guess, right? Because it's kind of so the original be, Enterprise. You were saying? Uh, sorry, the D. Oh yeah, right. What's the D it? crew was around because uh, yeah, but they, we saw them split off though. Yeah, in Nemesis, not, right? In Nemesis, that's what I mean. Though yeah. they had kind of like because you. I personally said, like I honestly feel like the Wharf thing was a mistake right there because I can't even remember what happened there. They just didn't explain it. Like if DS Nine had ended it. Dan, yeah, DS Nine had ended, and, how did and at the end of DS Nine, he was going with Martok to become his assistant. Like he was like assistant chancellor or whatever, really? right? Because Martok was going to okay. lead the Empire, right? Oh, okay. So, like, I really thought it was a stupid move to just put him back into security. It was like a, it was like a, a demotion in a way, right? Like, you know, you had this, yeah. like, it was a weird move. And then on top of that, too, he should have been wearing yellow. But they yeah. left him in red because was a, that's Commander. what the last, well, that's what we last saw him as, yeah, right? That is but it was a really stupid move. Like, there was, a, apparently there was a, a scene that, like, vaguely, like... Um, Cut scene? Yeah, was, and again, they dropped the scene, right? Like, from the movie. So it's a cut scene that semi-explains it, but, like, at the same time, it's just weird. Like, why would he have left the Klingon government? Like, I almost feel like that would have been a cool, like, that yeah. would, he was the first piece to go. Is Gates McFadden still acting? Uh, I don't know if she's still acting, but it's, uh, she's still around and doing things, so... It's, yeah. Like, like they all, they're all around still. They could all do stuff. I think Will Wheaton would do it? Will Wheaton? That's a good point, actually. It was a Wesley Crusher. I never thought of that, actually. Um, I can't see why you wouldn't. Because everyone else, yeah, might be kind of retirement age to be still on a starship, right? Right, but, right. But he would be kind of prime. Well, and him too. He shows up in Nemesis with no explanation He's kind either. Of that too, right? Well, because he last we saw him in, t- in the series was he went with the, the traveler. traveler, and then he shows up at the wedding. He shows up at the wedding, was and then his of, his scene was cut too. Was he part of Starfleet? He was wearing a Starfleet uniform. Yeah, was so he? like he went back to Starfleet, like. Again, they, they, they I would actually be into watching a Crusher, like a uh, uh, Wesley Crusher, Crusher show. show. Well, it could be happening. Maybe the Wharf Captain Wharf happens. Like, I, I feel like they could offer him enough money to do that. 
Well, we'll see what happens. Like, I, don't, I don't think. I think you. Do you think people want a Wesley Crusher show though? I think they would be okay with it because yeah. I think people didn't like maybe him being the kid on the on the Enterprise. But right. Once he got older, he got a, well. No, the thing is, like for me, Wesley never bothered me because I was young, like I was yeah. really young when it started. Right. True. So I never had a thing against Wesley. I could see why, as an adult, people would be like, "Ah, fuck this kid," right? Yeah. But I also like he's not I would never him. blame Will Beaton for it because oh, no. it's not him that wrote it, right? No. So you can only what's that? And he only did what he did with you know working with what he had. Right? Yeah. Although I mean, he doesn't look like that aged up version of him was supposed to look like that. Right, the beefcake, <laughs> beefcake guy, Will Beaton, <laughs> like Hugh. <Q-man? laughs> yeah, yeah. And then wasn't it Jordy who was like, "What's Yeah, yeah, no, that's, <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> Maybe they should get that guy. He's too old now. <laughs> well, they get like a younger version of that guy <laughs> to show up, and then Will Wheaton could do the voice. <laughs> well, that's funny. But yeah, no. I mean, I don't know. Maybe a Wesley Crusher show, maybe. I'd be up for that. Well, because it would basically just be like a new Star Trek show with a character we know. Uh, I don't know. We'll have to see. Like, like, um, let's see what happens with this Picard show and how they handle it, and then I'm be, I'll be more open to like what other characters we can end up. You know, does George Takei get his Captain Sulu show? Because we talk about that for a long he's time. He's a little old, man. Yeah, so? so is, how old is he compared to Patrick Stewart now? Probably, like, probably in his mid-80s, I would imagine. Like, he, he must be in the same age, age group as Will, Will Shatner. Oh, he's a little younger than Shatner. Is he? Yeah. Wow, so he's not quite 87 or whatever, but he's still pretty old, like... <laughs> he's still pretty old. Well... Yeah, but still, it's a, Patrick Stewart's not the young buck, you know? It's a, yeah, he's, he's but... He's got his I, own series. I love Blunt Talk. I, no, well, he, I, I was mean, sad it ended, but you know, I could see so, that eventually it was going. He's eighty one. Eighty one. Yeah, that's pretty old for the rigors of a television show. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, you I can know do whatever amount of episodes I, you want. I still think, like, even for Patrick Stewart, like that's a lot of effort. Like, well, how much? How many episodes is this thing going to be? We don't uh, even know. I don't know. Eight, thirteen. Well, we don't know. We'll see. I'm just guessing. I'm spitballing. Yeah. I hope it's. I again. I just. I feel like as long as he's an executive producer, I'll feel better about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I feel like, like he has to. There's a lot of potential here. It can go anywhere, right? So yeah. we'll have to wait and see. I mean, the only thing is, like, so for example, like the new X Files, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I was really excited for X Files to come back. You know, then the first six episodes of now season ten, it was the event series back then. Okay, it's a like out of that there was it One was a weird teams? mishmash of stuff, yeah. right? Like. It's a Chris Carter too. I feel like he's just lost it. Like I'm sorry. Like you've lost the plot. You're not moving things forward. You went and pulled them back into the FBI. X Files just feels like a show that belongs in the '90s. Oh, very much so in a lot of ways. But like I felt like in the newer season they kind of addressed that a little bit and whatever. But True. like, but like it feels like there was certain things that they did that like bring them back to the FBI. Like you're not yeah. moving the characters forward. Whereas yeah. like in the 2008 movie, she was a doctor. Yeah. He was just kind of hanging out because it was a, the, the FBI was still looking for him. Yeah. And then they pulled them in for the one case, and it kind of worked, yeah. right? Like, but then I felt like it would have been neat to have seen them, like where did they progress? But mm-hmm. then they went right back to the old formula. So that's yeah. why I'm hoping that this, like Patrick Stewart, like the Picard show, like, yes, I want something different, but I also want it to be truly like to the content, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but that, that's also I'd like to see him in a good place. I don't want him to be a depressed, like broken down person. No. You know, so, like, I'm really curious to see what they're going to do with it. Like, I, there's so much potential. Yeah. But, like, yeah, just don't revert to a formula. In all good things, when he's on the vineyard, is that supposed to be the original vineyard that yeah, he has with his brother? Yeah. It was a, Did they shoot at the same place, or they shoot it somewhere different? It looked very different. Oh, I mean, the only other time we saw it was... What's it, in uh, Family, right? 
Yeah, but we don't even really see it, do we? Like, I guess they go into the. Uh, I thought they did. I could be wrong. Yeah, no, they have the fight in the amongst the the, yeah. the rapes or whatever. I have no idea if they use the same location or not. Mm-hmm. I, I okay. But we didn't see his house or anything in the in generate or. No, I guess case. we just because you I just guess... see him in the in amongst the vines, right? Like, didn't they go inside? No, so I'm pretty sure they they walk away and then they're going to visit Data yeah, at I guess Cambridge. So. Yeah. So you see Data's office in Cambridge. Yeah. I guess but so. like I don't think you see Picard's yeah. home or anything. Do you think Brent Spiner puts on the makeup or do you think we're done? Well, again, that's another thing like they leave Data dead or does Data come back? I don't know. Like I just feel like a lot of people are going to feel like before was never It's like a whole new like, you know, Spock coming back again kind of thing. Yeah, but I, they never I, did anything with it. So Well, no, I know they never did anything with it and it was kind of frustrating because it was just like they set it up so they could bring him back. Like, like why kill him just to bring him back? I don't know. We'll see. Like, it's tough to say. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Like, I mean, on the comics or whatever, right? Like, B4 becomes Data, right? Oh, did, I didn't even Well, because they, they dumps his memories into him, right? Um, and then he ends up becoming... Okay. Like, in Nemesis, he dumped his Yeah, his I remember that. In. So he ends up becoming Data, basically. Interesting. So, we'll see if... Uh, okay. And then they hint at it, too, at the end of Nemesis. Did they do he's singing the I song, remember they hint right? at it, yeah. So, like, did it actually end up happening? We'll find out, I guess, right? God, that feels so But I feel like, what's it? The only thing is, I feel like you could bring back data in, in a sense of, like, Brent Spiner, you do, like, some motion cap thing, sort of like with um, young uh, Downey. Yeah. In, what was that? Was that Civil Iron War. Man 3? Or was that Civil War? It was Civil War. Where you showed him and his family when he was a kid? Yeah. Yeah, Civil War, yeah. Yeah. So it's just, I feel like... Have you seen Ant-Man and the Wasp? No, I haven't seen that yet. I've got to see it. Um, but anyway, I feel like with motion cap like that, yeah. you could get Brett Spiner, de-age him, and yeah. make him, um, you know, I think that would work. I just don't know if they have the money for that on a TV show. Fuck, look at Discovery's budget, man. Like, the, yeah. the effects. If they could do it right, like, that would be the way to do it, if you're going to bring back data. Yeah. I think that would be the right, right way to go. Because, mm. like, he's not supposed to age. No. Right? So it's a, So I think that would work. Unless he's been modifying his subroutines to... Well, I mean, in the Cambridge thing, he had that one line yeah, of, like, white hair, right? Yeah. So, like, I feel like, you know, I, I think they should, like, they, they should de-age him if they're yeah. going to use him. As, I mean, as in theory, they, they could, you know, do... I mean, isn't that part of what they were starting to do in, um, in First Contact with the skin grafts, so that he could, like, feel things? Well, like, that didn't end up going through, though. Like, the board were going to graft real skin. No, but it. maybe eventually he decides he wants to, you know, he carry on. Go that route. I guess you could do something like that, too. It's a, and then, like, he has evolved. And, like, the, sk- the skin is aging. Like, isn't that the, the argument behind the... Yeah, behind the, the T-1000. The, yeah, the, the biological... The two, or, sorry, eight, the T-800. Right? Yeah, that it aged because the, yeah, the skin the, was aging. But, yeah, yeah. The, the skeleton underneath is the same. So, yeah, you could go either route, I guess, right? Like, so, there's ways around it. No, for sure. But I think I feel like it would be better to de-age him if you're gonna if you're gonna bring him back as data. Yeah, the way he was, right? Uh, yeah. Hopefully, when we, if if and when we get to see some of these legacy characters, it's given a little bit more of a reason to incur them. Uh, um, the forest. Well, I mean, count, like the, the all the things is very much bringing the band together again, right? I know. Because like it's a like at that point they had split off from each other, True. right? So, like, it will be interesting to see what, like, you know, and but how much of it all... If, if they use them, I just wanted to make, not just be a glorified cameo like DeForest Kelly and... and uh, right, yeah, no, I agree with you, I know point. what you mean. Like, it, it should serve the story. Like, as a kid, when I first watched it, I probably didn't even know who that was. No, yeah, for sure. He's so a, made up, and, like, unless you the know... The makeup was name, heavy, yeah. Unless you know the name McCoy, like, you're not going to even put that together. Yeah. Did they even mention McCoy at all, actually? I think they mentioned it. 
I don't even know if they do actually. I don't think they. No? A, the, I don't even know if they call him McCoy. Interesting. I'd have to go back and check it. Because it's a um, like, uh, I believe Riker says like you know the admiral is ready to leave. Or whatever. Yeah. And then they Data walks. It. Data walks him. I don't think so. I think it's just his performance. Interesting. Because I don't think they actually call him McCoy. Or I guess for McCoy. the first few years they were very afraid of the connections. Well, no, that was a that was an obvious connection. Like, yeah. They made that was intentional. Yeah, you know, and it was but they a, couldn't it was just a come nice, out and say it. It was a nice, but I don't think they actually called him McCoy at all. Interesting. Yeah, and I, like I don't know why they said, unless maybe they're just like, well, people will know, so they don't need to. Yeah, yeah. I would mind seeing Tuvok again. <laughs> I guess yeah, it was a. They, I mean, it leaves the door open to any of the old characters coming back, yeah. right? And also, it's a because um, Nemesis was post Dominion War, right? Yeah. But they didn't really touch on the Dominion War at that no. point either, right? So who knows? They, I, never, like, they never really did anything. They mentioned it in Insurrection. Yeah. Because at that point, it's still on, right? So it's a, What do you think is a better movie, Insurrection or Nemesis? Insurrection, even though it's more self-contained. Like, it's... Yeah. It a, but Nemesis is pretty self-contained, too. Right? Like, it affects the bigger universe, yeah. in a sense, with the Romulans. But what about Nemesis or Generations? Um... I don't know. I think, like, it's a... Nemesis was a like it was pretty bad like in a lot of ways. Like, I don't it, remember it very well. Like, is that the one where they had like Nemesis they were driving along? The shins and, like, on and it's a, yeah they have the the go or the not go kart but it's you a, know what I mean? Yeah, the dirt buggy. Okay. Yeah, it's a yeah, yeah. that was actually Patrick Stewart though was happy about that. Like, oh, yeah. Was, yeah. Well, it was something different for sure. the car to do. I feel like I've only ever seen that movie once. Oh really? I That's feel it? Like, I feel like I might have only seen it in theaters with you. Yeah. I feel like I came into town because I was at university. I've seen it a couple of times. I feel like I saw it with you in theaters, and I feel like I never saw it I actually it again. just ordered it on Blu-ray. No way. I, I was like, you know what? I'm... Is there not a set? Well, no. It was, I never ended up buying, like... Because originally when they bought out the Blu-ray movies, it really pissed me off because they did, like, the original series and Next Generation separate. Okay. Right? So I was just like, fuck off. And they were super expensive when they first came out. Of course. Um, That's the start And, and then they did the Stardate collection, which I was like... Waiting on like ah, eventually maybe I'll grab it and yeah. then the 50th anniversary came out of the original series TOS on Blu-ray first time ever um, animated series oh, yeah. and then the movies were included. You bought that didn't you? Yeah, so I bought that. So now I'm I had the original series movies and then it was funny because I was like ah, I'll get the TNG movies so later. Do you have the original mo- the original series movies on Blu-ray twice? No, I got TOS on Blu-ray twice. Oh, TOS and Blu-ray twice. Okay. Yeah. But not the original series movies. Interesting. I only have the movies like from that set. Oh, uh, okay. And then I never got the TNG ones, so I finally just bought them. Like this week, I was like, "Fuck it, I'm just gonna." That's die. funny. Yeah. So now I have everything on Blu-ray. I'm uh, all caught up. We should watch them together. Yeah, we could watch the original or the like. First Contact is the best, obviously. Like that movie is so. Yeah, solid. even First Contact though, it's kind of funny because it's like it's the best, but it's also you know it's kind of got holes in it too a little bit, but yeah, it's it's enjoyable for sure, and it brought up the whole First Contact thing, like it. Zephyr Cochran and all that stuff like there was a lot going on in that movie like it, it basically launches Enterprise true but that's where the, a lot of the ideas for Enterprise came that's from very was, true, yeah. so like it, it's it very influential in, in like the overall Star Trek universe and, yeah and, so um, yeah like that, that was a lot of them like decided like Berman and uh, Bragger they, they decided they wanted to explore more of that time frame right do you think Generations did us the service by destroying the D right away yeah, I mean, it was one of those, like, it's a... Um, it definitely set a precedent for destroying the... Destroying ships, yeah. yeah. Like, 
Although did they need to destroy it? I guess it didn't really start the precedent because it had already like they started that back in what Star Trek. Well, no, the first like, but the thing is, the Enterprise is a like, or sorry, the Enterprise like it was a big deal because it was the Enterprise. Yeah. But the stakes were high too, right? Like it was you know it was saving Spock. Yeah. Whereas the D felt sort of like it was contrived in a way, in the sense that it was like, oh, well, this, we're, like, we're going to the movies now, so we're going to get rid of our old well, shit. Kind of like this is what takes it out, you know? Like of all the things that yeah. Like, I mean, that's the problem with anything, is that once you have something going on for so long, yeah. something destroys it, it feels like really loud. It's kind of like, I mean, this is true of anything, but like even when you watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and you're like in the seventh season, you're like, the threats either have to be amazing, otherwise I'm not going to buy it, because they've been through everything. Yeah. You know, it's kind of, in the, in the, I, I felt that acutely in the seventh season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It was just like, yeah. she's been through everything already. You really have to make me believe the stakes, right. yeah. or it's not going to work. Uh, I mean, that, a lot of things suffer from that, right? Whereas like the stakes have to get higher and higher. Oh, trust me, I've been reading Spider-Man comics, and they've been around for 50 years. Yeah, exactly. So, like, so, you know, it, it, it's a little frustrating sometimes. Like what are they going to do with the next Mission Impossible? Like, how much yeah. how much more impossible can this mission get? Well, it's funny, because I, I watched the uh, the Honest trailer for Mission Impossible, which oh, I guess was released before um, Rogue Nation. Okay. This is from a few years ago. And they were detailing like, every plot involves, like, rogue agents. Yeah, I know. There's like arms a, dealers. Yeah, it was a, rogue agents happen a lot in the IMF. And that and arms dealers. They're yeah. always in every movie. Yeah, and, yeah. Just, and then, like, we just saw Fallout. And I'm like, yeah, it's kind of, you yeah. know, this time it was a rogue. Well, actually, it shouldn't spoil. Well, it's but, still pretty current, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, but anyway, but. Yeah, the Enterprise D is tough to say. Obviously, they wanted something new and whatever. I kind of get it. But yeah. it's kind of shitty in a way, because I personally, the D is. Is like my is because it was such a well thought out ship. Yeah. Like and you I know, like the E two. I like the E two. Don't get me wrong. I like the look of the bridge. I like the aesthetic. That's the only thing that's t- was tough too. Like, especially in that era, because you're going from an era where television was framed a different way mm. than film. Whereas now, I don't think it would be as big a deal in the no. sense of frame. So they they did have to change the bridge. They had to make it bigger. Yeah. To fit the the framing of the film, right? Yeah. So they added those side consoles. I don't know if you remember, which yeah. I thought actually worked really well. I thought they yeah. up, the, they updated the bridge nice enough that it worked well on the screen. I thought, like mm-hmm. I, you know, but they, you know, then they changed the lighting because movie lighting and all that. So it was a darker looking bridge, right? Which is funny because now we're used to lens flares and everything. Yeah, so like well, and for the fucking Apple Store, like bright, you know, yeah. glass and everything, but. So yeah, so they they did change the lighting, right, and stuff. So I don't know. Like, would you have wanted to keep going with the Enterprise D? I mean, I guess you could have, but yeah, I guess it was the right call. I mean, right? we did see stellar cartography, which was a brand like that was a big deal at the time. Yeah, it was it was a huge effect. I mean, it's funny because I was just watching um, Lessons. It's a uh, where Picard ends yeah. up with that the it's a, the it's, they go into stellar cartography. Oh, right, but it's like not that no. stellar cartography room. I guess it's a different department or a different yeah, room. Yeah. Stellar cartography. That's right. anyway. Yeah. So. All right. So we're hoping for big things. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm hopeful that it's a like I would I would think hopefully maybe they can get some of the old writers. Maybe Braga is around that will maybe will be interested in doing like he works on Orville. Right, so it's a dumb. But we'll have to do a Orville discussion at some point. Yeah, it was a, well, the new trailer came out. For Didn't that watch too. it yet. Yeah, okay. Well, I'll maybe we'll do it after this. We could have maybe incorporated it into this, but I guess we're too late now, yeah. right? Well, we, we've chatted for over an hour about Star Trek, yeah. so I think we're probably, yeah. But anyway, it's <laughs> a, um, But yeah, so, and he's doing the new, um, they're doing another uh, season of, uh, what is it, the uh, Cosmos. Okay. Yeah. So it's a. Uh, so he's he's working on that as well. Stuff. But stuff. It'd be interesting to see if maybe he comes back. More comes back. I'd love to see them be the head writers. 
That'd be cool. I think I, you know they were a good partnership back in the day. It was a uh, you know I think it, they have a lot of like fondness for the character, mm. right? Um, we'll see. I mean, not to say that New Blood shouldn't be in there as well to help out, but if they were to lead that, that I think it might be a good having good a good stabilizing force that was a, a, you know around back then is not yeah. a bad idea. I think if they would take the lead on it, it'd be good. It's a, but we'll see. Like I, you know, I'm hopeful. I really hope they do it. Like I just hope they don't ruin the character. Mm. They just don't destroy the character for me, right? Like, yeah. don't make him a depressed like something. You know, like uh, it just it, it doesn't feel like Picard to me. You know? I want like, life to have worked out well. Yeah, like like let's you know make the situation plausible, reasonable. Like think it through, make it interesting. Don't just go fucking at, like episodic and you know I will fill in the blanks here or whatever. Really think it through yeah. at least. Like have reasons for things. That is the thing about remakes and revisitations that bothers me is that again, especially when it's an older property, is that you've sat with these characters for so long. Yeah. Even if you won't like, I mean. Even, like, let's say Back to the Future. I don't really want to see Marty McFly ever yeah. again. Because, like, he's his, he had a happy ending, we think. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Where, You know, Doc didn't come back in his train and say, oh, shit, something happened again, yeah, right? Yeah, so, yeah, like, yeah. I want to believe things are fine. And so, like, that's the only thing wrong with, visit, you know, revisiting these characters sometimes is that, you know, you kind of potentially could ruin these fondness, the fondness that we have yeah, for the it, happy ending these characters had. It's not that everything has to have a happy ending, but it just feels like... You know, it feels like, like nowadays everything has to be dark. You know, it's yeah. like, like for Logan it works, right? Like for Wolverine's character, like the way it ended, like it's a dark note in a way, but it's also happy in a way too, right? Like mm-hmm. he wanted to die for so long, right? Yeah. Like so he kind of finally gets his release, but it just it works better for that character, right? So like make it work for that character, make it work for Pedro. Like I don't feel like Picard would be the guy that is in the corner depressed out of his mind. You know what I mean? No. Like, He's always been a hopeful character. I mean, hell, he, he was, became Locutus and he seemed okay afterwards. Well, that's what I mean. He's always fought, he's fought like adversity over and over again, right? Like, and he's always come out on top. So, like again, how many times was he prisoner of war? Yeah, well, that too. So, make or it work abducted for that or abducted in his vacation. You yeah, know? like shit happens to that guy. Yeah, I want to feel like he'd be coming out the other side, you know, fairly well adjusted. Yeah, yeah. I just hope that like there's a problem, like you know, like keep it true to the character, right? And, so whenever that happens, whenever we get that yeah, series... Yeah, we'll get there, yeah, hopefully. We'll, uh, we'll chat about it, I'm sure. So in the future, we'll chat about when Orville comes back. Yeah. Because I think we're both excited about Orville coming yeah, back. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. There's been a lot of, I guess, comments that one of the characters is getting replaced. Yeah, I think it's the security chief. Yeah. She's, she's leading or She was, for me, a little bit of a weak link, so I'm okay with it. I, I really liked her character, but we'll yeah. see what happens. I wasn't super... I'm just not her Nara, as an actress. Right? Uh, her I can't remember her name. Oh, no, that's, um, that's Firefly. Yeah, it? something so, else. Anyway. So, uh, so we'll talk about Orville when that comes back for season two. Eventually, we'll talk about Discovery season two. Yeah. Uh, whatever form that takes, whenever that might happen. We'll yeah. talk about Picard when that happens. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's... I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that's not for a while yet. Yeah, it's still no, a while, right? that'll be a while. Um, Maybe next September at earliest. Sure. Well, thanks for being part of episode 600. Cool. This is, uh, at the time of recording, I think this is the fourth segment I've recorded for the for the show. So. Oh, yeah, nice. So it should be a good episode. I think at this point we're probably up to the, at least the three-hour mark <laughs> for this for this show. So. Well, wasn't like the last one, like the last oh, one? One of them was like four and a half hours there you long. Go, so like, okay. it's absurd. Okay, yeah. well. This is what I do every year. Anyways, yeah, well, thank you for joining for episode uh, 600, and uh, we'll catch you, hopefully we'll have you on another time. Cool. Well, that was fun. You guys still there? We got a couple of you? This is a long episode. Like, a super long episode. And I'm not helping with these intros because I'm making them longer than they probably needed to be. But, wow, good for you guys for making it this far. 
this would be like a really good place for me to drop some like insane knowledge on you like as a reward for getting it this far like an easter egg of some kind is that the word easter egg that would be so cool yeah i don't have anything but that would be cool um up next for the final segment we got tim riley another friend of the podcast uh i don't actually know tim but they sent us a beautiful christmas card of him and his wife last year and i hear they like baseball so winners to me um so tim riley's a-okay in my books and he's going to be talking with adam about um something something x-men grant morrison Um, you guys will hear it you know what it is here it is tim welcome back to comic shenanigans how are you doing this evening I'm doing really well. I'm excited to be here for episode 600. I'm going to lay the seeds for a big twist in episode 700, so that's Absol- the only reason I'm here. Well, for sure. Well, it's funny because uh, I literally just recorded the segment the other day with uh, Dan Gavazdan of the Amazing Spider Talk podcast, and uh, at the conclusion of that one, he usually only makes his appearances on the anniversary episodes, so, so I was like, okay, well, I guess we'll talk again in a year, episode 700, but maybe you'll be taking over my mind, so maybe you're going <laughs> to... Maybe I'll help him out, or you know, we'll lay the seeds for how you're going to assist him, or something crazy is going to happen in episode 700. So I guess my joke isn't as original as I like to think it is. It's it's still pretty original. It still works. <laughs> so today, what would you like to talk about? This is you know, um, we've been doing a lot of different things in this episode of uh, let's see, I, there's a segment I did with uh, Paul Scores, my brother-in-law, where we kind of did our. I think it was just kind of a, a random kind of uh, mashup of kind of wrap up of where comics have been and recently some of the recent books we've read, uh, kind of talking about uh, legacy uh, and what legacy really meant for Marvel Legacy's initiative. Uh, I spoke with Dan Gavazdan where we talked about kind of podcasting in and of itself. Uh, I talked with Eric Anthony of the Cave of Solitude podcast, same type of thing, kind of talking about you know what uh, what we do with podcasts and and why we do them and those types of things. And uh, I talked with uh, Tibor Mate, who's kind of the Star Trek guy. So we talked for like an hour about Star Trek. So uh, now it's your segment. What would you like to talk about? Well, I think we're going to settle something that, I don't want to say bugged me, but something you're definitely wrong about, which is Grant Morrison's new X-Men run. Okay. Now, when when did I irk you about this? I just know through. I mean, I've listened to a lot of the episodes, and throughout, you've often remarked not being a big fan of it. Whereas for me, it's one of the things that really got me back into reading comics at a time when I really wasn't reading them at all. Interesting. Okay. Uh, well, I, I guess you know. I think I, I, I kind of know where it's going to go from there. But uh, let's lay the scene for a second. So when Grant Morrison comes on the X Men books, he definitely was brought on to kind of shake things up. Um, a year or so earlier, you had had a kind of a Chris Claremont had came back to the books as part of Revolution with mixed results at best. Um, it was kind of bad timing because he comes back on with a lot of kind of crazy new characters and ideas. Unfortunately, it means that the X Men books kind of were unrecognizable at the time. And it was 2000, exactly when the movie came out, and maybe not the best synergy in that case. Um, so you had kind of weird stuff happening. Um, and then, you know, a year later, you have, um, you know, Claremont's left the books. You have a crossover to kind of end things where Magneto was kind of taken off the board and maybe or maybe not killed. And then you have Grant Morrison coming on X-Men, which is now retitled New X-Men with issue 114. And then you also have, I'm trying to remember, I think it's... Oh, is it Joe Casey who comes on uh, uh, Uncanny X Men at first? As uh, he does, so. he does an issue with Ian Churchill, and then I think he goes right into the Poptopia arc. So this is a, a whole new era for the X Men. Um, so at this time, you weren't really reading comics. 
No, so I had maybe right around the time Operation Zero Tolerance was wrapping up. So say 1997, I kind of had stopped reading for maybe three or four years after that. And I really only got back into it because I found some of the old comics and I thought to myself, well, I kind of just wonder how these particular stories ended. So I'll go to the comic store and I'll find the issues immediately after this. But then while I was there, I see this new X-Men book. Well, it's a new X-Men book called New X-Men. And it's just very different from what the X-Men were like when I had left, which sort of piqued my interest immediately. Interesting. So I, I so I have a kind of an opposite reaction. So I was getting into comics, well, X Men comics especially in '95, I guess when um, when Onslaught happened, and then when Zero Tolerance came out, like I was right in the thick of it, really loving X Men and Uncanny. Sorry, X Men and Uncanny X Men were the two titles I was really purchasing, um, and then I kind of kept with it throughout the late '90s, which I think a lot of people did leave the books, or I don't. I, I feel like they're not usually talked about. They're uh, up till recently. Were relatively uncollected, um, but I was reading all that stuff uh, when Alan Davis was on the book. When you had the big lead up to the Twelve, which was supposed to be a big thing, which kind of fizzled out. Uh, so I, I was there all along, and then when Claremont came back, I was part of Revolution. I was I was also picking up, I think, Cable at that point. Um, so like I was I was in the thick of it. I was I was really in. I had bought in completely. And then when New X Men happens. Um, it took it just it was so different, and obviously the costumes was the big thing, kind of as a reaction to the movies. Uh, Frank quietly, I did not yet appreciate his artwork. I will say that. Um, so I was very, I was kind of turned off by it. Just it felt tonally so different, so um, you know, divorced from everything I've been following. And then Uncanny X Men became unre- like just unreadable within a few months. It was very difficult to read, and just everything was really changing. And at the time, I would say not for the better. Um, now I have. I have the Grant Morrison issues. I have the omnibus of the Grant Morrison run. I don't think it's terrible. I think I have uh, kind of, I feel differently than I did when I was younger. I got to remember when this was happening, I was probably 18 years old and it just felt very, not really what I was looking for. And I, I, the biggest thing, and I will, I will absolutely remark that for the most part, the biggest thing that turned me off was the art. I absolutely did not like any of the Frank Quietly art. I didn't like Igor Cordy when he came in to kind of patch up the timeline because you had uh, the book was starting to ship late, so they had to kind of bring him in as a fill-in. And I thought his work was terrible. I liked it on Soldier X and Cable. Hated it on New X Men. He has kind of said that it's not his best work because he was so rushed. And I just the art was so difficult for me to enjoy. Uh, I didn't like the look of most of it again quietly was an acquired taste that i had not yet acquired so when i look back on that stuff i I don't necessarily hate the run for what morrison did but the art makes it so hard for me to enjoy i can definitely see a big difference if you were reading it month to month and you had just finished either destruction you just which is sort of a more typical standard x-men type story and then the very next month frank quietly grant morrison very different issue 114 i can see that being a little bit tougher to immediately buy into whereas if for me i had this huge break anyway was kind of looking for something different and then found something different 
Like, to be honest, you were kind of the ideal audience. Like, that's what they wanted. They wanted lapsed readers who felt that maybe the X-Men were hard to get into. And they're going to do, we're going to do something bold, new and exciting. We're going to have a pared down cast. Um, both books are going to be very different. So you don't feel like you have to read both because there was a period where you basically had to read both X-Men books to understand the story. So now you had two different casts, two different, well, actually technically three because you had extreme X-Men start at the same time. So you have three different books now that are completely separate from each other. There's not a lot of, you know, um, interconnectivity. There would be a few months, you know, a year or two in, but at the beginning there was really nothing. You had very, three distinct different flavors, and hopefully one of them would fit what every reader was looking for. But the, the, the big flagship, the big coup, was getting Grant Morrison, who had revitalized the JLA, to come over and do that with the new X-Men. And I feel like if he had done it with any other artist, I may have been on it from the beginning and loving it. I, at the time, I was definitely someone who felt was, I mean, and again, part of it's the era I came of age in with comics. Art was first. Um, art was what made you buy a book at the beginning, especially when you're younger. It's when you're older, you're less concerned necessarily with having pretty art and you just want a really good story. It helps if it has good art, um, whereas terrible art can really kill anything. And I think that's what turned me off. I can see that. I do think probably I prefer the art later in the book once you get Phil Jimenez and Chris Bacalo and Mark Silvestri, that stuff. Well, that's. Bacalo's not really standard either. I just really like his style. But the quietly stuff can be. It sort of depends on the day. Some days I think it's great. Some days I don't like it so much. It just sort of varies. I just like those early issues he did, though, like Eve of Destruction. Is that what it. Well, no. Eve, Eve is for Extinction. Yes. Um, I think his art's really strong there. But it's uh, a big jump from going from Lanil Yu to Frank Quietly in one month. Oh yeah, it was it was very it was a it was a big you know it, it was crazy. Um, I look back on it and I'm just like yeah, as a monthly reader, tonally you couldn't find bigger shifts. I mean, maybe you could, but uh, I, I mean, maybe if you went from like uh, Jeff Smith to Todd McFarland or something like you know something obscene, going from like bone to spawn, like that's a that's a stylistic shift that would give anyone kind of whiplash. But um, I think that was definitely part of it, and I think. For, to a certain degree, that's always going to color how I read it because I remembered the X-Men right before it and it just didn't line up. And I, I will say some of the ideas are okay, but I do think he got a bunch of the characters wrong and they've not necessarily been damaged, but I don't think they necessarily recovered that well or it took a long time. Cyclops in particular, I thought was very damaged by Morrison's run. And I think it took people like Whedon to kind of uh, fix him and make him cool again now some people would argue that he was never cool um but i think like just when i was coming into x-men comics cyclops was a certain way and just the way he was written by morrison always went counter to that other characters that didn't feel that they were that different uh wolverine you know kind of felt more or less the same so i didn't think there was a huge tonal shift there see for me morrison's run was the first time cyclops was ever an interesting character before that he was just sort of you know the boy scout the guy in charge who yelled at everyone for not training enough but now you have this he's stuck in this weird love triangle he just got out of apocalypse possessing him and there's finally a lot of interesting things happening with him and i feel like this is sort of the genesis and the beginning of this whole big story that leads all the way up to Avengers versus X-Men where Cyclops, you know, has his big moment. It's interesting because I, I, I don't see it. And I think part of it's that, and maybe it's the art bleeding in 
the way that quietly drew him really felt like that's how Morrison portrayed him. Like very much kind of like being extra slim. Uh, obviously, he was always called slim, but even more so. And he just looked he just looked like a very ineffectual kind of bumbling person. He didn't look the confident man that I think he had matured into throughout X-Men comics. Um, I do think that some of the plots around him were interesting, but I don't necessarily think that it always worked. Like in the issues leading up, you had Cyclops dealing with the fact that he had been possessed by Apocalypse and he was coming out of that and he was different. He was feeling different. And obviously Morrison tried to do a little bit more with that, but I felt like at times it just kind of, it got lost a little in the noise or he didn't do enough to really show the actual pathos and you had moments that were meant to kind of shock and surprise like you know a telepathic affair etc but again it just felt so antithetical to parts of what cyclops is i mean now cyclops is a cheater we know that um he will you know if if his one true love comes back to you know to the life and you're married to their clone you will leave that clone with the kid in anchorage alaska and not even tell them where you're gone like yeah that's that's just the cyclops way but you know telepathically cheating on Gene always felt like a departure and it didn't feel like one that was earned and I guess that was my problem is that I if you build it up in such a way I mean they kind of ham-fistedly did this in the early 90s where you had Cyclops coming having a brief kind of infatuation with Psylocke now it was poorly written but at least they tried to layer it in over time that you know about his attraction to her and the why he might be having these thoughts and now he has to try to figure things out and kind of lead the team for a bit to kind of set himself straight and then he comes back and he gets married to Gene that felt a little bit more in keeping with what that character would do as opposed to whatever we got by Morrison, which let, you know culminated in this relationship with Emma Frost. Now, again, great writers did really amazing things with that relationship later, but I just never felt that Morrison really got it right. And I don't necessarily think he does relationships that well. He has big, heady ideas, and I think those are the ideas where the X-Men run actually did well with the Sublime stuff, but that, you know, but that's not... That's you know that's something else. That's not Cyclops's characterization. So how do you feel about the last moment in the book? Then I know it's been pretty controversial with standing in the graveyard at Jean's grave and Cyclops kissing Emma Frost. How do you feel about that whole ending? I'm fine with it because it was that part was in the story. The the whole point was that you know because of Jean's death, it, it ended up pushing Cyclops and the X Men in the world in a certain direction. And Jean Grey was reaching you know back through time and making sure that he got the kind of the push he needed to avert that to make sure that never happened. I was fine with that because he was manipulated. <laughs> like it wasn't purely Cyclops, and it's not like that's the first time that's happened. I mean, um, the the big retcon for Uncanny X Men two hundred one when Cyclops and Storm fought. Is that Madeline Pryor was, you know, subtly using tele- telepathic power she didn't even really realize she had yet to kind of push Cyclops to unknowingly kind of, you know, throw the fight um, in such a way that, you know, he ended up leaving the team because he's like, well, they don't need me. I lost this battle for leadership. And obviously, you know, Claremont and future writers were like, well, maybe that wasn't the right call to do that to Cyclops. There was actually a reason why this happened. It was a retcon, but at least it kind of pushed in a certain direction, whereas this one wasn't even retcon. This one, from the minute it happened, we knew exactly what was going on. So, I've never felt it was that controversial because they built in a story reason right there. That's true. Is there any particular arc you think is the best of the Omnibus? Uh, I'd ha- probably the, sh- the first one. Um, I think it's the strongest... 
uh, in terms of you know, it's very fast paced. It's only what three issues. Um, you know, you Correct. get you get a new villain. Uh, it's it's crazy over the top Morrison stuff. Uh, you do something pretty crazy, which is destroy Genosha, which is a lasting effect of the book. And there's many lasting effects from this run. Like it's it definitely has a lot a large legacy. Uh, I think the first arc is probably my favorite. Um, there's a bunch I didn't really like. I didn't really like the Assault on Weapon Plus, uh, Planet X. Uh, it really, I don't know. Like the the things that are done with Magneto there, there's a reason why Marvel immediately reconned it um, because they kind of pushed Magneto into uncomfortable territory. That I can understand why Marvel didn't really want to do that with Magneto because uh, it has to be a character that's viable that they can use all the time. And pushing him into kind of Hitler-esque actions wasn't a way that they were going to be able to do that. Um, the I can't remember the one where. Um, uh, Emma Frost is, you know, murdered, and it's kind of a murder mystery. is kind of cool. Um, any of the issues with, again, Jimenez, uh, you had Vince Skyver on a bunch of uh, issues. Uh, those issues looked fantastic, and then it kind of made the story, I think it picked up the story a little bit and made it more enjoyable. Um, from a downside perspective, I mean, the original issues with Zorn are a little bit confusing, um, especially given the, you know, the, the future reveal. Um, spoilers for a comic that came out, you know, a long time ago. Um, and again, part of that is also colored by the fact that they've done so much damage over time with trying to retcon Morrison's work on Zorn and who Zorn was, and it just became kind of a mess afterwards. And uh, that's and that's not Morrison's fault. I mean, he made things confusing enough on his own. Do you have any idea who Zorn is today? Because I'm still very confused. <laughs> Uh, I think it's... I don't know. There's two Zorns, right? There was two Zorns. One was the one who thought he was Magneto, who thought he was Zorn. Like, I don't know. Like, it's best just to not think about it, right? Yeah. Whenever he comes up today, I just think, could you just not use him? Could you just create a lot of instant confusion? Um, but it's funny you mentioned one of your least favorite arcs was the Assault and Weapon Plus. That's probably my favorite arc out of the book. Oh, no. None of this is recorded. <laughs> oh, it isn't? Yeah, it was uh, apparently there was a failure in the. Ah, oh, shit. Yeah. Oh no, that's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well now what? Ah. <laughs> uh, I'm so sorry, Tim. That's all right. I thought it was recording. I could have sworn that it was. Oh, it is recording. Okay, thank God. Okay. Good. <laughs> this will be the best segment. It's the oh my god, Adam's having a heart attack. <laughs> and now he's not having a heart attack, and you better believe I'm leaving that in the podcast. <laughs> it's a nice behind-the-scenes look. Oh, for sure. Well, you know, and I won't spoil it for you, but there is, um, in the Dan Gavazdan segment, uh, he asks about kind of the, the weirdest or, or kind of strangest thing that happened uh, during an interview or during a podcast. And uh, I have a, a quite a story that I uh, tell him, and that's uh, a tease for you, Tim. Uh, other people will have already listened to this by now, but um, it's, it's a fun story. You should definitely listen to that. No, yeah, I'll be definitely going through episode 600. I'll set it aside for a nice long run one day. Oh, that's going to be a long run. It's going to be like three hours. It's going to be crazy. Yeah, that's about right. So what's your favorite arc in this Grant Morrison run, and do how do you own it? In what format do you own this run? So, I, right now I have the Grant Morrison run in the Omnibus. Okay. I originally had the single issues, and I got rid of those. Then I had the trades, I got rid of those, and now I'm up to the Omnibus. And it's, Assault or Weapon Plus is probably my favorite. It's just, it's got a lot of neat ideas, it's got a lot of funny stuff. I really like the artwork that's done in it. It's not the most important. I don't know if it's objectively the 
best of the arcs in there. But if you handed me the book and said you can read one thing out of here, I'm probably going to read Assault Plus. Interesting. Uh, I'm thinking again about the the legacy of this book. So two immediate things also came to mind. I forget that obviously Quentin Quire originates here, but he's not really the Quentin Quire we know. No, he's evolved a lot since then. Uh, like I, I guess we have I, Jason Aaron probably to thank for most of that because like the 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 way in which the character is is written here is unrecognizable. Like you wouldn't even know that that was the same character. Uh, you also have the I guess the origination of the cuckoos are here, right? Yeah, they show up. Well, there's five of them originally, but a few of them throughout the book bite to dust. Exactly, and like then that's you know that's become pretty important characters to the legacy too because I mean they've been used everywhere. They're always kind of around now. Obviously, I believe they're in the TV series too, the gifted television show. Mm-hmm. I so, think so. So they're around. Um, another thing that I think of, it's hard to imagine. Like it's one of those things. So when, you, for example, when you think of Iron Man, when we read Heroes Return Iron Man, it was very quaint because it was back from when Tony Stark was not known to be Iron Man, which seems so crazy now. Because ever since the, especially since the the Iron Man movie from M- the MCU came out, it just is kind of an accepted thing that everyone knows that Iron Man is Tony Stark. Um, similarly, when you read this volume. Doesn't it have Xavier outing himself? It does, which is the kind of thing you, where you think, was he ever in himself? Like, I, I, as a reader growing up, I never really thought of him as being a secretly a mutant. Yeah, it was very... Yeah, they used him a lot as, you know, the human who is an expert on mutant things. And I guess the idea was maybe that, you know, people wouldn't listen to a mutant, but they'd listen to a human who is an expert on mutants, which is kind of an interesting... And actually, very believable stance to take um, that you know people who have a prejudice would have be they would find it easier to listen to someone who is like them talk about why they shouldn't have the prejudice as opposed to listening to the person you know that that type of person who they have a prejudice against already tell them that they shouldn't have a prejudice. Um, I don't know if that was ever kind of the thought process that was going in, but I guess just for so long there was always this idea that you know Xavier was not connected to the X Men. Um, even, I think, when uh, Reed and Sue got married way back in Fantastic Four, I think the X-Men kind of pretended not to know Xavier. Um, I don't think like it's kind of, which is kind of strange to even think about. So this was the big kind of reveal that he's telling the world that, no, I'm an out and, you know, I'm an out and proud mutant. I was actually kind of a closeted mutant all this time, which, again, really speaks to a lot of interesting kind of subtext that would have existed, especially in 2001. Yeah, there's a lot of things going on here in this book that um, sort of are really of the time like for instance you have you have Beast one of the Beast plots in the book is that he even though he isn't gay he tells everyone he is because he feels like it'll send a positive message to people out there I don't know if you would play it that way today I think today you would just make one of them gay rather than you know have them go through this whole other system yeah, it's it's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, like today you just like well, I, well been just revealed well, Iceman's gay. Well, that's the way they put that in 2015. Whereas in 2001, they still weren't willing to go that far. They'd have someone pretend, but they wouldn't actually do it. 
Yeah, no, I, and I honestly had completely forgotten that. And again, looking back at 2001, I remember when they were first showing art for new X-Men and being like, that's not Beast. What the hell did they do? Why did they make him into a cat? And then you had to read Extreme X-Men to see how we kind of lost the uh, the ape Beast that we had had up until then, which, uh, you know, was a pretty big departure at the time. It is. It's they had an in-story reason, I believe, somewhere, but in New X-Men itself, you're sort of reading one month, and he looks one way, and the next month, he looks the other way. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it was, um, oh my god, I don't know why I can't think of this. I'm pretty sure it was like a secondary mutation, or he was like gutted by the big bad guy at the beginning of Extreme X-Men, and then I believe Sage had kind of that did something to him that would, you know, kind of accelerate his abilities, and it was uh, ended up changing his... his um, uh, his mutation, which again, that's something that Morrison brought in as well, is the whole idea of these other muta- these secondary mutations. He did. He brought that up. He made it a big part of it, but no one else really ever picked up on that, which is a little bit surprising, considering it's a nice, easy way to change a mutant's powers if you want to change it. Uh, actually, I feel like it was used for a long time, to be honest. Like, I, I remember after House of M, they leaned on it especially, that like there was characters who were still experiencing new secondary mutations, so it was something that was still used for a while. I think it was used a bit as a crutch, and then they kind of started eliminating it or not talking about it, but once in a while, you'll still have them, you'll see them mention it. That's true. It hasn't completely disappeared, but no one has embraced the way Morrison did in a way that's, I mean, like he had Emma Frost be in diamond form, and that's, you know, a big part of her now, but it's not even sort of even mentioned anymore that's her secondary mutation. It's just sort of taken for granted as, oh, that's what she does. Yeah, I guess that's true. That's interesting. It's, it's, yeah, the more you kind of look at everything that happens in Morrison's run, it is, as I said, it is enormously influential because it, it shifted and changed a lot of things that have stayed with most of these characters. And the fact that, again, he killed Jean Grey and Jean Grey only just came back, you know, now. Um, so she was dead for like, you know, uh, going on what, 13, 14 years, mm-hmm. which is a long time in comics. Like I remember when, That's when, uh, Wolverine lost his adamantium in what, 92 or 93. And then he didn't get it back till like 99. Like that was a long time too. And I remember everyone being like, Oh, he's going to get it back. Like really soon, but he lost it, you know, the same month or the month before issue 75 of his own book. And he only got it back in 145. That's 70 issues later. Like that's, that's a while. Yeah, and compared to how long Jean Grey was dead, that's it's, you know, about half the amount of time, maybe? Yeah, no, it's, it's nuts. And yeah. that's one thing I actually liked, the, the fact that they kept her dead for so long. That it was, again, this interesting choice of what to avoid and immediately retcon from Morrison's run and what to keep. And it's a very interesting series of choices. Like, as I said, they got rid of, or they brought back um, Magneto right away, but then they kept all this other stuff. They kept Jean Grey dead. Um, you know, eventually they get rid of, you know, Beast Mutation. They would change it again when um, when uh, Bendis came on the book, and they kind of pushed that in a new direction. But it's just interesting what they decided to kick, take. Um, Kick was around for a while, that kind of, the new drug that was used for a couple years afterwards. Um, obviously, Whedon's run really built upon Morrison's run. I think it probably is even more influential in certain ways, but it wouldn't exist without Morrison's. I guess correct. I think most people, when they're talking about, like, well, what X-Men books should I read? They'll tend to recommend Astonishing X-Men before New X-Men. But Astonishing does directly build on a lot of the things that happened in New X-Men. 
And in some ways, it's the you know it's it's the book that sort of took over for New X Men in a lot of ways. If you're reading New X Men and that ends, you kind of jump over to the new Joss Whedon book. Yeah, and it's not that not that big of a shift. I and mean, I think a big thing, and the reason why people probably look at the Whedon book more, is that it just looks more traditional. You know, like you have everyone in superhero costumes. Everyone looks like superheroes. They act like superheroes. Um, there's some stuff that's kind of you know new ways to look at things or new directions that kind of can push them in. But it still feels very comfortable and feels like X Men. Um, if you've seen X Men movies and then you go and write, read that, it's not going to be that jarring. Whereas I feel like if you go back and read more. You know, he is challenging you as a reader a lot, and some readers want to be challenged, some don't. Um, some want something that does feel kind of familiar and they can understand the characters and really get inside their heads. And I feel like you don't always necessarily get inside Morrison's character's heads. That's not really what he's there for. He's not necessarily doing deep character dives. Not Again, not always. Um, he's more about kind of the big crazy plots and how he's going to put it all together and have these characters operate within that plot. Um, the notable exception, I would say, is All-Star Superman, which really understands the, the main character and was also the first time I really appreciated Frank quietly. That and We Three. Yeah, those books are really strong for his art. Just incredible, incredible stuff there. And I think because those books are more so than X-Men designed for quietly, you know, Superman, also All-Star Superman was, you know, his book to draw from the end, we three is his book from beginning to end that it makes it a little bit easier to buy his style if you're not normally a huge fan of it whereas with new x-men if you're coming off your typical x-men artists you get frank quietly for a while then it's just somebody else those frank quietly issues really stand out as being very very different mm-hmm. which is good for me if you've been gone for five years not so good if you've been reading every month for the last five years no, and like, and as I said, I don't necessarily hate the run. Um, like, if I ever talk about it with my brother-in-law Paul, he hates Morrison's run. Like, there's no, he 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 won't give you anything. He won't allow it. He'd just be like, nope, don't like it. Um, I think for him, Morrison really uh, irked him when he was reading his Batman run. And there was, a, I think, something during the Zero and R kind of run of Batman um, when you had the, the Joker, that crazy version of the Joker that uh, Morrison was working with. And he had this kind of moment of, like, don't you, you know, get it? Why don't you get it? And uh, I remember my brother-in-law kind of looking at that and being like, well, that's just basically Morrison saying, well, if you don't get it, you're stupid. And I don't get this because this is just gobbledygook. Uh, screw you. I'm done. What's so funny about that? That's one of my favorite moments in Batman. <laughs> <laughs> well, just you know, just don't have a conversation with my brother-in-law, and I think you'll be fine. <laughs> just avoid Grant Morrison. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think it's interesting because Grant Morrison, for a lot of people, is kind of that third rail. Like you either love him or you hate him. There's not usually middle ground. Well, it's funny is I really dislike some of the books he did, but then some of the stuff he did, I really, really like. I really like New X Men. I really like All-Star Superman. I think We Three is great. But other books he's done, I just have zero interest in whatsoever. I don't like them. But Interesting. When he, hit, when he hits, he hits. When he doesn't hit, he doesn't hit. And Not I, much I, in between for me. Yeah, I, I would say that's probably very accurate um, kind of appraisal of, of him as a, as a writer in general. When he hits, he hits. When he, when he doesn't, man, does he strike out. I think it's, like you said before, he's very into these big ideas, and if the big idea is working, you're going to like it, but if the big idea is not working for you, then the whole thing's not going to work for you. No. 
All right. Well, I, I, I don't know if we've really come to a detente or not. Well, we've met we've met somewhere in the middle. And, you know, with your with your brother in law, I guess we'd still be far apart, but we've we've bridged the gap between us a little bit. That's good. Um, now, at some point, so this is obviously an anniversary show, so it's less of a kind of deep dive kind of stuff. Next time we have you on, um, what are we looking to focus on next time? Because I think last time we kind of threw out some ideas of what we might talk about in the future. Um, I don't know if you saw, because I don't know if we talked about maybe doing it or not, but um, next year they're going to have the Fantastic Four Heroes Return actually coming out in complete collections. Yeah, soon we should have... Well, I wish they did an omnibus, because then we'd have all of those Heroes Return books in omnibus. We'd have Avengers, Captain America, Thor, Iron Man. So they're changing formats, but at least we're getting it. I mean, I, I think that's just a basic commerce thing. They know that they wouldn't be able to sell a lot of them. True. But I think we can keep building off that. We still have... We've done... Through about the first three years of Iron Man, we've got, we're going to have two gigantic Thor omnibuses soon enough. That's true. That's that's one hell of a run. <laughs> yeah, and through about the first year of Dan Jorgen's run there, really like it. I like the John Romita art, so I'm gonna continue on with that. But it's gonna take a while to get through all of it. Hmm. It's gonna. That's gonna. I mean, it, it does shift a lot um, after the first two years. Once you have Romita leaving, uh, the tenor of the book starts to shift. But I generally think it does shift for the better. Um, and Jorgen's is good at telling long form stories, and that's what you get. Um, and it's a very long form story and I don't know if you know a lot about you know kind of the twists and turns it takes but you know it starts to impact the Marvel Universe in a, a bigger way um, which is interesting to look at now considering what we've had happen in the time since and I'm trying to be as vague as possible because I don't want to spoil any of it for you yeah I, I know nothing about it which is great it's great because I guess it's not like one of these huge classic runs people constantly talk about even though it's 12 20- 20 years old I have really no idea what happens in any books I'm shocked that it's more no, not more talked about but I think part of it is just that when um, Dan Jurgen's run ended um, they, they, they at that point they then had an Avengers disassembled tie-in which was called Ragnarok which kind of you know took Thor off the board for years and it was such a masterful storyline that it kind of you know, made you forget. Not this sounds really rude. But I don't mean it makes you forget about Jorgens, but it just—it was such a wonderful, beautiful ending to Thor that I almost felt if they never brought Thor back, I'm okay with it because of how beautiful this story was. And then when they did bring Thor back, you had this masterful run by JMS, which was extremely important for the character. It definitely set up new status quo that it lasted for a long time, and it also established a new visual aesthetic for the character that has you know permeated the movies. So it's interesting to kind of see. You know, I think that's part of why Dan Jurgen's run doesn't get more celebrated is because the stuff that happened right after that and then everything that kind of happened with Thor after that has been fairly well regarded. And, and so it's not like we've had this kind of dearth of material. Whereas I think with Captain America, oh, at Captain America, you had you know an amazing run with Mark Wade, And then after that, you had a Dan Jurgen's run, which was good, but not great. And it kind of went on a little long. And then when that ended, you had Brubaker. But, but in between those two great runs, you had something that kind of established a new kind of baseline of this is what an average thing is. And then whereas with um, Dan Jurgen's' Thor, you immediately got into something that was just a stellar. So it meant that everything before it was kind of forgotten, which is a real shame. Yeah, everything I know about Thor kind of came... I've read everything Thor, JMS, and Arn were really nothing before, so this stuff is all new and different to me. Like you said, it's not referenced a lot, and 
very different from the Thor I'm used to reading. Well, especially because like you you have to deal with like a host and him not just being Thor. Like again, it's one of those kind of pre pre movie era, especially which it just feels so different. Um, like this antiquated notion of you know him being Jake Olson and having to kind of have Jake Olson's life, and you know that's just so far and away different from everything we've had since. I just like going back and seeing an Iron Man before everyone knew it was Tony. Exactly, just an entirely fundamentally different status quo and it's interesting because we talk about with comics that things don't really change but they do yeah with that yeah it's the Thor you're seeing in that book is not the Thor if you pick up Jason Aaron's book today no and like and not only just Thor but everyone in his world is so completely different um, and part of it's just you know time and the fact that you know when you ha- deal with the gods they really do go through fundamental changes with death and rebirth um, that these things are just kind of natural but yeah reading some of those books they're good they're very enjoyable but yeah so far and away different but because the continuity has kind of been reset with Thor it allows you know someone like yourself to to not know anything that's happened before and be able to come into it with completely fresh eyes and it's not even like any of this has any kind of relevancy to your that you've ever seen before so you get to have a completely new experience in a way that someone reading maybe Amazing Spider-Man wouldn't have because if they if they go back some of the stuff does get referenced Spider-Man mythos is, is littered with references to past years whereas something like Thor especially is kind of like if it happened before 2004 probably not referenced very often that's a good point yeah the book's really it's not it's not the kind of book where you might see a lot of those old school editor notes. It's just not the style of the book that they're writing that in. So, well, um, you know, when, when, when you finish that first omnibus of Thor, let me know and we'll chat about the, you know, that first two years of that run. Cause, um, there's some really big, cool stuff that happens there. I think the run gets better with the, with the second omnibus. So when that comes out, uh, you're in for quite a treat. Um, maybe not as consistent in an artistic uh, standpoint because you don't have the consistency of a, of a John Romita Jr., but it's still pretty good stuff. And there's some amazing Andy Cupert art. There's a great... Well, I'm not going to mention it because there's some good fights. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Sounds good. I'm looking forward to getting to the book. Excellent. Well, thank you again for joining us for episode 600. Happy to do it. Congratulations on making it this far. Yeah, it's hard to believe. I'm just glad that we actually recorded this conversation. <laughs> oh, hey, it's me again. As promised, I'm here to intro our second new theme song. Before I do, fun fact, did you guys know that it was actually me and my cousin Sarah who named Adam's podcast? I mean, so long ago, who knew we'd still be saying comic shenanigans? Just saying, it's a good name. Uh... So this theme song came along when, you know what, I don't even know the story. It was on the dark net. I know, it's not actually the dark net, but I think that's what I'm calling the place on the internet where comic nerds get together. I'm going to call it the dark net. I think that's appropriate. So you guys are on the dark net. You know how it works. People do things for other people. There's favors exchanged. I don't really know how it works. All I know is some guy that we don't know wrote this awesome theme song for Adam, and we're using it. So, here it is. Bye-bye. Comic Shenanigans, Comic Shenanigans, with Adam Chapman, with Adam Chapman. Comic Shenanigans, Comic Shenanigans, with Adam Chapman, with Adam Chapman. Chapman.